Hello and welcome to episode three of the second year of um, Edge of Empire. And this episode is mostly focusing on Iron Warriors. So Graham yes. is probably yes. very excited. Yoo-hoo! Yep. So uh, tonight we're going to do the following. We're going to have a quick run through of this month's new releases, although they are a bit sparse this month. Um, an update of what we've been up to this month, which again is going to be a bit sparse, isn't it? Because I don't think anybody's been up too much. <laughs> It's, yes. not been a, it's not been a great month for us, by the look of it. It's not no. been the biggest month in the terms of content, though. No, I've no, got to be no. honest with you. Um, yeah, we've got a run a run through of, the, of some of this month's news, which is actually more than I thought it was. But yeah, uh, we've got a we don't have any Black Library releases to review, so we're not going to do that because nothing came out for Heresy. <laughs> uh, we've got an interview with Black Library author Robbie McNevin uh, and myself. Uh, he wrote Primarch's audio drama Stone and Iron about Perturabo. Um, then we're going to have a quick runover of some of the Iron Warriors fluff, very, very brief. Um, then a focused look at the Iron Warriors, their units, tactics, and rights of war. And this month's, mm-hmm. month's list challenge sees myself and Chris trying to build an Iron Warriors list. Two and a half thousand oh, I'm points. I'm looking forward to this. Oh, I haven't seen oh, Chris's yeah. list yet. So neither have I. Chris is no. That's one I haven't. I haven't shared it with you. I'll, um, He's keeping yes. no. If you if you send it to me, I can. I, 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 yeah, we can get it. Okay. And so finally, we'll be looking at what events are coming up and give a brief update on Company of Legends, which is oh just around the corner. Oh uh, God. Okay, so, uh, but before we go on to new releases, we'll just do a quick correction. Um, you know that we did the fast attack choices. Well, I, I have my own personal sort of thing that I wrote about all, all the fast attack choices a couple, a few years ago. Um, some notes I did, and that's what I based a lot of the, st- the show notes on that we discussed. I didn't, I didn't realize that Seeker Scorpius ammo has changed. It's just AP2. It's no longer rending. Well, let's be thankful for that, I think. Yeah, so... They're pretty nasty. Thomas uh, Pardo uh, corrected that for us, so thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you, Thomas, for putting us straight. The the book has been updated, obviously, since, and I didn't check it. So, um, all right, so we'll go into new releases. So, uh, let's have a little look at what we've got. So, Michael, you're the man who keeps his... Uh, finger on the digital pulse of Forge World's output. What delights have they regaled us with this very month? Oh, I sound very professional. Not not a lot. Um, we've had a very oh. neat, barren month, actually. Um, the first release we had was um, well, it was a Games Workshop release. It was um, postcards, 20 years of Black Library, which was a set of 100 postcards, um, which had a number of Horus Heresy ones in there. Okay, quite a Post nice set from the abyss, literally. Yeah, yeah, it was that, actually it was it was quite a good set. There's lots from you know Warhammer, um, 40k, Age of Sigmar, uh, the the classic Warhammer stuff. Um, a lot a lot of cool stuff in there actually. Okay, um, I, I probably got... quite cool framed up, wouldn't they? They'd... Yeah, that's what I've been thinking of doing. Maybe getting one of those big poster oh, frames, yeah. you know, for the movie posters, mm. and just putting a bunch in there. But that's um, a good idea. yeah, do some black backing or you know whatever. Be yeah, pretty cool. Might pick very it up. artistic. And then three Custodes releases. So yeah. we had the Custodes oh, Shield Captain, which I think you said you prefer to the... Um, yeah, to the I one prefer him make. to the Games Workshop, Valaran, whatever his name is, Trajan Valaris. Mm. Um, I think he just looks a bit more in keeping with the other guys. I don't like um, him. Yeah, well... Yeah, it looks weird. 
He's your, got head, a, it is your a bit, head looks weird. It is a bit different. It's a bit different head. But you know what? I actually don't mind it. I think it's just because the way that the like the, the yeah. pipes go into his neck makes him look like, you know, Mr. Blobby a bit. Well, to I know what you mean. Fair, they are, you know, um, superhumans that have been genetically engineered, so they, you know, they don't have to look, you know, perfectly normal. No, you're you're not wrong, and I'm I am being slightly picky. I mean, he's got a great facial expression. I mean, that's a guy you, you know, you, you're not going to want to mess with, are you? I mean, he's he looks seen like things, a, man. He's seen things. He yeah. doesn't like the sort of guy who would, put, you know, if you were late for class or something, in, you know, in custody school. He wouldn't. He wouldn't. Have, he'd have a very dim view of that. I think. Yeah. That. I think. I've, I think tardiness <laughs> is generally frowned upon about, <laughs> around the custodes. I've got yeah, to be honest. Wait, oh, I was ten minutes late. Sorry. Yeah. Oh, no. So it happens. That's how it starts. I've mm. got to be honest though. I think I prefer the cap- shield captain model that you can make from the custodian wardens, the plastic one. Yeah. I just. I mean, I, I, just the way he has the cloak around his legs. Yeah. If I'm. Choosing for a stand a standout model for an individual model between this guy and the the Games Workshop guy. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to choose this guy. Yeah, because they're, what, they're almost the same money. Got you. Like a, a five or any or something like that. Right. Um, I mean, he looks great from the back. If that's any small consolation, and I'm sure I've said that a few times, but um, and actually the 360 spin, you know, the spinny one, hmm. he looks better in that. Yeah, yeah, I think he's got that circuitry on the side of his face and things like that. Yeah, yeah that, okay. He just he just looks. He, look at that model, and then you look at the Games Workshop one. I, th- I don't know if it's just the way because he's painted differently, but he just looks a lot less flash. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah I I think you're a right, lot less just... cartoony. I suppose yeah. the good thing is that uh, you know custodies players have got options. Yeah, absolutely. Because we haven't got a lot of options in terms of army choices, so it's nice to have good variety in um, some model options. Yeah, that's very true. Actually. So, and then the other two releases were spears. So you had the Adorite spears, yeah. the Paraphyte, the Adrafic Adrafic. Destructors, and the Pythrite spears. Yeah. So, the, what do these bad boys do in game? So, the they're still guardian spears. It's only the ranged element of them that's different. Okay. So one, the Pythrite spears have a six-inch melter gun on them, basically. Yep. Um, the Adrastic destructors are a bit different. So twelve inches. They're strength five, AP two. Okay. Um, wow. They're assault weapons. They cause nice. instant death. They've got armor bane, but they do have gets hot. Oh, that sucks. But you know, <laughs> That's the only. That's the only downside. Doesn't seem like a big downside. I've got to be honest. Oh no, I know absolutely, especially on models that have got two wounds. They sound fantastic. Yeah, they. I'm just trying to remember how much how expensive they are. There are ten points. The per model. Yeah. Yeah. Same as a multi as a combi melter then. Yeah, basically. No, I'd rather have. They sound mint. Is it one shot assault one? No, no. Oh yeah, they're assault one. Yeah. I'm actually impressed at your uh, encyclopedic knowledge of your army, mate. I've got to say, I yeah. put you on the spot there and you were right back at me. Go the you. Fact that, the fact that I was prepared and had the book in front of me. Because uh, <laughs> you know I'm going to ask this. <laughs> I knew someone was going to ask, just in case. Just so. Wow, how professional are we getting? This is scary. Um, it is. Anyway, they, I've got to say, they sound like a really useful weapon. I mean, yeah, I've, they are great. I Now that they've released the actual um, models for them, 
mm-hmm. I will be. I am going to get some come payday. Get some. I'm going to have two in each each squad. Because that so let's so strength five armor bane. So that's yeah. two dice for armor bane. So let's yeah. say you get seven. So minimum, you know, you're averaging twelve, which is still pretty good. Um, and if you're lucky, you know, you're going to be up into the fourteens. Yeah. So that is that is pretty awesome. Like I've got to say, yeah. Uh, AP like two, instant death on a six. Is it the old like the, or is it just instant death? Just instant death. It says. So just if you get hit by it, it's instant death. There's no on a six plus or like a like a um, paragon just... blade. If it wounds you, it's instant death. Yeah. Goodness gracious! I mean, if you fail the save, isn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. yeah so, if you've mean, got, so multi wound models are one shotted by it, and obviously just much. standard old marines, just you know, are like wow, that would be fantastic against mechanical, wouldn't it? Yes. Yeah, I mean, just shoot. You can give you know, the... not, like, not like custodies needed the help. No, fair enough. There is that. So, so, so people say. Um, you can give the dreadnoughts these as well. This sort of thing is that they've got a um, a drastic option for the gauntlets on those as well. And on the, the dreadnoughts, jet, jet bikes too. Yeah, they can have a the bigger version. I think it is. Never. I'd rather have them on the jet bikes. Yeah, the drastic, the the drastic exterminator. I think it is I'm something like that. Um, but that's a small blast template version. Right. Okay. Wow, that's serious stuff. Yeah. So. Mm, it's a nice fancy we- it's a nice fancy weapon. It costs you points wise, but like everything with the custodies, it's 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 you know, it's you I mean, lose, you lose thing, one, that's a lot of points. Yeah, because I mean that's if you're losing a normal guardian spear guy, um, a normal a normal custodes troop choice guy with one of those, that's sixty five points. Fair play. So that's not I mean, that's not cheap, is it? No. I mean, I'm only going to put two in each squad purely because I think even with the Guardian Bolters, they can throw out enough firepower um, as it is. It's just going to be having a couple of un- a couple of guys in there that can shoot Terminators and kill Terminators. Sure. 65 points per model is a lot, though, isn't it? I mean, if you have 10 of them, that's yeah. 50 points. Yeah. Well, I mean, I've, I run squads of seven. Mm. That's why, again, that's why I'm only having two of each guy. But definitely, you know, I suppose in sort of points efficiency, they sound like they, I mean, there's, they can deal with anything yeah. with those, can't they? So, yeah, can pretty much. That's the but, that's the thing. But that they are fairly really short-ranged. 12 yeah, inches, I suppose if you could deep strike them or something, they'd be great, wouldn't they? You can. Which so, you can. Cool. So pyrite spears, so these these are the other ones. Are they these, are these? melter guns. Yeah. Melter, yeah. Okay. I mean, why would you? I mean, they look, actually, model-wise, they look pretty cool. I like the sort of aesthetic of them. Yeah, like, I have tried to make my own of these. Um, okay. Just purely by cutting off, um, sort of scrounging around some of my friends for unwanted melter guns, cutting the ends oh, yeah. off, and replacing oh, yeah. the um, barrel on the guardian spear bit with the the melter end. Sure. Um, so I've got a few of those. I don't actually looking at the models on Forge Mode. The, the melter gun ones don't look like they fit quite as well as the other ones. There's quite a lot of... Is it just me or like there's a bit of a gap towards him? Maybe that's spider design. No, I think... No, it's fine. I think actually looking at them, I think the, whatever they're called, the uh, Adrastite or Adrasite uh, spears look look cool as... Yeah, no, they're... They're, oh, cool. um, they're snazzy little... Snazzy little dudes with their... Totally. 
15 pound for five three quid each not too bad yeah that's I've, all right. I've already seen some conversions um using them to do the um uh what the, the ones we were just talking about the the wardens yeah because uh oops sorry just closing a pot of paint there because i'm busy doing some painting at the same time god disgraceful it's just ridiculous talent multitasking mike not not talent no. I, I i'm trying to get these um quake can increases done Okay. Uh, for for a company alleged, I've had them for like a year, and um, <laughs> uh, and it's like, yeah, we we probably need as much terrain as we can get, but uh, we probably do. Yes, because uh, obviously, you know, club can only provide so much. But sure. Anyway, uh, so that's that's the new releases. That's time. it. That's pretty that's, scant. Yeah. Previous, I suppose we were blessed with last month, weren't we? Because we had the Warhammer World. Yeah, there were, yeah, there were lots last month, but yeah. I think the, the the there's only one release left that we know about in advance, and I think that's Constantine Valdor. Yeah, and next I think next week, isn't he? No, I think it might. Or be. A week after, I think it oh, might be the thirtieth. So yeah, week yeah. after. Yeah, after. Yeah. Uh, Am I allowed? Just, to, are we allowed to talk about him yet? Or we'll wait until after. We'll wait until he's done because oh, I think on, I think we'll we'll, we'll 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 because it's he's a whole subject on himself. Yeah, because some people love him, some people hate him. Yeah, I saw a very good conversion actually. Before we move off the new releases, although it's not a new release of um, Dawn, and they kind of gave him a sort of tash, like a sort of you know. Oh, a, a, is that the guy's name? is that the one with the beard? Yeah, it looked great. Yeah, yeah, I've seen that one. It, it is phenomenal. He looked like that guy from the meme. You know, the one who says, you know, I don't, you know, I, the guy who's like sort of smartly the dressed. Most, the most interesting man oh, in the world. Yeah, yeah. That yeah. chap. He looks yeah. a bit like him, I thought. Oh, I looked, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, I thought that looked really good. Um, and then it didn't, made him look less like Liberace and more like the most interesting man in the world. So. I haven't seen that. I'll, I'll, I'll look for that. Yeah, he looked great. Really impressive. So, I love is that it? Version. So, that, yeah, that's that, it for the new releases. That's it for the new releases. So, wow, we can spin on to what have we been up to? Not very much. <sighs> so, what we have been up to this month? Um, I'll go first because I've done my usual incredibly small amount. So, this month I've kind of just taken bits out of my boxes and just been doing repairs to things. Oh, yeah. Um, I, my Spartan had lost a sponson, my, um, Cerberus. I had dropped that at some point and tracks had come off. I damaged the power unit at the back, things like that. So I've just been doing sort of patch up work on some, on, on bits and pieces. You know, when you're, you know, we've all had it where we open our case and there's a mm-hmm. half of, tactical marine floating around and <laughs> you don't quite know where the other half is so you've got to try and oh it's when you lose uh, a bolter lose a yeah bolter. things like that it's like where's that gone uh, yeah and that's 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 pretty much what i've been doing it's just um yeah getting re- repairs done got you just just i haven't really had time to sit down and really do a project so it's mm. just been good because i can you can just pick those bits up put them down yeah. and you still you know you know you're, you're still achieving something which is good Yes, um, and I've been doing some bits of um, on the shoulder because I've got the moulded shoulder pads for my Imperial fists. Right. So uh, I've just been doing sort of finally getting a bit more paint onto some of those and getting ready to to sort them all out, put them on the 
the relevant units because my destroyers and things have currently got one shoulder pad and not one on the left so that's where the uh, legion one's going to be going but yeah it's just been little okay. bits and pieces really last, these last few weeks got so uh, I've I've been very poor this month I've got to be honest with you um, so because obviously Company of Legends is coming up and all my kind of hobby time that, sh- that I would be spending writing stuff sorry I would be spending painting stuff I'm writing now stuff. writing writing stuff instead um, so we've been obviously finalising all the narrative and there's a lot of it to, and getting all of that done so that's basically been taking up my time, and quite rightly so, to be honest, because you know I don't want to be rushing this stuff. So um, that's what I've been doing. I have the, these dreadnoughts. I'm having. Do you know what? They're really hard to paint. I don't know why I'm finding some of them so difficult. Uh, so I've got a, I've got these three dread claws, and they've been on my kind of paint desk for about two months now. Yeah. I've kind of got one done, so I've, I've tried to kind of batch paint them first off, and it just yeah. got too depressing. So I just couldn't. So I was just like, no, I'm going to paint one. And then, you know, then do the other one, then do the other one. And there's actually a surprising level of detail on those dread claws. There's a lots of bits that you think, oh, it's just a, just a drop pod, but there's a lot on it. You know, there's like all of the stuff underneath that you have to paint. Yeah. To kind of give it sort of def- a bit of definition. And I'm still wrestling with sort of a colour scheme that I'm not entirely happy with. And obviously painting with white and blue, you know, you, you paint the white really carefully and then you end up going over the blue and you patch up the blue and then go back over the white. It's like this sort of never-ending... Probably it's not a particularly poor painter, but I've finally got, I think, one nearly done now, certainly enough. I mean, it looks fine on the on the, on the the table, but, um, you know, it's certainly painted to a standard that's okay to play with, but it just needs a little bit of something. I haven't got to the point where I'm using my sort of ink cover technique on the white yet. So that may make me feel slightly happier about it. But at the moment, you know, when you get a model and you just can't seem to get happy yeah. with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, it's a bit like that at the moment. So I'm going to have to just kind of gird my loins, I think. once. So once Cumber the Legends is done, um, I've got a couple of days off, but I think those are going to be spent. Because um, obviously on the 8th of April, which is rapidly approaching, I'm up the 30K, I'm at the 30K channel in Peterborough. Yep. Um, of course, yeah. The problem with that, the list that I've given them has got a Malkador and a, a second Knight Gallant. So, Knight, well, the Malkador isn't even assembled yet, and the Knight Gallant isn't got, isn't, only, isn't even undercoated. So, I think I'm going to have to, just out of necessity, really, uh, get cracking with them. I've got a couple of days off after Company of Legends. So, you're here on the Monday, aren't you, Chris? Or are you going back yeah. Sunday? I'm going back Sunday. All right, okay. So, um, I've got the Monday now and the and the Tuesday <laughs> to get to get cracking with that. Um, I might even, you know, I could probably. I wonder if I could put the market all together while we watch the games. Mm, that's what I think. Well, we can, do, you know, we can do stuff Friday because I'll be there. I'll be up with you on Friday, so I can yeah. base coat some stuff for you. Oh, it's, it's fine, man. But yeah, I think we'll get it sorted. I, anyway, I, only, I only charge twenty five quid an hour. Do you? That's not bad, actually. Yeah, yeah, some pro painters. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> well, yeah, some charge an absolute fortune. But then again, you'll look at what they do. <laughs> yeah, that's I mean, what I charge. It depends on the, it depends on the standard, doesn't it? <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong. If I was absolutely minted, it's one of these things, really, I think, is, you know, there are times when I really enjoy painting. Um, when there are times when it's a means to an end, i.e. I like having a painted army, so I'm going to paint my army. Um, but whether I would ever want to actually give it to somebody else to paint, I don't know. 
I mean, when I see some of these lovely armies that other people have painted, like the stuff that was done for Aiden. Yeah. Um, you know, brilliant, fantastic. You think, oh, God, it'd be great to have an army that was like that. Oh, yeah, Solo Zilli, that was our army of the month. Yeah, but I think the thing is, for me, it's like it, it would never feel like it's my army. Yeah, I'm I'm exactly the same. I mean, I've I the only time I've ever harvested something out to be painted um, was my Harlequins that I got with the yes. Deathmask box set, and I yes. sent them to Harry Harry Welsh. And yes. honestly, I I was just looking at them and I was thinking, you know what, all the checks and stuff, I'm gonna yeah. actually hash these up. And, and this is an army that I don't intend to play with all that often. It's sure. an army that I'm probably it's it's mostly for. Um, going to be mostly for display sure which is something yeah, i've not really done before because they are nice looking models and yeah. harry's doing a great job with them i mean he's taken over a year to do them but i've not actually been rushing him to do them you know I, i've sort of Go said on. you know take it chill i don't want him i, I think with some you hear you talk to some pro painters and they're like yeah i've got to get through this entire death guard army it's a bit of a slog and it's like I mean, and it's like well if he's if he's slogging through that is it necessarily going to be the best paint job yeah. So I mean, I've so got a friend that does pro painting. Yeah. I yeah. See regularly. So and he um yeah. he's when I get dawn, he's gonna paint dawn for me. Oh that's nice. That's nice. Because yeah. I thought I just the certain I, models I want, I want him to, I want him to look good. Totally. And I know that Adam will do a, a really good job on him. Um well, well, Harry my prints actually that look really awesome back in third edition. But I think you're right, things like that. But I I had to really because you end up with that kind of paint fear of a model, particularly yeah. with an expensive forge world model. So uh-huh. I kind of had had that with the Warhound. Um when I was like, oh god, do I want to paint this? Because I've you know just spent 350 quid on this bloody thing, and now I'm gonna paint it and you can't mess this up. See, um I, I, I had that talk- with Sigismund for, for an, forever. Yeah. Sigismund yeah. just sat in front of me. And I, t- I, to- I toyed with asking Adam to paying Adam to do him a couple of times. And I thought, no, I'm going to do him myself. And uh, I've washed it. I've got the yellow I want and everything like that. He's okay. Yeah. But I know that it does slightly play on my mind that maybe I should have, because of who, because of the character, because he's a special character, as it were. Yeah, I know. I did Perturabo, but. But I was lucky. He came out good. You know, I managed to. The, the bit I was really scared about was his flesh tone on his face. Oh, yeah. Your photograph flesh is quite good. Yeah. I mean, so, I mean, all you had to do for his armor was spray it silver or whatever, and then base coat it so, or wash it. Although, speaking yes. of that, Graham's actually going to be talking over his paint scheme later in the episode. I will. So let's not spoil the, the in depth process that I go through. It's a lot more in depth than I thought. He thought it was more more in depth, which I'm not sure how to take, to be honest with you, whether that's a good or a bad thing. No, it's. it's, That that looks like you spent four minutes doing this. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's not actually about. Your colour scheme's quite good. I like your colour scheme. It's just the way you've always described it as paint, wash, dry brush. And it's like when you actually you go through it, it's actually there's actually a lot more to it than you said. You have a point. uh, So, yes. So, yeah. Um, So, yeah, the models that you, you know, that you have kind of, I think anything that's probably over seventy pounds, I get a bit of paint fear. With. Yeah, unless it's a vehicle. And vehicles are not so bad. I'm okay with vehicles. I think, and you know, I, but like I said, I thought I was okay with vehicles. I'm doing these drop bots, and they're causing me all manner of bother. But yeah, I think it's one of those things where you know, I just want to get them done so that I've got that full army painted. You know, that three thousand points or whatever that I've got painted 
So wherever I go, I will have it and it's done. And then I can start thinking about painting other things. So is it just um, the one Malkador you've got to paint? So I've got a Malkador to paint and the Night Gallant to paint, which will give me my five and a half thousand points of fully painted stuff for have the you, have you ever um, had a, 30k channel. Have you ever had oh. a Malkador before? Because I'm trying to think. Have you? Have you? No. No. Okay. Or have I? No, I might have had one back in the day with my solar auxiliary, but I never painted it. Um, mm. and I've you, so had, you had some Dracosians. Yes, I had some Dracosians, and I had um, the solar auxiliary uh, Medusas. And I painted those as well. Yeah, I think it's, um, you know, there is a certain amount of paint, for, particularly on special characters, because you see a special character and you want to pick it up and look at it, don't you? Yeah. And then you say, yeah. please don't pick it up and look at it because it looks terrible. And the same with the with the Titan. There's nowhere to hide with the Titan. You know, people cannot help. They want to see cool looking big model, you know, stomping across a backfield and it needs to kind of look the part. So. But I've actually been told that when um, I get my Warhammer, because I'm saving for one at the minute, um, that I have to paint it myself. I'm not allowed to hide uh, to... to send it out because it's a model that i was thinking i might do that with but is it a penance thing is that what that is it's, a, it's like you spent the money now you have to ah yeah no they think I've, they, they, they think if i get it i, I, I i'm always going to regret not painting it myself because it's one of those okay. models that you only get the chance to paint once that's very true because you're never, never going to own more than one of those i don't think no, no but yeah it's no, a good point actually so um yeah, and then I was going to say what else? Oh, Harry's painting one of my Gullimans, Reboot Gullimans, because I've got two Reboot Gullimans, and the only reason I've got two is that I got one myself, and then Christian, you remember when he was doing Emperor's Children? Yes. Uh, one of the no. many. Yes. Ultramarines. No, he was doing Emperor's Children. So why did he have Robot Gulliman? Well, he ordered Fulgrim, and in the box was Reboot Gulliman. Oh right, okay, oh, fair enough. Ah, they, the story makes sense now. I was like, he's Absolutely. finally lost it. Because I, I, I had the model and I was like, why is it in a Fulgrim box? And I've never asked him. And I asked him a little while ago and he was like, oh, they sent me the wrong model. They just said, keep it. Nice. So he uh, sold that to me for uh, 20 Very quid. Cool. He made 20 quid out of us. He's good, Chris. Bargain. He, does, he, he, he could have charged full price for it, really. Totally. But he was like, no, nah, I just want 20 quid. I was like, all right then. Great stuff. Okay. So, what have you been doing, my friend? What have I been doing? I painted up a Mark V assault squad. Um, five? Mark V, yeah. Different. Um, I just thought, why not? Um, I wanted a troop choice. I want troop choices for my word bearers. It's sort of my hobby resolution for the year. I'm going to have two troop choices for the word bearers. Right. Because at the yeah. minute, they are a Pride of the Legion or Primarch's chosen force. So I always have to take bets or Terminators in my choice. And I've got lots of Terminators because um, it's a mostly Terminator or heavy arm. And right. I thought, you know what? There are times when I want to take something else. I want to take a different right of war. Variety yeah. is the spice of life, as they say. Because I've managed to get to eight thousand, is it six, eight thousand points, without having a single troop choice. Well, there is a tactical support squad, so okay. is there? It's actually, yes, it's plasma, plasma gun tactical support squad. You know, got you. Um, and I've managed to get to there without doing it. So I thought, you know what, I'll get two troop choices, but I'm not just going to go tactical. Well, I will eventually, but I'm going to get an assault sculpt squad and a breacher squad first. Got you. So I've got just to yeah. flesh it out and give it some variety as to yeah. But the the Mark V assault squads actually really nice. It's quite cool because the um, weapons on them yeah, with the with the Mark IV assault squad I did for my Ultramarines, the weapons are sort of a set arm, but with the um, 
the Mark V, you can you get you get the arms, and then you get the weapons, and they can go on either arm. Okay, so okay. It's a lot more. It's an interesting suit of armor. I'm just actually going to get uh, googled what Mark V looks like. I know we talked about this the other day, but so this is where you don't have an edge on the pauldrons. Yeah. On the and you have like knobbly bits all over. All over. Yeah. All over. The actual the front the face is quite cool. Even on the cod piece. Oh yeah, um, noble nodules on your cod piece. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's, 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 uh, that's a, a Nurgle issue, isn't it? I think. <laughs> it, 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 it actually, it's quite cool. Actually, it's it's a nice mark of armor, and it was sort of like, yeah, I've now painted a suit of every mark of armor. So, um, oh yeah. I'm quite happy with that. And it's... see, I like I like having a little edge highlight on, you know, so by the put gold or something on those. I'm a big fan of the Mark III, as you know. So yeah, anyway, I prefer the Mark. I prefer, I prefer Mark III, but I just thought, why not Mark V? So when did Mark V? So Mark V, I, I know it's the heresy. It's heresy oh, armor. Heresy era. Yeah. So it's it's, it's 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 supposed to be bits of armor from taken from different marks. And put together, right. but the yeah. but it's usually depicted as sort of like field repaired armor with no, with the nodules on them to the oh, reinforcing okay. studs. It's to reinforce it and things, isn't it? Yeah. Okay. okay. Very cool. It's actually a, a not. Yeah, it's I, not. Well, a, okay. It's not bad actually. It's just different. Definitely. And it's a very very um, adaptable adaptable kit. Got you. Yeah. yeah. No. I, I totally get that. Very nice. And then, other than that, I've just been—I've just bought a couple of bits. I bought the um, uh, army of dark compl- for my army of dark compliance. That I'm going to do for the word bearers, um, which needs the troop choices. I bought a cultist yep. assault box because I need lots of cultists. Should have said I've got loads of them here. Oh, everyone needs cannon fodder. I, I, I maybe I, I may be talking to you later about them, Graham. Yeah, yeah I've got about twenty unmade. Oh, that would that would help. That would help. And yeah, but I'm not sure I want to help. <laughs> but my, you want to, you don't want to torture me with make with making me build and paint a hundred cultists. No, but then it's what you're gonna do with those hundred cultists, Michael. What are you gonna do with a hundred cultists? Please tell me. I'm going to I'm I'm going to have them. Um, um, they're going to guard something, aren't they? They're going to guard something. They're going to guard the Titan, uh, <laughs> and but until I get the Titan, they're going to guard the um, the glaive. Or them, right. or them, yeah, so, probably the glaive. So they're kind of like a sort of mechanicum culty thing. Yeah. Oh, I like that. So like, the thing being, you... the, mecha- the, the 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 Titan Legion has, um, you know, the the Securitari have sort of said, no, we're going to stay loyal. So they said, sorry, we'll just have some cultists instead. You know, they're they're even more expendable. Yep. Fair um, play. Once you've got the Titan, mm-hmm. are you just going to take them off their bases and glue them to the Warhound like a like a flesh shield kind of thing? <laughs> nah, I'm just I'm just I'm to just represent g- them g- guarding g- it without having separate. to move I'm the still, models. I'm still not sure whether the Titan will get a base or not. I mean, it should, but I've seen the feet of the, uh, of a Warhound, and that looks quite cool. I've seen the feet of a Warhound. <laughs> uh, there's lots of detail underneath there. There's, there is lots of detail underneath there, and it sort of feels like you know you're paying to hide it. Um, but the thing with an army of dark compliance is you've got to have more militia units than you have, um, Astartes units. Do you know what? Actually talking about things we should do in the future, I would love to do, cause I don't really understand how it works. If I'm honest with you, mm-hmm. my poor brain can't cope with very complicated things that aren't space Marines. So I think what I'd like to do, actually, we should do that. We should do a full cults and militia thing. Cause I know they they look cool and 
I would really love to work out how their uh, force org and stuff all hangs together and what you can do with them. So yeah, sure. We should be, do that. We will do, we will do that one thing. We'll put it on the ideas list. Okay, so yeah. what about games? Who's there, who's played a game this month? Yeah. Yeah. Nope. No, me neither. Me neither. Uh, it's just been busy, busy, busy. Yeah. Okay. It sucks, actually. I feel awful. I haven't played a game for ages. And, of course, oh. with Company of Legends, I'm not going to play a game. So, curses. I think we'll, try, we'll try and get a game in at some point. Well, I, I'm hoping you two can at least get a game in at, at some point, because hopefully we'll have at least... Uh, you know, room for one table set up for you two. Oh, the three of us should be able to find, rope someone else in and have a, for lack of a better phrase, a four-way. <laughs> yep. 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 You went there. Yes, you're right. And I mean, I'm sure I suppose. Yeah, but he went there, didn't he? He couldn't, he couldn't avoid it. Couldn't avoid I it. Guess well, the problem is that, you know, most people are probably going to be completely knackered, aren't they, after playing three games yeah. on the Saturday? But you see, yeah, the way, you, the way we, you could do it is if we get a table set up, if just leave enough rolling. terrain. You can just keep. Oh, sorry. Uh, you can just have yes. the game going all day. You don't have wrong. to do it in a in a yeah. set time. Okay. Set time. Okay. So that'd be awesome. okay. So shall we move on to the State of the Union? Absolutely. Okay. Okay, so we're going to move on to our State of the Union section. So this is our, our our look at what's been going on in the world of heresy, and sometimes it moves into to wider games workshop because you know it does affect it. Mm. So um, okay, so let's have a look. All right, so uh, I'll start off with the first mm. section, which was the um, Black Library twentieth um, anniversary, which was on the twenty fourth of February. And that was, uh, that was, that was a interesting day. They had the, the Eisenhorn model out. I know I got one. Did you got one, didn't you, Graham? Yes, I did. Yeah. Yes, oh, I, did. I missed out. This, this is going to be a line item. It's not limited edition. Oh, uh, okay. That's all right. Then. So you'll still be able to get it, Chris. Um, but it's going direct only, I believe. Ah, no, that's fine. That's I can live with that. But I loved the books. It's a yeah. nice model. I think, got... Actually, I think Gray, you lent me them way back. Have you got, yeah. have you got the new one? No, I haven't actually. Either. No, I haven't either. Actually, it's 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 quite good. It's quite. It's quite really good. good. That's a, the, I, I believe that was on the back, wasn't it? On the. <laughs> it's, quite it's acceptable. Quite good. It's extremely good in back. It's a very, okay. it's a very, it's a very, very, very good book. But um, yeah, so they also had the the, the twenty years of Black Library postcards, um, which we talked about earlier, and nope. with every purchase of a physical item. From Games Workshop, Forge World, Black Library, um, in store or online, you've got a uh, free uh, paperback Black Library celebration book, and it had in it six short stories: um, two from 40k, two from the Age of Sigma, and two from Heresy, which wasn't the Lightning Tower, that Tower, and the Dark King. Because whenever they do Heresy books, I don't know what it is, but they always seem to do. If they're doing anything Heresy, like a short story, they always seem to do those two books. They're good. It's just you know, I mean, it's like in that Crusade book, which is sort of like the intro novel for for forty um, k. The heresy they put in, you know, the Lightning Tower. And it's oh, like, right. How many times can you figure out how to sell this same book to us? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Everyone that wants to read it has read it at this point, and yes, yeah. But then again, I suppose Crusade is is specifically for newcomers to no. the thing. Anyway, um, the two stories that they picked were Into Exile by Aaron Dembski Bowd which is a, a really good book. Sorry, it's not a book, it's a story. Yep. 
Yeah, really, really good. I do recommend if you, if you read that. It's sort of like a, um, a prequel to Master of Mankind. Okay. Um, about um, Arkan Land, who is essentially going into exile, as the title says. Yeah. Um, you know, when he was leaving Mars, when the Imperial Fist went to Mars to, <clears throat> to get everyone off there. Straighten things out. Save some, save some armor and some ammo. Yep. And then, um, last son of uh, Prospero by Chris Rate, which is sort of like um, a uh, you know, it's dealing with the um, the loyalist uh, is Arvida the loyalist um, Thousand Son. Okay. Yeah, who's no, hanging nice. out with the White Scars? I think his name was Arvida. But he's like the, the one that everyone reckons is the, uh, the 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 founding chapter master of the Blood Ravens. Uh, okay, okay, that's what everyone reckons. But that's what Laurie Goulding says no, he it? isn't. It's interesting how the Thousand Sons. You would have thought, being as they kind of felt that they did, they were kind of pushed into the heresy rather than actively in, in, embraced it. You know, you'd think there'd be more loyalist Thousand Sons, wouldn't you? Well. But was... you got about a month they were persecuted because they were cyclists. Oh, oh, yeah, so it's basically join us or basically get shot by the other side anyway. They're not going to accept you in like they may do with, I don't know, white... Lawless um, world eaters, perhaps. Yeah, yeah exactly. Well, in, in the end of um, A Thousand Sons, it was sort of like implied that, that you know, there are only a thou- literally a thousand word bearers left. Um, and that was a bit... Not word bearers, thousand sons. Uh, the, uh, yeah. There was one thousand thousand sons left, but yes, sort of like during um, Crimson King. Spoiler alert here, so skip forward a few seconds. Um, <laughs> some word bear, some more. No, I keep got word bearers on my mind. Um, some more thousand <laughs> sons. The fleet that he sent away from Prospero turns up. So okay, there's enough. a lot. There's a lot more of them, but they all turn yeah. up in this um, the planet of the sorcerers. Got yeah. Okay. Anyway, so so there are a lot of them, but they all did turn. It seems a lot. Mo- most of them turned rogue. Yes, yeah. and I guess you're right. It's it's basically they obviously you know they they wanted to you know use their psychic powers. They thought there was no harm in it, and then it's basically like I say they they gave them you know no choice really. And they were kind of driven. Well, to- if you if you have you ever read the Araman trilogy by John Do you French? Know what? I haven't, because I liked Araman in um, A Thousand Sons, and I like the book A Thousand Sons as well. The Araman um, trilogy by John French, it's really, really good. It's sort of like, um, you know, what how Araman sort of went from um, where he was at the end of the heresy, which, well, we haven't got to him in the end of the heresy yet, but sure. there's a lot of hints about what he was like at the end of the heresy to how he became the character he is now um, yeah. in 40k. And um, in that, they actually do a lot of um, exploration about that, I mean, John sort of really expands upon a lot of the things that the unanswered questions from Thousand Sons, the novel. And oh, cool. there's, um, things like the, um, you know, the, the, um, the, the, uh, oh, what do they call them? The tutelaries. I don't know if you remember them from. Oh, yeah. 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 The friendly demons. Yeah. He explains in the book that they are actually, they are actually demons. Mm. So the That's... Thousand Sons were sort of consorting with demons right from the off. Way back then. Yeah. Way back when. Okay, fair enough. So the whole Magnus did nothing wrong is a bit, well, yeah. you know. Burn a lot of them. They were involved in some pretty shady stuff there, weren't they? <laughs> yeah. Look, I'll keep to my slightly narrow worldview on Thousand Suns, thank you, and blame Space Wolves forevermore for being aggressive 
overly yeah. testosteroned Muppets. Yeah. So, um, okay. So, ne- ne- what happened next? Do you want to take this one, Graham? Oh yes, I do. Uh, so this is oh yeah, Heresy Army was featured rather in a bit of fantastic programming, um, and serendipity. Serendipity. Uh, this month's White Dwarf, there is a Iron Warriors Army by Ben Greaves. Uh, so it's great because obviously we've now, um, you know, people have said, oh, Heresy's, you know, on the back burner. But there's a Heresy Army in White Dwarf this month, which is great because that keeps, obviously, um, Heresy in the forefront of people's yeah. minds when people, you know, pick up and read White Dwarf. So, uh, do you know, what? I haven't, I did try and find this two seconds ago. I did a quick Google for it, but I haven't seen this because I don't get White Dwarf. You don't get so White Dwarf. I'm going to find you my copy. All right, cool. I'll end you my okay. copy. Um, but no, it's a really, so really, side, really nice-looking army. As a segue, um, I did a quick search for Iron Warriors and went onto the Games Workshop site, thinking I might see a picture of White Dwarf with them in. And it actually, I didn't realise you could still buy the sort of Iron Warriors Warsmith. So good news, I'm going to get one of them. He, is, anyway. he is in the um, the new rulebook. Is he? Yeah, okay. he's one of his pictures. There's a picture of him in the new rulebook. He just doesn't have the... Um, the the servo arm on the backpack, but okay. I, he ma- he ma- he would make put on a thirty two mil base, and he'd make an f- absolutely fantastic warsmith. That's what I was thinking. He'd make a good uh, you know either a good HQ or Centurion or something. Yeah, yeah, because he's his armor works. It does I was just and it's not too chaosy. No, that's very true. So yeah, so anyway, up the Iron Warriors as they say, and uh, good stuff to see in White Dwarf this month. Oh, we just got a message from um from. From Chris on, on Facebook. Yeah. Um, oh, this is yeah. Some pictures of Ben's army. Yeah, to see. You uh, can, okay. See it. So you are a star. Let me just get. His... Yeah. So these are some of the, the units. That, I mean, this is a land raider. He's been doing a lot of land raiders of late. Uh, I'm friends with him on Facebook. He's a good guy. Um, excellent Iron Warriors player, player. Excellent army. I think you may have seen the army in in person, uh, Graham, when you went to that event in the northwest. Ah yes. Oh, that does look nice, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. He's painted quite a few armies. He's a. He's a well, I like his uh, silver's lovely, isn't it? A very matte silver he's got going on there. Yeah, a very clean look for the Iron Warriors. Mm. But if you look at these land raiders that he's got there, if you see the couplers and the um, uh, and the covering for the um, the bolters. Yeah, they're the command rhino ones. Aren't, oh, they are, aren't they? They're from the yeah, from the yeah. Um, White Dwarf. Yeah, and he's got a couple of them. White Dwarf from the World Warhammer World exclusive. Yeah, he's got a couple of them. So he's. I wonder whether he just took, just bought a couple of them and then didn't put all of the because if you look at the side as well, the side is actually yeah. that's exactly the same side because it's got the uh, the kind of detail on the side as the command land raider. Yeah, and um, yeah, no, he's, he's, always, he's always posting pictures, especially of his kid with his Warhammer stuff. Got he's a brave uh, man. He is a he brave is. man, especially especially ah. If you look on his Twitter wow. feed, there is a little picture of his. It's not a big picture, but you can see the amount of warriors in there. I'll send that. I'll yeah, send that. He's got, yeah. Have you his found that? Is, puts mine to shame. Let's put it that way. Oh, I mean, he's a phenomenal painter, as Ben, and a nice guy to boot. It's a great hobby because I mean that, that looking. I'm guessing well, that's his centurion with the cloak and everything. That's, that's, a, that's a cool little model. Yeah, I've, oh, I've just sent you that. that I've just sent you the, the picture of the preview of White Dwarf, uh, and I'll show you my copy on uh, uh, next time I see you. That is great. Yeah, fantastic he's, army. And it's, he's got like uh, I wonder what he's got going on there. Cause he's got a Volkite charger and a sword. I wonder if that's his Kier Valen. Yeah, looks cool. 
Yeah. Very cool. Does look, yeah, yeah, and what cool. he has done as well, which is interesting, and it's featured in this in, in, in White Dwarf, is he's got a um uh he's got like he's got a uh, Leviathan dreadnought, which he has painted up as a which is actually a redemptor from um the the plastic redemptor dreadnought, the Primaris one. Okay. Um and it's actually a really good conversion. That is a spectacular looking army. Yeah. Uh, my hat's off to you, my friend. Well done, Ben. Keep the keep the the fires of Olympia burning. I think this is the second time he's been in White Dwarf with a featured army as well. Oh, no one likes to show off. No. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. I so, like his Reaver Titan as well. I've been toying with it, the idea of a Reaver Titan. Not ever using Warhammer. Is he the guy that's got a Titan Legion as well? Oh, blimey. There's a, there's a guy up in the north. I think actually there's a couple of them in the northwest who have Titan Legions. Crivens. They take it quite seriously up there. They do, don't they? they do. There's okay. some great models in there. Like, I still think I'll out-tank him, so that's all, all that matters. But Tanky, yes, yeah. very good. Well, his army contains, contains things like Outriders and... <laughs> who wants that in an Iron Warriors army? Yeah, Does he yeah, know yeah. nothing? Anyway, okay. So moving on, we've got the uh, Black Library live tickets went on sale on the tenth of March. Mm. I bought mine. Cool. Of course you did. Is this um, down at Warhammer World or is it the Belfry or something like that? Down at Warhammer World. This is just the one day. Mm. Um, They're fifteen pounds each, and attending so far, Heresy Authors. You've got Dan Abnett, John French, Nick Kime, and Josh Reynolds. Uh, Phil Kelly is also there, and I understand. I'm told that he had some input into both Hor- Horus Heresy box sets. Okay, what what box sets would those be? Uh, Betrayal the... of Calf and um, Ah, okay, uh, yeah. Prospero. Okay, and the new Heresy so Heresy Primarchs book, the limited edition Vulcan uh, Lord of Drakes, will be available for advanced sale. <laughs> I just look, read your show notes actually. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, I'm going to be there. I wear my T-shirt, and if anybody wants to buy me a pint, cool, or punch me in the face for making you listen to my awful voice. That's you've got the you've got a voice of an angel. You you have a voice designed for podcasting. It's smooth. It's my daughter. It's got a lovely timber. It's no, because like I've, I've heard I've heard jo- I've heard Johnny from the Sons of Heresy, and uh, if you're talking about voices designed for podcasting, well, really, I think yours is better than his, mate. Oh God, so no. you got to. Chris, you're going to have to back me up here. His voice I mean, he he, he is pretty smooth sounding, but, you know, I'm sticking with my team. (laughs) It's a a voice off. Uh, We're going to see him in September. We are. We'll sit you both down. We'll get you to. I'm not sure if they are, actually. They haven't. They've actually their new episode got released today, so yeah, literally, yeah, literally, literally moments ago. So I say moments yeah, ago, like so. an hour ago. Um, I haven't listened to it yet. I, I could, have, but I, I, I think we get you and we get him to sit down, read a passage of a of one of the books, oh, and then we'll yeah. we'll put it to a vote. Yeah, that's a great plan. Okay. Uh, all right. So, and then the next bit, um, we got the. Do you, do you want to do this one, Chris? The termite assault drill. Yeah. Yes. Which has been previewed, which is. Uh, awesome looking little thing. We t- we, is this a, was there some discussion I saw on our pages that whether you could take it as a, as part of a imperial army or not? Or yeah, so, yeah um, was it mechanicum only or someone it, thought it was mechanicum only? But it, it right because they they released they did a little preview of the rules, didn't they, Mike? Yes, yes, there was a preview of the rules at the Heritage Weekender. Yeah. They, I will link them in the show notes. 
Uh, they're, they're, the, they're the sort of prototype rules, and they are for um, Astartes. And I believe it's 12 men in one of these. Got you. If I remember correctly, because I was thinking 10 breaches um, and an apothecary. How long do you think it's going to be before we see one painted up like a Thunderbirds model? Not long. Uh, about a week. About yeah. <laughs> unless unless they release them early at an event, um, which I think the next event coming up is Warhammer Fest. So no, I think they'll be out before Warhammer Fest. Um, okay. I was going to say if if so, it'll be like within days of uh, days before the release. But <laughs> no, it won't be long. Really cool model, like, and I, and I love the idea behind it. I still think that the the only way that you could run this is if you had twelve squats, personally, yeah, I for for a militia army, because that would just be exactly can, what they would. You can like. buy them. You can you can buy sort of third party, you can. small small guardsmen, as it were. Can yeah. you can you buy the the squat model from Forge World yet? No, no. The Necromunda one? No, is he not being released yet? Yeah. Oh, I don't know. Actually, that's a that's a whole different kettle of fish. That man. That's an expensive way to go. That isn't it? <laughs> yes, I, I, I know some people who are talking about. It. I know some people who are talking about it. No, you can't. You can't get him yet. You can just get the the higher guns and the, and the beastmen. It's interesting, actually. So that if if they do release that model, if it is a model they are going to release, the Necromunda squad. Oh yeah, no, yeah. he's definitely coming. He's definitely, yeah, yeah. There so was that, a whole little funny video about it. Got it, yeah. So, um, did you not see the funny video? I did, actually, yeah. It's like when the, they reset the clock, don't they? Yeah. yeah, yeah. But that does mean that they are part of the canon again, doesn't it? Yes. It's yeah. not that they never existed. They are actually genuinely part of the canon. So They've they've never said that they didn't exist. They were in the um, uh, sixth edition rulebook. They just mentioned them in the back. You know, types of oh, abhumans. Okay. Um, you know yes. they had beastmen and they had uh, they had squats yeah. mentioned, but they're, they're still on the canon. It's just, I mean, you would have thought they'd be in the Horus Heresy canon as well. Well, you would have done, wouldn't you? Because if I'm not, because they got eaten by Tyranids. Yeah, so this is yeah. in the Heresy. You you can see them. Can't you make a squat army with the um, militia cult militia rules? Actually, I'll tell you what. That's what I'm going to do. <laughs> that's your thing, is it? That's what oh, I'm going to do when we do the cult militia. I'm going to see if I can make an army of squats and make it fluffy. Fair enough. Okay. You'd have to buy okay. your models third party, but that's no issue. Um, it's only an issue I mean, if you want to play at Warhammer World. I think it's... Well, I mean, I'm trying to think whether you could convert... Could you convert those um, uh, Age of Sigmar models? You know, oh, the guys... the Arconauts. Yeah, possibly. Oh, yeah. You know, because they're sort of halfway there. Yeah, it's a, bit, right. it's, a lot, it's a lot further along now, isn't it, that sort of setting, so... Yeah. Yeah, I didn't even okay. think of that. But then again... Because that would give you... Then you're not breaking anybody's rules, are you? Yeah. So... Uh, that's the only thing that sometimes puts me off third-party stuff. I agree. Because the, the, the time when I want to go to Warhammer World, I'm not going to use something. I think I've kind of shied away. I don't think I've got anything third-party in mind at all. No, everything is... is You've got your Cyclone and... Missile launchers. Yeah, I think, you know, that's... Do you going to get passed in that? No, they'll make you take them off as you walk in. Oh, that would suck, wouldn't it? I think the only <laughs> time it's really a massive issue is if you actually go to, to an event at Warhammer World. I know people who do play, you know, uh, Warhammer World, and they take um, not, you know, the the, the non-standard, you know, third-party stuff. And I think the only time that anybody ever kicks off about it is, uh, you know, Warhammer, uh, you know, Games Workshop staff is at tournaments when it, it does say you've got to make them out of uh, out of war, out of uh, Citadel models. Mm, All Forge World models, yeah. I think that's the I only time. Even thought about those cyclone missile launchers on top of those siege terminators. Damn. 
Okay. But they look close enough. I think, you know, I'm just looking at the, the Arcanaut guys. I think you could quite easily have use those as some sort of militia. Because they've got, they've got like, well, yeah, all you do is put bolters in their hands. The thing with they've mil- got a close combat weapon. The, the thing with militia is there's no absolute uniform. uniform of how they must look, which is why, I mean, it's, it's like you, you see a lot of guys in Australia and, and America who don't have, you know, the res- Warhammer world at their doorstep. So for them, it doesn't, enter into their into their thought processes if i build this army i can't build i can't play with a warhammer world and they yeah. go absolutely nuts with the with the um with the third party stuff that party and conversions yeah true enough because okay. i mean i've seen stuff made with bolt action models um you know victor you know there's various mini the victoria miniatures yeah yeah victoria mm. miniatures um uh, and lots of other you know companies out there who make you know militia type models and yeah uh, you know, think, you can make ones from British, you know, Zulu, uh, not Zulu War era. Yeah, that kind I, I can't of, remember yeah. what the wars were called. Yeah, yeah. Was it called the Zulu Wars? The yeah. Boer War. Uh, Ro- Roach Drift and all that. Yeah, the Boer the Bo- no, no, Bo- War. Bo- Bo- was against the um, Africans. So that's the Dutch, yeah. yeah. So yeah, I think Dutch. it was, I don't know it was the Zulu Wars per se, but I think it was just one of those other sort of conquests of uh, Africa kind of thing. All, all those nasty, you know, the, the, the not so great things that the British Army did. You know. Yeah, but the film's great. <laughs> oh yeah, the film is the film is phenomenal. Um, so yeah, so it's, it's, it's certainly an interesting diversion, that isn't it, to go and see what you could do. But yeah, I think you're right. I would like to do something all in the world. I've been thinking about whether we should do something as a podcast because uh, I think you can, you know, maybe say, look, why don't we do uh, an event down there at some point and sort of see if we can get people along? That'd be cool. But yeah. anyway. Yeah. Okay. So, what else? What else was there? There's a few little bits and bobs that have happened this this month, um, which which we're going to cover. We've got the um, okay, Gino Five Two. They're selling some um, podcast dice, mm. which you know, advertising another podcast always a good thing to do. And mm. there's some good guys. Yeah. They're selling them. They're ten pounds each for a pack of five. I think they said um, twenty two mil dice. Gotcha. Um, okay, cool. And they're actually bringing some to Company of Legends, which they're going to sell them there for seven pounds fifty. Are they? Because you don't have to post. Them. Are they indeed? Are they really? <laughs> they're actually nice <laughs> looking dice. They're pretty big. Is Even though we ripped off their t-shirts, now we're going to rip the dice off as well. <laughs> no, I, yeah, I was just, I was just saying, you know, should we do? Should we should do our own dice at some point? But we, you know, we need to, we, we need to decide what what, what we but, what we do with. But that don't forget, people can buy our merchandise already from. You know, we just they don't can. do dice. Yeah, they yeah. Red, red, they, they, they can go follow the link on our website, and they could, you know, get themselves some mugs, a mouse mat, all sorts you can of. Nice redecorate your house with Age of Empire stuff. I think you can yeah. get a. I don't forget the cardboard cutouts of us. Are exactly, they? the shrine, the shrine to the three of us. <laughs> oh, you're just dressing with me. Sorry. <laughs> I, I, I was just for a minute there. What did we do that? I, I don't know. Sometimes with these, you know, merchandise third party, you know, that yeah. that do your merchandise shop for you. Sometimes they shove stuff in, and it's yeah. like because um, the reason why we went with them is because we got a recommendation. It was actually from the Geno Five Two Boys. It was, wasn't it? Uh, yeah. To use that shop because the 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 shop that they were using, I can't remember who, um, Spreadshirt, I think. You don't get a choice about what what stuff gets offered in the shop. Okay. Right. You just put up. Your, you just put up your um your pictures, and it'll say right. We're doing it this, and you're like, I don't want to do a handbag. Yeah, and it's like no, of course we should do a handbag. But yeah, I get what you're I saying. I think we do a tote bag. Do we? Oh, perfect. 
That's what you need for carrying your rule books in. Yeah, I did do aprons. I was going to say, I got, I got sure some, I got some aprons done for the girls for the for, for Company oh. of Legends. Oh. I, I, I thought that they they were like, should we get t-shirts? And I was like, yeah, but you're going to be sweating and because they're yeah. they're in the kitchen and 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 they were yeah. like, yeah, we'd need two, wouldn't we? And yeah. I was like, well, why don't I get you some aprons? And also functional. Yes, you, know, you need an apron just to you know very useful in the kitchen. Stops your clothes getting knacked. Yeah, so very good. For, I need to actually get a, another t-shirt, don't I, for the um. So you need to order your black one, don't you? I need to get because you can't take white t-shirts. To yeah, the, um... I was, I've set it up for you on the on the, yes. the, the, the that <coughs> store thing. I'll send you another link for it if you want. Yeah. So I ordered another one of our uh, ones for me today, just for next week, just so people know who to boo is, at when I walk into is the that room. The, is that is that from the the link I gave you? Or yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, cool, cool. Because that uh, that that's the one which has got the the like uh, links on the back. Yeah, and yeah, so yeah, people know who to boo at. Yeah, so they can run up to him and punch in the face, according to Michael, if you have an edge and buy a T-shirt. Well, no, if it's Chris, who is obviously the good-looking one of the team. Yeah, exactly. No, but not in the face, not in the face. Yeah, you know, uh, it's fine. But, you know, me or Graham, I I think we're fair game. We're fair game. It's with a blank of wood or something. Yeah. Okay, so next little thing was... Warhammer Cafe. Yeah, it's got a name. I think we should um, go there. What is the name? Oh. Is that, is that just what it's called? Warhammer Cafe. Citadel. Cafe face. It's now, oh, yeah, yeah. They, they put it out to public vote. So oh, you can guess, you know, exactly what was the top choice, apparently, was. Apparently, the top choice was actually Duncan's Donuts. Surely Dawn's Donuts would be much better. Dawn's Donuts. Oh. Duncan's Donuts, like Dunkin' Donuts. Yeah. American. Yeah, I know, but, you know, it's a bit generic. Well, could have been well, Duncan from down the road, couldn't it? If you're in Texas, that's true enough. I, I'm not sure. I don't think. I, do they use the word Duncan in America? Do they use the word Duncan. Of, the well, the I'm name. Trying, I'm, yeah, I'm trying to think if this. I mean, you name me a famous American called Duncan. I don't think I know of any. I thank you. I rest my case. <laughs> there probably is some. <laughs> okay, famous uh... American Duncans. Anyway, we're getting into the territory of not being particularly focused on what we're talking about. Yeah, so, uh, yeah. So I'm going to Google it It's anyway. being called Warhammer Citadel. <laughs> right. And they've got a Facebook page now. Okay. That, that's about it for okay. that. Um, so, yeah. It, Michael it, Clark Duncan? Doesn't know. It's a middle uh, name. That's the last, that's the last name, yeah. Sorry. Is there anyone I can think of? Yeah. Um, okay, so what Sorry. else? Oh, Inferno's coming back. You remember the magazine? Anthology. Story magazine. No. All right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Might be a bit, might be a bit. Chris might be a bit for young for this. Okay, I'm, I'm aware of it though. Yeah, yeah, but that's Mainly coming back. I have a friend to the, yeah, as an anthology of short stories. Uh, they haven't said if there's going to be any heresy in it though. No, that's still. I, I, I it's encouraging more publications. Yeah, I hope there will be, but there's going to be um, half a dozen short stories in there. Sorry, more than half a dozen because they said that ha- more than half a dozen are coming from. Um, new authors to Black Library. Oh, cool. Okay, good idea. So these are just stories by people who have never written for Black Library before. I'm going to quickly click on the link because I'm not sure I remember this. So it may be that I've missed, missed out in my youth. Anyway. Okay. Oh, that does look slightly... F- yeah, Inferno, that does look slightly f- familiar. Okay. It's, 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 it, I can barely remember it. It's going wow. back. A, it's going back a while. 
I think I, I, I think again, me and Graham have a mutual friend that has collected everything and has a, everything. Yes, and I'm, I'm sure he. Ha- I'm sure I've seen some copies. Got you. Yeah, very cool. Very cool. So, so that'll be that'll be back. I think later this year. Yes. And then, uh, what else? Okay, new Night Armagers. They're not having heresy rules that we know of on launch. Um, but they did say at the Heresy Weekend that they wanted to have rules for them, hopefully in Malevolence. Mm-hmm. So they're the new Mini Knights, and they really are quite mini, actually. Yeah, yeah the, I was surprised, actually, when I saw the picture that came with the the box set, because it's Forge Bane, isn't it, the new yeah, Forge yeah. Bane, yeah. box set? Yeah, yeah I, was surprised at, I was surprised at how sort of small they actually were. They're sort of sentinel size, aren't they? They yeah. are, aren't they? They're kind of like dreadnought size. And they're still, yeah. still a Lord of War. Never. Yeah, they're they're a forty k Lord of War. In as a squad or individually? Individually. Blimey, that's weird, isn't it? Okay. Yeah. But so they, I mean, they, you, yeah, I thought they were just like dreadnoughts, really. Yeah, know? yeah, just like mechanic and dreadnoughts. But you which get, I suppose they got plenty of anyway. But but there's an advantage to having small lords or cheap lords of war because you can you can take that super heavy detachment. Oh yes, you can, um, and get extra command points. Got you. Of course, it's all about command points these days. Okay, it'd be interesting what they do with them in Heresy, though. Whether yes. they end up as the Lord of War choice, or whether they put them as a, you know, some kind of heavy support choice for mechanical armies or something. Well, if they're going to be for Questorus Knights, I think they'll they will be Lord of Wars. Um, but we'll see. Depends. Oh, yes, yes. True. Maybe they'll be an elite section, elite choice for knight armies or fast yeah. attack, perhaps. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. okay. Um, then there was a bunch of stuff revealed at Gamma, which is sort of like the uh, game industry trade show in Reno. Right. It's not uh, nothing for heresy, but they revealed Kill Team for 40k. And in that, right. they sort of said, oh, by the way, there's some new scenery coming. Okay. Oh, sneaky. So um, the new scenery actually looks really nice. So Kill Team, if I'm right on this one, Kill Team is the, it's like a skirmish game not like Necromonda, but you have a squad of like seven or eight individuals, don't you? And you fight yeah. a, like on a battlefield rather than in a hive. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. But apparently yeah, um, it's going to be complete. This this version of Kill Team, and we're going into 40k here, is not we going to be based on the 8th edition rule set at all. Oh, okay. Um, it's not going to be a, a fork of that. It's going to be completely different. So, separate thing right. together. Separate oh, nice. so, maybe Chris will pay it. Mm. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. I, I almost got convinced to play a game of 40k the other day. You should just to. You I should. Just, it's not as bad as it's not I, as bad as you think. Yeah, I did, and, and then uh, yeah, no, I'm right. <laughs> it, 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 as with all things, it depends who you play with and what uh, and, and and your attitudes towards the game. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's that's very true. If you play with if you play with someone who only cares about winning, which sadly is a good deal of forty k players, then you can have a miserable time. But that, it would be exactly the same with heresy. Yeah, no, that's that's very true. Very very true. The voice of reason once again. See, not only soothes soothes my soul. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and then finally, uh, Warhammer Community are offering free tickets to Warhammer Fest in May uh, for cosplayers. <gasps> Right, great. We get out, get out the get old out the armor. Get out the old armor. So you've got a sentry. You've got your, yeah, you've got your 116th stuff still, Chris. Uh, it's it's in the loft somewhere. 
good stuff. So uh, nice for for pictures by April, I can't remember when in April, but um, yes. I'll follow the link and have a look. Uh, but they're asking for pictures by April. Um, the some to email pictures by April the twenty seventh. Oh, I'll find my tennis cat badge and everything. Yeah. Um, so for those who, who we haven't spoken to, I suppose there's probably about three people we haven't told this to. Uh, Chris and I both used to do LARP. What we still do. Well, that's it. Yeah. One of us does. I, I, I haven't done it for a year. Um, but uh, in this LARP system, we actually went in a... It was a very weird and open kind of LARP system. We went as... Uh, Imperial, Imperial Guard with a her- with a Inquisitor, and I was the Inquisitor, and a friend of ours who was super talented made some um, power armor for me. And Chris and everybody else in our group, where there was a, at one time, I think it was probably near a fifteen oh, people, yeah, possibly. Yeah, yeah, we all had. Like, we made this um, sort of future defense force armor. And then you used army surplus and well, converted that. It looked really good. A sort of um, sort of Cadian arm, wasn't it? It was like it was foam, Cadian, like yeah, Cadian, Cadian armor. Yeah. And we had the we had uh, two guys that were Ogrins as well, didn't we? We did. Yes, we did. That was that was awesome. So anyway, sorry, so, bit of a digression. So, so a couple of Geordies. They were they weren't <laughs> Geordies, but they were no. big fellas. And um, so yeah, so that was really cool. But anyway, unfortunately, I sold the armor, but I think with the Tannis stuff is still kicking around because I think you yes, know, you've got I've, a camera, yes, didn't you? I've 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 never thrown any LARP stuff away ever. I've had some, I I think I still have my uh, Tannis dagger kicking oh, about. Very nice. We had some Tannis daggers, LARP safe Tannis Tannis. They were cool, weren't they? Yeah. I've got the Crozius. Oh yeah. I'll 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 find it. I'll take some photos of it. We should take some photos and share the share the joy with the world. Yeah, and people, yeah. Let's, let's make people realise how weird we actually are. <laughs> <laughs> I've never actually laughed. <gasps> I know, right? I kept, I kept meaning to, but I lived in the middle of nowhere in, in Suffolk, and it was I was hard enough getting games of games of Warhammer. Fair play. Uh, just uh, yeah. Well, I think people do do forty k LARP now, don't they? There is a forty k LARP. People do airsoft with it. They don't know, I think, which is oh yeah, that makes sense. Just, I believe. Well, I don't want. I don't want to get shot at. Neither do I. It sounds way too dangerous. <laughs> yeah, I mean. Hitting people, I mean, that's yeah, much safer. That's okay. You know, I've only been knocked out twice doing it, but anyway. Yeah. <laughs> close combat's okay, but actually people shooting a proper gun with... I mean, that airsoft shoots like pellets, doesn't it? Yes, I believe so. I, uh, mm. we, we may have digressed well off the beaten oh, track. We really are. We're, you can tell we've got... We've got off on so many tangents. Apologies to our long-suffering listeners. We're getting into terrible territory. Right, come on, lads. Okay, Let's so get... that's, that's pretty much everything from, you know, the world of 40K, Warhammer. Sort of, we've gone on a few tangents, and obviously we covered bits that not necessarily heresy, but sort of related, so... Yes. Uh, okay, People so... know what's going on, and that's yeah. the important thing. So yes. we'll move on to the book section, which is... And, and the start of the Iron Warrior loving. Yeah, yeah. Yes, start the Iron Warrior. let's do it. Okay, so uh, book section, um, which Graham has said he's going to be 
mostly silent for because uh yeah because he doesn't read very he can't be this time surely i can't be this time i've got to actually interject oh you're gonna interject okay okay so there's no new black library releases this month for heresy um well you know since we had the last episode um so so we're just gonna really go over a few of the emperor through the books containing the um iron warriors so we'll start out with the first book in which we really got them in heresy which was uh angel exterminatus so yes what did you, you you've read have you read that graham i'd like to say yes um but i've read half of it i listened to half of it but unfortunately fulgrim kind of annoyed me if i'm just, truthful yeah fair enough i know i shouldn't you know but yeah but yes, it is good. It, don't get me wrong. And I will pick it up and finish it for sure. But anyway, go on, you guys talk about it. Yeah, so what did you think about it, Chris? Well, I think it's a great... I, I really enjoyed it. I mean, it, I read it when it first got released. It's been a... I don't think now. That was three years, maybe not, or more. Possibly, yeah. Three, four years now. Um, but I think, like I say, it's the first time we really got to look at Perturabo and the Iron Warriors. Yeah. And it's interesting having them with that playoff with Fulgrim because they are miles apart in how those two legions are. Yeah. Actually, is this the one where the beginning where they have this big procession of all of the sort of strange goings on in the Emperor's children? They do have a bit of a, uh, a look at some of the strange going on, but I don't think there's a procession. Oh, maybe I'm thinking of another book where I just dreamt one. No, when um, when Fulgrim first comes to Perturabo. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. The, 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 the parade, yeah. Yes. Yeah, I was, I was getting mixed up there. Yes, there is a bit of a parade, yes. Uh, and and Perturabo is like, oh. What on earth is what going on here, yeah. And all the arm warriors are like, what the blue blazes are these bobbins up to? Yeah, yeah, they are, they, they're they're two good legions to put together because you know they, they they do they are very very different from each other. Which actually, I suppose, is why did they you know what was in it for Perturamo? I suppose was there was there any common ground between the two legions? So it's an interesting one. Mm, well, no, not really. Mm. Yes. The, the the emperor's children were just after what they were after. Um, yes, but uh, you know, Fulgrim didn't really give a damn. About, no, he did not. About, no, just, about uh, Perturabo. Just wanted his uh, plan. Just, yeah. yeah. Knows what he wants and how he's yeah. going to use, use Yarn Warriors to get it, basically. And it was uh, Gray McNeil. So, you know, obviously, it introduced a lot of the, uh, the beginnings, a lot of the characters from books like Storm of Iron and, and, the, and the thing there. Uh, yes, and, uh, which, the is books, a, which I have read. Is it? And though it's not a heresy book, I recommend any Iron Warrior to read it because it's a great siege book. Yeah, they are anyway. actually they are actually fairly good books. Um, mm. The Graham McNeil sort of ser- Ultramarines and uh, Iron Warrior series that he does there. But, I think uh, you can buy it as a compendium, can't you? you yeah, I think there's a two, maybe three compendiums of the books yeah. that Got he's you. done. Um, yeah, but um, uh, so it's a sequel to Fulgrim and the introduction to the Iron Warriors. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so really quite good book. And it's the the uh, the in, I like the infighting because it's sort of like you wonder, you know, because I know in relative terms in in heresy that the, the civil war was quite short. You know, because when you're talking about forty k in general, 
you know, the, mm. the, when they talk about wars and how long something's going to last, it's, it's decades. And the heresy was only seven years. And it's like in this book, it's sort of like the amount of infighting there is between the lead, the two legions. It's sort of like, yeah, well, if he didn't march on terror quite, you know, relatively quickly, they probably would have each oh. torn each other apart. At least that's the oh, way yeah. I, I looked at it. Yeah. 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 That's a good, that's a good way of looking at it. Yeah, I can see that. Because, yeah. yeah, I was supposed to say, why was, you know, Horus in such a hurry? And was his hurry not just because he wanted to kind of take the Imperium by surprise and not give them any rest, but actually, if he hadn't have moved in that pace, then that they the traitor legions themselves would have turned on each other through sort of petty rivalries and ended up destroying each other. Yeah, because not everybody in the, the traitor legions liked each other. No. No, no it's, it's not. It's obviously Mortarian and Magnus, for example. They were not the best chums. Mortarian doesn't like anybody. No. I'm trying to think of anybody. No, you're right. He doesn't. It's true. It, yeah, very true. Um, he hates everybody. Mm. Um, At least and then, he hates them equally. So then the next book that I was going to mention is Talon. And you, oh, you, I, have, I have read this. You haven't read it? I have read this. I have, you haven't? I've read... The, 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 there's like a couple of books in the series, isn't there? Yeah, well, it's one book yeah. now. It's one book now. It's, 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 they, they've put them all together. Oh, okay. They missed off two stories in the series. Right. Um, but they, they've put them all together now. One of them is by a different author, so it's understandable. Why you yeah, cause cause they, they've put it as um, as just being by John French, haven't they? Yes. The, the collection, yeah. Yes, they put it by being by John French. And I actually okay. do feel this is the only book where I actually feel a little bit ripped off when I bought the audio version of it. Because I okay. had, I'd had Ironclad and Executioner, the, the two big books that make up most of it. Yeah. And then I got, with my Audible credit, I got um, Talon the novel, because I thought, okay, well, it will be a new recording. It's got two two stories in there which have never been um, done in audio before. So, you know, I'll buy it. I'll buy it, because I like listening to them all. And I was like, nope, not two new, no new recordings. It was the exact same recordings that they originally did. Okay. Um, it was like, Ugh. Okay. If I so I've listened that, to the audio just, recording for this, and I, I enjoyed it a lot. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good, it's a good, it's a good story. I mean, it's really, really dark because obviously, you know, it's what was it? An oh. arm, the, the, you know, they poisoned the atmosphere with virus. Yeah, there was ten, yeah, million, I mean, ten million tanks mm-hmm. involved in my kind of party. I, th- I think any story that starts with "we're going to effectively just make a planet uninhabitable and kill the population," it's it's tough to come make a positive spin on that. Yeah, the opening move uh, of the battle was to to, to kill everybody. <laughs> Yeah, it's always you know best to I, I think as an Iron Warrior's doctrine, it's perfectly sound. You know, it re- removes a variable. <sighs> well, actually, yeah, it, it fits there well, perfectly. But yeah, so they they turned the the, the planet into a, a poison sludge, um, mm. and then um, yeah, there was that. And so I like the idea of this this battle because obviously that was you know, that gave you the premise that you had to fight everything in armor. Yeah, because um, yep. you couldn't be exposed. Anything, even power armor or Terminator armor, whatever, couldn't be exposed to the elements. It would the the, the atmosphere was that um, toxic, yeah, horrific. Yeah, and I think there's a couple of things in Talon you know, where people get you know, dreadnoughts, for example, get um, uh, sort of cracks or something, and this poison sort of seeps in and things like that. So, um, yeah, really a good story. I liked it. I would like to have probably seen more or heard more about the tank battles. Um, but there were some interesting story arcs here. I like there's a 
I'm trying to think if I can say this without there being any sort of um, spoilers here, but there is some interaction with some assassins and the like, and that's quite cool as well. Yeah, and it's not like the normal type of assassin that you can all expect. No. Completely no. different type. Um, yeah. But the, the, I like it because it's it's actually one of those stories where, you know, a book where it's, it's a compilation, but the the whole is more than the sum of its parts it's it's a lot okay. in my opinion at least anyway because when you put it all together it's a very cohesive story telling it from you know all these different points of view i still would quite like to do a talon army or, or rules for talon whether they will ever do them or not i don't know because you know they're, they're having sort of battle companies led by dreadnoughts for example yeah uh, it's quite a cool yeah. thing, and you can't do that currently. You know, there's no HQ choice that's a dreadnought that I'm aware of. No. Unless you've got oh, the I think there's, a, there's one for the salamanders. Oh. Okay. But, but do you know what I mean? Whether you could take a dreadnought, like you can with like the armoured breakthrough, you know, take a dreadnought as a HQ choice and then maybe have tanks and things under it in that sort of Talon battle mode. Yeah. Which would be yeah, quite cool. That would be quite cool. But, uh, I suppose if you've got a way of making your dreadnought your an independent character, making him your warlord. Yeah, I don't think there's any way of doing but, that either. I think you'd have to basically have a, sp- a specific yeah. rule change for Talon. And I don't know whether they ever will. I mean, th- in terms of the book's timeline, they're not at Talon yet, are they? In, in terms of black books. No. But I imagine, though, it will get covered because it was a pretty major engagement. Yeah. Yeah, yeah definitely. I mean, I that's it, I mean, that armor. Yeah, they must bring out sort of. You know, Forge World must at some point be planning to do rules for mass tank battles and things like that. Yeah, I keep meaning to write my own version of them. Four I know there are, actually, was there are some out, aren't there? Because I know there was a, uh, another group of... of uh, it was, yeah. Them, I think, uh, no, I haven't tried them yet. They, they did write them, um, for sure. But I, I was thinking... And I did read them, but they were... I, I, what I was trying to get to was a was a much quicker game. Yeah. You know, so that basically, you could just rock up and just bring all your tanks and have a game. That kind of ethos, you know, rather than having a more structured things so basically saying right it's x thousand points you know you traitors bring you know five thousand points of assorted tanks and armor and the other side brings us another five thousand points of assorted tanks and armor you know no force organization charts um but things like um, super heavies for example you may limit the super heavies to 30 percent of the army total or something like that yeah. and i think michael came up with a good rule because i was when i was thinking about the rules um i was like yeah but you know you're gonna have five thousand points of tanks on one side and 5,000 points of tanks on the other, whoever goes first is going to have a huge advantage because they're just going to shoot the living bejesus yeah. out of anything on the other side. But Michael came up. So I was thinking about maybe you know giving people additional cover saves on the first turn, but Michael, I think, you came up with the idea of reducing the range. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so basically the first turn, for example, you can only have 24-inch range guns as a maximum you could fire because of Talon's toxic atmosphere in the mornings or yeah, something like it was, that. it was based on one of the... Um, one of the um, can, can, um, cards from the open war cards in the the Warhammer 40k. That's right. See, yeah. It's good for some stuff. Yeah, yeah. but someone means like maybe that might be a way of doing it. Or limiting deployment. Yeah, rolling deployments. I'm, the only thing I don't like about see, I don't I like the idea of having a game where you have all of your stuff out. And I know to get a five thousand points of the tank, you're going to need some big tables. But this is a game rather than like the Centurion mode, which is very much designed for smaller engagements this would be a game a multiplayer game designed for big like one night of a club kind of engagement stuff mm. yeah I just but also i mean just for space on the table really as well yeah i think you'd have to say that <coughs> if you're running that kind of 
battle, you need three or four tables together. It's that sort yeah. of something you do at Warhammer World or something you do at your local club and put three or four tables together and say, right, we're going to have this massive tank and armor battle and it's going to start at 10 in the morning and it's going to finish at, you know, five in the afternoon or something. You know, people do yeah, organize that, that, them on, on, on Warhammer World occasionally. Uh, exactly. There was one before the, um, before the the weekender, there's a few guys who were coming to the to the to company of legends who were were at that, and I mean yeah. there was one guy who tr- who who rammed a um uh, a reaver titan I think it was with a um with a stormbird. Nice, that's class. That's that's heroic. That is heroic. Did you have a stormbird? I'm not going to worry about it. But um, don't worry, he's not bringing a stormbird. No, no, I'm just thinking. Hold on, you have to have a tank to be a ram to do a ram, but never mind. Um, I think they. I yeah. think they just allowed it for rule of course. Thematic, um, awesome. Thematic, awesomeness. But I think you know it's that kind of thing that you know. Actually, I shall put that in. Shall I? Special rule. Um, but yeah, that was the kind of vibe that I was going for. You know, without having to worry about moving lots and lots of little men around. Just basically, you move your tanks. It, it's all the same as armor breakthrough. So basically, you know, you get twelve-inch movement with things that have got three or less hull points. That kind yeah. of thing. I think Talan is definitely a, sort of a good setting for, for that sort of mission if you want to Yeah, I think so. I do think that, it, I think that. Because it, it makes sense. And, it, and also things like to borrow stuff from 8th edition that, you know, maybe on a penetrating hit or your second penetrating hit, there's a chance your vehicle will explode because of the atmosphere that it's basically cracked a vital um, a vital component. Um, and now the atmosphere is sort of seeping in or something or that you've got a turn before the vehicle explodes or something like that. That would be quite cool as well. Yeah. Immobilise, that kind of thing. Yeah. As the crew yeah. die. But yeah. yeah. So, I mean, so that kind of thing would be quite cool just to give it a bit of extra. I don't like too many complicated rules, which is what I was going to go for. Make it a very simple turn up and play kind of rule set. Yeah. But I will put it together. I'm, like I said, on those days off, I'll try and do it, I think. Because I, really quite, I quite like to give it a go. It's just trying to find enough people with enough tanks. Yeah. Okay. So Sorry. Um, that's cool. So the other book... Um, so the next book we're going to talk about, so we're going back to the book, was uh, Perturabo, Hammer of Olympia, um, which mm. is the Primarchs book. I mean, it's Guy Haley's first Horus Heresy book. Right. And I love this book. Oh, yeah. It's really, really good. I've started to listen to it, I will confess. Uh, good, good. It's, it's sort of like, it, it leaves off from, you know, you've got the opening section of Angel Exterminatus, uh-huh. uh, where he's climbing up the ladder. Uh, yep. Not ladder, the, the cliff face. yeah. And yeah. then um, this sort of uh, takes, picks up from that point. Yeah. And it sort of goes from there. And it's, uh, it's, a, it's a really, really good read. Um, so, you know, you see him in his youth just, and, and then go up to the outbreak of, well, just before the heresy, what drove the Iron Warriors to, to turn traitor. Because mm. he wasn't always a bad guy, was he? Well, in this, it makes him seem like he was a bad guy all the time. Well, not a bad guy, but a, a very, yeah. you know, frustrated, melancholic, dark character. Whereas in another book, which we will mention shortly, he's actually a rather optimistic, you know, pretty, yeah. pretty damn noble character. So it, it depends. It's like, almost like he was trying, but, um, okay. So, um, yeah, but this book, you get to see where all that bitterness and self-pity, which defines the Iron Warriors, came for. So, again, it's a bleak a bleak story, very honest in a brutal way. Mm. Um, it's a really, really good plot. It's very careful, well planned out. Um, but like the Iron Warriors, it doesn't offer a lot of hope. 
they're not they're not renowned for their hope, unfortunately. But you get Barbaros 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 Dantioch. I almost mispronounced his name there. Um, and you get to see how he fell from Perturabo's grace. Oh yeah, because he's a very popular character. Hero of the Empire of the Imperium, frankly. Yes. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And then um, the last one, which I'm going to mention, is Iron Corpses, which is an audio drama by David Annadale. And I know I can criticise David Annadale's writing style when it comes to heresy, but when it comes to audio dramas, he actually works very well. Um, and this one is great because it's sort of like... It's only a short one, so you should definitely listen to it, Graham. You could probably listen to it on your commute to work. Um, but it's um, basically... It's a Soul Iron Warrior Warsmith. He's stuck on the surface of the planet when his transport's damaged, so he sort of sets out on his own on this radiation-scarred landscape um to find some chance of survival because he's like nope i'm not dying sitting down and then he finds an intact titan so it's it's not the best use of the audio drama format it could have been done better as a um better as just just an audio story but because there's a lot of clanking and silence the effects don't really make it it but it's really Uh, really interesting so uh Caparnos, I've written it down, but I can't pronounce it. I can't remember. Uh, and he sort of like got this huge desire to like sort of like spit in the face of the Imperium. Um, I, I can get behind that. Yeah. So um, the beginning of the story is really great as it shows how horrific the surface of Talon really is. So it, it sort of like ties in with the Talon, Talon mm. stuff. Yeah, that's cool. Um, I'll very, give, that, give that a listen. I'd highly recommend it. It's really, really yeah. good. Um, okay. You know, it, it's quite, quite a brutal story, uh, and the protagonist is a bit of a—he's just the perfect iron warrior. Cool, uh, nice. It's only, it's only a short one, but it's it's, it's yeah. really good, really good. Um, and then few honourable mentions. So we've got the Iron Within, um, which is in Tales of Her- Heresy, and I think it's one of the first to really. Int- to really introduce the Iron Warriors in the Heresy, sort of like it's only a short story, um, and it's um, it's basically um, the tale of Barbarus Dantioch and the Battle of the Shardenhold. Yeah, um, and it's sort of a look at a great look at the siege warfare from both sides of the Iron Warriors. So them fortificate them because it's it's an Iron Warriors internal battle, so it's loyalists versus traitors, and. Mm. It's sort of like you see, you know, what what the what the loyalists will do to what the loyalists do to defend their their stronghold and uh, with just a few men, and what the um what the traitors will do to sort of break it open. Okay, it's it's a very good story, and Barbaros Dantioch is sort of like he he he's he as I said he's a he's a very favourite character of a lot of people in in the Heresy. Yeah, people yeah people do talk and. And you mentioned the words bromance and Pollux in the same same sentence. Yeah, there. yeah. So we move on to, to the next one, which is Unremembered Empire, which yeah. is sort of like, uh, it's not much Iron Warrior-y, but it's got Dantioch and sort of like his bromance with, he sort of forms this 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 unlikely friendship with um, Alexis Pollux. Yeah. And they have, mm. a bit of, they have a bit of a bromance the, the man, going on there. The legend. That is. The, there's, there's lots of Rule 34. There's lots of Rule 34 stuff about this. Okay. And for those who don't know it, I was uh, going to say what, what Rule Thirty Four is an internet meme, and it is basically goes along the terms of the rule is if it exists, there is porn of it. Ah, 
I see. I know. Moving. There, is, there are there are pictures that people have drawn um, and slash fiction. Really, I'm okay. fine having that. To be truthful with you, yeah, you're probably you know, be- you're probably better off. You're probably better own. off. I'm not one to judge. Uh, the, these people on 4chan are very um, strange people. Yeah, very strange. But um, yeah, so and then there's Pharos, which is sort of a, the end of the Antioch story, um, and it brings a tear to the eye. Well, that's. That doesn't sound too encouraging. I mean, I know, you know, okay, I'll draw my own conclusions from that. It's, it's, it's a, it, it, Dan Shock's story is pretty good because yeah. he, he's sort of like the Iron Warrior, um, but it shows, you know, how the Iron Warriors were, you know, even with their bitterness and, um, you know, you know, their, 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 their cynicism, how, you know, they could have turned out if, if Perturabo had gone ever so slightly different. They would have been some of the staunchest defenders of the Imperium had Perserabo yeah. sided with the Emperor instead of Horus. Slimming Perserabo. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then um, there is uh, Iron Fire, which is a short story. And this is uh, the, the, uh, the um, Dantioch's opponent in um, The Iron Within, um, Idris Krendel, um, and what he did afterwards. And it's a it's a traitor versus traitor story, so it's um, Emperor's children versus Iron Warriors, so very fitting. And mm. it's Krendel testing out his new strategy, which was very very shortly after introduced as a right of war. Nice. So, so that's where the Iron Fire, Iron Fire right of war come from, or the story comes from the I don't know, uh, you know, which came first. Okay. <laughs> You know, it's a matter of what did come first. Yeah, so, um, and then finally, Magnus, uh, the Red, Master of Prospero, which is, um, it's a book in which we get a nice look at Perturabo before he became all jaded and cynical. Um, In that book, he's actually rather naive and optimistic. So, again, that's a really good book. It's Graham McNeil. Um, So, obviously, he tackled both of them in Angel Exterminatus. So, it's sort of like the start of what they were like. Continuing that ex- expansion of, of the, the person. Yeah. Rounding him out a bit more. Yeah. So, cool. so you end up with you. I think at this point we're, we're at a point with the, the, all the novels we've had where we, we've got a really good idea of Perturabo and, and how he works um, and how he, and how he got from where he is um, at the, you know, when he was born to where he ended up at the beginning of the heresy and sort of yeah. halfway through it. It's interesting because I'm really, I don't know where I read this, but I read this somewhere that, you know, why iron warriors were a particularly good adversary in the 40 K and heresy universe. I think what it is, is about them is that they, you know, unlike say the world is, which obviously fell to corner, they're like bloodthirsty, crazy killers who will just run at you and chop you to bits as soon as they look at you. There's a, there's a thing about the Iron Warriors, which is that more kind of calculating um, and thought. You know, they sort of understand the science of warfare, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. So that makes them, as an adversary, a good thing because the, the characters have got more than just, you know, burn, maim, kill as, as, a, as a sort of um, motivation. Yeah, I so think there I think is one of them that's, that's quite like interesting. That, isn't there? There's, there's one of them in the stories that's like that in 40K. Yes. But there is just one. Yeah, I think they're saying they're just saying is that they're quite an interesting 
you can use them as a as a proper adversary rather than just something that's kind of irrational or crazy. Yeah, I yes. definitely agree with you on that one. Okay, so um, that that's basically the Iron Warriors books that we wanted to mention. So uh, moving on to upcoming books. Um, so there's a few books upcoming. We've got um, Jagatai Khan, Warhawker Jagoras, the limited edition, is dropping on the 17th of March. So that is the day this podcast episode comes out. Cool. Um, then we've got Ferris Manus, the Gorgon of Medusa, the non-limited edition, the 31st of March. So I'm looking forward to that. And then Wolfsbane, the long-awaited uh, 49th novel in the series, um, 12th of May. A um, lot of lot of lot of spoilers that I'm having to avoid because it went on sale quite early at the weekender. Ah, I see. But I am looking forward to it. I, I didn't know it was going to be on sale, so I didn't tell my friend who was there to buy it, and he wasn't answering his emails or messages, so he couldn't <laughs> he, he couldn't pick me up a copy because I didn't tell him. Uh, Black Shields, the I have red to wait like the rest of us. Yeah, Black Shields, the red fife, which we will be reviewing next episode. Um, cause yeah. I've got it cause I knew it was coming out at the weekend and that is out 12th of May or did we review it in the last episode? No, we, we, no, we, we left we it for when it came close to the time. Yeah. 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 So we'll do it next episode. Okay. And then final, and then, well, not finally, cause we've got Born of Flame, which is the 50th book of the Horus Heresy series. I'd love it to have been a really, really special book, but it's not. It's just a collection of novellas and short stories about Vulcan yeah. that's already been out. Um, which I've got to say is a little bit disappointing for a 50th release. Yeah, you'd think that they might have. But I suppose they can all the other short stories in there. And maybe they'll do like when they get the 50th full novel, perhaps they'll do something special for that. Yeah, there's no, there's nothing. I don't think there's anything but, new in here, um, but we'll see. And then finally, uh, Vulcan Lord of Drakes, which will be the limited edition. That's due in July. Don't have a date on it yet, but it's available to buy early at Black Library Live. So it will be after the 16th. So day before Father's Day. Snazzy. Um, and that's it. So uh, I think what we'll do now is we'll go away and we'll do my interview with Robbie McNiven. Which is excellent. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Yes, looking forward to this. Okay, guys. So uh, I'm joined on the uh, line with uh, Robbie McNiven. Um, the I, I am pronouncing that correct, aren't I? I, I usually yes, spot on, spot on. I, I usually say, I, I have this tendency to sl- to to absolutely decimate Scottish names. <laughs> no, there there was actually some debate apparently at uh, Black Library as to how to pronounce my second name, but you got it right first time. It's ah, McNiven. Fantastic. Yeah. Okay, and <laughs> as you can guess from that, he is a Black Library author. Um, we have him on our, our Heresy podcast here specifically because he wrote the most recent um, Perturabo uh, Primarchs audio drama, Stone and Iron, um, which was really great. Um, Thank you. So we thought we'd get him on and ask him a few questions uh, about, you know, him and uh, being a, a Black Library author um, and uh, uh, obviously the Iron Warriors as well. So um, how are you today then, Robbie? I'm great, thanks. I'm great. Just uh, working away in the hopes that I can have a relatively quiet weekend, but uh, we'll see how the rest of the, the day goes. That's the problem with being a writer. You don't really finish at five. So, yeah. No, I, I suppose not. No, I was speaking to, I, I spoke to many authors, uh, when, cause I go to a lot of writing conventions, not because right. I'm a writer, just cause I like reading. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, that, that is one thing that some, some authors say, you know, you don't, it's not a nine to five job. It's a, 
It is a something you do all the time because you never stop thinking. Yeah, it's it's ups and downs because you know it's fun not having to get up at you know half seven, eight in the morning, and at the same time, like you say, you kind of never switch off. So it gets some getting used to, but uh, I don't know. Some people prefer it. I I think I do prefer it. So yeah, I guess I hope I just get to carry on doing what I'm doing. <laughs> okay, so we'll start off if you, if you could tell us a little bit about your, yourself and your background, so uh, people yeah, get so an idea of who you are. Um, so I am, um, well, I'm half Scottish, half English. Uh, I was born in Venice. Uh, I'm 25, about to be 26 next month. And I'm currently, for my sins, doing a PhD at the University of Edinburgh. Uh, I've been here at uni now for eight years. So I'm a bit of a um, uni-holic, I suppose. I did uh, my undergrad here in history and English language joint, and then I did a master's in war studies at Glasgow University, and then I came back to Edinburgh for the PhD, which is now supposedly in its final year. This is my third year doing it, but uh, most PhDs tend to overrun a bit, so um, I wouldn't be surprised if I'm here for a bit longer. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. yeah they, they, they do tend to. And then, they, got, they do. and then the viver and you've got to go back and redo bits and i know it's all scary stuff it's um making stuff up in the 41st millennium is considerably uh less stressful to be honest <laughs> i can um, imagine so, so yeah uh but uh I, yeah i guess you could say that i do a lot of writing because i'm i'm doing my black library stuff which is more or less full time at this point and also juggling it with phd at the same time but uh, I'm not complaining because, like I said, I don't have a nine to five, so I don't have to get up at half seven every day. Yeah, fantastic. <laughs> okay, so um, so when you were growing up, did you want to be an author, or was it just something you kind of fell into? Or um, I'd say yes. I think probably from the age of about uh, nine or ten, um, I certainly knew I enjoyed writing stories. Um, mm. Where that came from is I don't really know. I think. Um, my mum was, you know, very into storytelling and books and would always read to me every night before I went to sleep, you know, for as long as I could remember growing up. So I guess it's one of those classic, I was around books all the time as a kid. Um, so I guess I, it was just sort of ingrained into me right from the beginning that I had an interest in storytelling. I was always that annoying kid in school when it came to uh, creative writing. I was enjoyed doing those classes and was getting, you know, teacher prizes and stuff like the big nerd that I am. um and yeah obviously i enjoy reading so it in a sense i guess it it follows naturally from that i sort of combine the two um i entered my first uh writing competition when i was 13 Uh, it was actually a black library one so i think we'll probably come to that later on oh yeah yeah but uh so yeah i sort of was was doing that right from the off more or less and um yeah it's a hobby before it's a job really which i think is the best way to go about it because i've always enjoyed doing it and the idea is that i just i would be writing whether i was getting paid or not so being able to do it as a bit of a job is an extra bonus but yeah i'd say that it's pretty fair to say that i've sort of always wanted to be an author yeah yeah so obviously you mentioned there your first competition was a black library one when you were 13 and so Mm -hmm. so you've been into the hobby for quite some time so what was your gateway into the universe um, it was actually a little pamphlet that was given to me by a family member. I think I was seven at the time, um, and it was a very basic games workshop. Um, this was back in ooh, 1998, I think, roughly. So it was about third edition 40K, and I'm not sure, fifth edition Warhammer Fantasy. Sounds about and right. it was it was a little uh, pamphlet that was just listed all the factions. 
Um, and I, I don't know if I got models with it or I bought them soon afterwards, but I very quickly acquired some little Bretonian um, men-at-arms and knights and literally just splattered paint all over them. And I guess it just went from there. I started getting uh, white dwarves, um, which were, you know, very engrossing as a kid growing up. And yeah, it, it steamrolled from there, really. Yes, yeah, a similar way I got into it. I, I had um, uh, combat cards from Woolworths ah. um, oh, nice. that had the leaflet in it. And it was sort of right. like, these are fantastic. I want to get some of these. Yeah, um, there's so. um, all sorts of stories from that era where, you know, it's kind of a little thing that, that hooks someone and then they just end up getting totally sucked into it. So well done to the Games Workshop marketing team of the 90s. Definitely. They obviously so, did so, a good job. You, do you still play Bretonians or...? Oh, what, they, I, um, what they're called now? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Indeed. No, my, um, I suppose, yeah, the Bretonians were my first models, but the first sort of army I dedicated or collected was uh, Vampire Counts. Ah. Uh, I think the second White Dwarf I ever got was when their fifth edition army book came out. I think actually it was the first ever army book they got because before that they were just undead. Um, sort yeah. of as an, something like that anyway. Um, so I did them for a long time and then. When oh, I'm forgetting my editions, but Gareth Thorpe did a the Hordes of Chaos army book for Warhammer. Oh yeah, which was, um, I just love that when I read that because it's got loads of sort of background in it and it's really engrossing. So I from there sort of started the Chaos Army, which got huge. Um, about the same time, I was doing Imperial Guard in 40k and obviously Space Marines of all different shades because Definitely. you know who doesn't have Space Marines at some point in their life? Yeah, it's very true. Um, but yeah, sadly, the actual hobby itself, I've not really done much hobbying for a couple of years now. Um, I keep saying I'm going to get back into it, but I'm so busy writing for the hobby, I sometimes forget to paint for the hobby. So I wanted to get some uh, Age of Sigmar maggot kin, but we shall see. We shall see. Yeah, yeah. And obviously, uh, uh, time on your st- on your studies will be... Uh... Yeah, so. yeah, definitely. There's um, a fun little gaming group here at uh, the university, which uh, I was in for a couple of years uh, but yeah, work kind of crept up on me. But hopefully, at some point, I will get back to it. We shall see. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, so, um, what was the first book you ever had published? Um, the first story. Wait, are we talking um, no, Black no, Library in, 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 in general? In, in my the first one was uh, <laughs> right. Red Blade. It was yes, yeah. you know that. Well done. Um, yeah, the first story I ever had published was. Uh, I was 18 or 19. I think it was it was first year at university, uh, 2010 or early 2011. And it was a short story called Heaven Bloom, which was um, vaguely steampunky, set in a sort of um, fantasy sci-fi crossbreed mm. universe um, where it was all about sort of like biplanes and they were fighting over these uh, rock formations that floated in the sky. It was all very, you know, sort of, out there in terms of ideas but uh and i think i got paid about five dollars for it so um <laughs> yeah it was uh humble beginnings but i mean most writers can't expect any sort of buck for the first thing they get published it was you know it was a small press it was somewhat online i don't think they even function anymore it was more or less just a case of you know it got published online and i got paid a tiny amount for it um i did a sequel i think but uh yeah, I was toying about with that when I started university, thinking that, you know, I've been writing for fun for a while now. Maybe I should think about trying to make something of it. And, uh, yeah, that was the first sort of outing. Nice. And how was it seeing your name in uh, on a book for the first, uh, you know, a published book, even if it was only yeah. a web book? <laughs> oh, it was great. No, it was, it was really great. Um, like I said, it was about as small time as you can get, but it was 
definitely sort of the first step in terms of changing my own mindset from this is something I enjoy as a hobby to I'd actually like to pursue this as a career. So yeah, it definitely galvanized me. Okay. Um, this one, uh, they now on the forums, <laughs> they refer to you as the shark guy. <laughs> is that a name you you like or? It, yeah, it, it works for me. I like sharks. I think they're pretty cool. Um, my editor at Black Library hates sharks. So that's, uh, that's a bit of a struggle, but nice. um, <laughs> Yeah, I think they're uh, they're interesting animals. I think I think that I'm right in saying they don't they can't get cancer, which sounds like a weird fun fact, but you can throw that out at parties. Yeah. I think there's people always doing research into um, how that is the case and whether you know that can provide some sort of cure for us. But uh, that's by the by. Yeah, I think I think they're cool animals, and I guess Shark Guy is you know resident because I write about space sharks, which I'm perfectly proud of. So yeah, it's it's not something I'm shying away from. I don't think many people had written about them beforehand, so. Yeah, yeah, there was only one short story published officially, I think, um, by David Annandale uh, quite a few years back, and I think it was literally only about a thousand words. So, um, yeah, I guess that makes me the shark guy. <laughs> yeah, I, I suppose it's, it's nice as well, because it's allowed you to really put your own stamp on on a chapter. Yeah, definitely. It's something that... There's not actually that many chapters that occupy this interesting sphere where there's very little written about them, but they're definitely, you know, people know they exist. They're not completely homebrew. I've not just come up with them off the bat. So it's actually quite a privilege to get a chapter that exists quite definitely in the law like that, but at the same time only has the very basic framework and that offers you the chance to construct an identity around it of course the flip side of that is it's quite intimidating because you don't want to you know you want to do do right by them and make sure that what you come up with is correct with the law in the background and mm -hmm. it's not you know, cheesy or silly or anything like that so there's a bit of stress in it that sense but yeah okay um one of the things that I have noticed, and I think a lot of other fans have noticed, is you're one of the authors of Black Library that really sort of interacts with the fans a great deal. I mean, was that something you did purposefully, or was it just something that came to you naturally? Or was... um, It's 90%, I suppose you could say, natural. I um, The Tumblr account I started specifically because I knew I was getting published by Black Library, and I was like, well, you know, I, this could be a good platform. I um, actually already have one dedicated to my history studies, so I knew how to use it and all that sort of mm -hmm. stuff. And I thought that this could be a good way to share things. I don't think there's many other. I think um, Josh Reynolds has a Tumblr blog, and actually Nick Kime does, but he hasn't updated it for a few years. So, no, no. Um, so starting that specifically was a deliberate sort of, this would be a good way to interact with people. But generally, the interacting itself simply comes about because I transitioned so smoothly from being a fan to an author, it didn't occur to me to really um, change my approach when I got published, awesome. uh, beyond the fact that obviously I now can't talk about stuff uh, that I know about. And, you know, there's certain conversations that uh, are best left alone if you're someone with an official capacity. But yeah. all of that aside, I'm, yeah, I'm just... Uh, a fan like everyone else and genuinely still think of myself as one so interacting with people and getting excited about things and talking about stuff is yeah it's something that i enjoy doing and that i don't think needs to change hopefully awesome um do you have any interesting writing quirks that that you do you know um i know some people try to put in i know characters with certain initials into their works or <laughs> uh, do you have any quirks like that or 
Um, I normally try and slip in a TF2 reference somewhere. Team Fortress 2, that is, because nice. I, I, love, I love that game so much. I'm a total addict, even after, I don't know, I've had it for about eight years now, but I still play it. Still haven't played Overwatch, but that's a different conversation. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so beyond that, you know, I, I tend not to try and go too hard on the Easter eggs. Um, but yeah, something, something small like that might get slipped in. Uh, in terms of actual writing itself, probably... I actually find that having studied history so much and uh, the genre I actually read most widely is historical fiction rather than sci-fi, which might be surprising. But um, all of the history research means that I quite often find myself, you know, if I'm describing a battle, I'll often do quite a God's eye view of it, which is almost textbook-ish. And my editors sometimes have to slap my wrist and say, could we please have this more from character point of view as opposed to you giving us the history of I don't know, the Siege of the Eternity Gate or something like that. Mm. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I work to edit those things out. Oh, sweet. Um, okay. Um, when it comes to your writing, is it something that energizes you or does it exhaust you? I mean, when I go to EasterCon every year, um, mm-hmm. something a lot of authors say, say you know, it, it comes from them they differently, you know, it affects them in different ways. Some of them, it really gets them going and they can't stop yeah. or others. It's, it's, a, it's quite something that quite wears them down. Um, it's a little bit of both, as you might expect. Certainly the start of a project I find is vital because um, I'll go into it being very buoyed up and excited and wanting to get to work. And the idea is that I write as much with that mindset as I can before it starts becoming a slog, which it does sort of inevitably. And regardless of how long it is, it's, it's strange if I'm given, you know, uh, 10,000 word short story to write, then the first three to 4,000 will be done very quickly because, you know, I'm excited to write it. And then the last two or 3,000 might be a bit of a struggle because I feel like I've been doing it for a while, even if it's, say, a week. But then the same thing will happen over the course of a novel. So I'll do the first 20, 30,000 words pretty easily. And then the remaining 20, 30,000 at the end, after the halfway marker, a bit of a, a bit of a struggle. But I think that's that's fairly standard and the way i get around that is i actually tend to write non-sequentially so i plan it out and then i'll often write the ending around the middle because i know that if i leave the ending till the end i'll be a bit burned out and i don't want to write the ending when i'm burned out because it's literally the most important part of the story so it deserves to sort of be written when i'm at my peak Um, yeah i think it's fairly unusual to do most people just write in order it does depend on actually having a um a plan which I, I tend to fairly thoroughly plot out stories uh, not all of it some people do the whole thing but uh, i leave a bit of leeway for for adaptation um when it comes to editing i actually tend to find that quite easy um i'm not sure why but i seem to be when i you know if i'm reading back through a story um, and applying changes that literally can take normally no more than a week um, even if it's the sort of work that my editors are saying, oh, this is probably going to take about a month. It just doesn't for some reason. So I guess that is a positive. Oh, that's, that's pretty good. Yeah. Cause a lot of writers I speak to, they, you know, that they're sort of like the worst part for them is the editing. Yeah. Um, yeah. That, it's interesting to hear that. Um, it is difficult when you have to chop stuff out that you don't want to chop out, which is inevitable because that's part of the process. Um, I, I don't know. I, it, maybe it sounds strange, but I guess I, I quite like my writing style. So when I read my own stuff, I quite enjoy it. Um, after I've, you know, edited a bit, I mean, there's definitely times when I read it and I think, oh, 
dear God, how how bad on this? This is going to take so long to bring up to standard, which I think is very normal for all writers. But um, I find my own writing flows fine when I read it back, which I guess just eases the whole process for me personally. That's not so bad. I mean, I, 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 yeah, I spoke to who was it? Um, I can't remember. It was a black library author who said they mm-hmm. can't stand their own writing style. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I hear that a lot from from all sorts of writers. They say, uh, I think it's sort of in vogue for a writer to say, "Oh, I can't stand my own work. It's you know, I just have to put up with it, and my editor uh, helps the, with the it." Tortured you know, artist. Exactly. It's stylish to be like that, which is fair enough. But uh, And like I said, there's definitely times when I worry about my own stuff. I, I have sort of writer's blindness, I call it, where I genuinely cannot tell whether what I've written is absolutely terrible or amazing until firstly the editors give me feedback and then people who've read it, you know, where it's released to the public give me feedback. Um, yeah, it's it's very strange. I will not be confident generally about a story one way or another until it's actually out there and people tell me what they think of it and I go oh yeah so you know it's that and that and that and that it's it's very weird ah. okay um now you also wrote the um novelization for um dawn of war 3 so that yes. was that was quite i mean how was that compared to writing a normal novel because it's sort of like i don't know a game is sort of like very it's a very open ended thing yes and uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Yeah, it's a very open-ended kind of thing. And it's sort of like you're sort of taking that story down one road, whereas the players get to go down various different roads. I mean, does that... Yeah. I, I, I don't know how that sort of factors into the writing or if it doesn't at all. Or No, no, it's it's an interesting one, definitely. And it is um, a bit different from the sort of standard novel setup you'd have. I was actually asked to write that in part because... Um, it was my third novel that I'd ever written, all of them for Black Library. Uh, and the first one I'd done was Legacy of Russ, which was a tie-in to the Warzone Fenris campaign. Yeah, it was it, 40, it released in the different parts, yes. Exactly. So um, it was the sequel to David Annandale's first one, which was, um, oh, I forgot. Uh, something about the Wolfen. Curse of the Wolfen, there we go. So uh, because I was writing, I was writing that to a very specific brief. I didn't come up with it. Um, Black Library slash Games Workshop came to me and said, this is what's happening. This is the first book. They actually did give me quite a lot of leeway in between the start and the finish, which was set as to what it was going to be. But beyond that, it was, you know, it was please write this. And Dawn of War 3 was basically the same. Red Tithe, which I wrote in between the two, was entirely my own invention. But they came to me when Dawn of War 3 was first being considered and said, because you did um, Legacy of Russ, uh, following the brief as you did, you could probably handle Dawn of War 3, which I thought was amazing because I loved Dawn of War. And yeah, the process was in a way, there's things that are better and more difficult. So in a sense, it's strangely liberating to be given more or less the plot, which might sound strange uh, and definitely wouldn't be every writer's cup of tea, but to be given it sort of in a solid framework already knocked together is quite good because then you can still tease out bits of it that you want to mm-hmm. play with, but you've got, um, you literally have the framework there. So it's more comforting and you're not saying, you know, oh, I'm missing all of these plot points that I should be including and things like that. Um, it was probably the two biggest struggles were that firstly, 
uh, Relic was developing the game at the same time I was writing it. So occasionally things would change when they went back and revised stuff, ah. um, which I would then obviously have to revise in, in the, the story. Um, and the other issue was, which you already hinted at, just the fact that it's a computer game, not uh, a novel. It has a storyline, but the storyline for computer games are obviously different from novel storylines because... Mm-hmm. The game's based around, I'm not sure how many it was, say a dozen or two dozen missions where you are killing stuff. And obviously there's variations of what you're killing and how you're killing and what you're trying to achieve in these missions. But ultimately you're still building the base, killing stuff. It's the game mechanics. That's what the game exists for. It takes you through step by step like that. Whereas the novel is, I can't have 20 chapters of killing stuff, right? Yeah, um, yeah there's got to be some, <laughs> yeah, yeah, some normal stuff. Exactly. Even sort of the heaviest killy 40k novels aren't constantly killing stuff. So I had to cut down on the killing in a sense. There were missions that were basically chopped out um, that, you know, if they didn't really serve the storyline, then they were cut um, for the novel. I think more or less it, it fairly faithfully follows what, what happens in the game. But yeah, there has to be a little bit of, of tweaking going on there to make it work in, in that format. Yeah. But uh yeah, I found it fine personally. It was uh, definitely an interesting experience, and it was a great honour to get to write for it. So, yeah. yeah. Did, did you have any impact impact on the game storyline, or no? Um, <laughs> I don't think so. Anyway, no. There were just there were various things like um, initially they had Death Watch in one of the missions, and then the Death Watch were out again, and then they were back in again. Um, I think that in the game, I think they're led by a Space Wolf, but I initially wrote them in and then thought they'd been taken out. So I thought, well, I'm just going to leave them in because they don't have a massive plot point difference. So I changed their leader to a homebrew chapter that I made up. And then it turned out that they were actually back in the game at the end. So that's why <laughs> they're not led by a Space Wolf, they're led by a Shadow Haunter. But st- stuff like that you know, is, is little tweaks. But no, I I'm, I'm, didn't have any sort of impact in the actual plot itself. All right. Okay. Um now, have you actually ever read any other sort of books that actually made you think differently about how you write the fiction for Black Library? Um, I'd say that, yes, reading books have a massive impact on my inspiration. I'm not sure if it's, uh, I think it's a more of a subconscious thing than a, a conscious thought. I don't sort of read a book and say, oh, I should do this and this and this and this because of this and this. I say, recently I read Warmaster and... You know, I'd want to write Imperial Guard. So, um, uh, right, yeah. I, I guess I'm fairly easily influenced. But, but yeah, I think books cause a massive sort of inspiration splurge. Um, I've recently been working on Age of Sigmar, and because I've also been reading Age of Sigmar as research, it kind of creates this uh, vicious cycle where I want to do Age of Sigmar forever now. But uh, I'd say I'm, I'm easily influenced in terms of um, being inspired by things. But I don't think, you know, I don't read something and say I want to sort of copy that inspiration directly mm-hmm. uh it was the same for when i wrote the last hunt which was the my white scars novel uh for research i read scars and path of heaven um the 30k i thought uh, you might have i did and they're so good like they're literally some of my favorite heresy novels um and so they had a massive impact just in terms of geeing me up for the project <clears throat> giving me little things to work with um sort of flavoring the whole thing and making sure that it's really I wanted to make the White Scars as unique and sort of 
white scar centric, if that makes sense. Not just a carbon copy, ultramarines painted white. They definitely have this legacy stretching all the way back to the heresy with their unique culture. So I really wanted to bring that out because I've read Chris Ray's work and they're so good. So yeah, I guess in that sense, I get inspired. Awesome. Awesome. Um, so you say you read a lot of, a lot of books. Now, one thing that I, uh, when I was, uh, when I was sort of asking questions, how do you interview an author was told never to ask if they get writer's block. So I was wondering, <laughs> have you ever had reader's block? Oh, interesting. So, um, <laughs> first off, I'm fine with writer's block questions, but <laughs> regardless, um, yes, I'd say that that's an interesting concept. And I'd say I have mainly because, of the environment I'm in at university, I don't really get a lot of spare time for um, pleasure reading, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. uh, because of my research, you know, I'm having to churn through a lot of uh, historical texts um, and make sure that the PhD is up to scratch. I think, huh, I'm not sure my current like ratio of fiction to nonfiction. The last book I read that was fiction was Warmaster, uh, which was so amazing that I'm, it's hopefully going to spur me on to keep up my fiction side of things. But mm. because of where I'm at, there is definitely, a, I wouldn't say it's a danger, but it's sort of natural that at times I get fiction reading block because I'm doing so much nonfiction that I just don't have the time. And sometimes you just don't want to open a book, you know, whether it's fiction or not after a day of um, slogging through the library. So yeah, yeah I'd say I can, that. I can see That's that. Yeah. Awesome. Um, Okay, so um, so obviously you said you don't have it's not a nine to five job you have. So uh, um, how many hours a day would you say you tend to spend writing? Um, probably, I mean it can vary massively, but probably three to four hours, I think, uh, which doesn't sound like very much. Um, the problem is I intersperse it with a great deal of procrastination and other things, so it, it extends throughout the entire day. But that's sort of just the way that my routine works. I think all writers have their own routine. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I also do tend to do that every single day. I don't take weekends off. I don't have the discipline for that, unfortunately. Um, right. Yeah, some writers do. But yeah, I kind of do it every day. And then it does sound, you know, doing the same thing every single day for literally months on end can be pretty hefty. But I genuinely do find that when I take breaks, I don't need more than three or four days before I'm, you know, I actively want to start writing again. I have ideas and I want to put them down and get on with the work. So it, I don't think it's something that's slowly grinding me down over time. Right. Um, okay. I think, yeah, the three or so hours a day is about my, my right amount. In terms of word count, that's normally, I aim for between 1,000 and 2,000. Um, a good day, I'll hit 2,000. A bad day, I'll hit 1,000. And I guess, you know, an average day is 1,500 roughly. Uh, but again, all writers are different. I think Dan Abnett does 3,000 words a day just because, you know, he's a machine. <laughs> he is. Uh, and I think Aaron Dembski Bowden does about five. Bless him. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah I, uh, he mocked me at the weekend because I could stick to deadlines. Um, I, I'm not established enough yet to discourage my deadlines, I don't think. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose not. Um, okay, so um, what's your favourite Black Library story that you've ever read? Uh, my favourite one, and uh, I will support this because I have the actual book itself in the Black Library Hall of Fame, which I think they do roughly every month, where they ask an author to name their favourite book. So I, oh, I've have named. You, have mine. you done yours? One? Have you I done did mine. Yeah, and oh, um, so I guess. That. No, no. I guess you can. Um, if people want to check online, I can't remember actually where on the website you find it, but it's uh, Nail My Colors to the Mast, uh, Double Eagle. is just 
so good. Oh yeah. <laughs> it's um, it's some, it's a bit, it's a bit left of field because it is, it's just a spin-off to Gaunt's Ghosts, but. Uh, and you know, going into it, I was a bit doubtful. I was saying, "Oh, it's Imperial Navy; it's not the Guard." You know, it's just going to be as action-packed and fun. And my goodness, it's just so good. Um, I think the strength of the character. Yeah, yeah, it's it's so different. But it's the characterization which I've realised is what really is the underlying strength of *If Gaunt's Ghosts*. It's the characters and their saga, and especially with *Double Eagle*, what I love about it is the crescendo of the plotline because you have. Um, without spoilers, there's about four different point of view characters, and by the end, they all come together. Uh, these sort of uh, storylines that aren't too closely related to one another um, all climax together in this, um, well, in the finale, as mm. you'd expect, which isn't as easy as it seems when you actually are plugging stuff out to make that work and to have all the characters still be believable and following their own believable storylines. So in that sense, I think it's a really good example of just a raw plot. But everything else, just the the ground-up view of how the Imperial Navy, or, well, actually, in this case, it's the Imperial Guards because they're the one guard regiment with um, their airborne, in a sense. But uh, the ground-up view of how they function and how, you know, the aerial combat works in the 41st millennium, which is so rarely seen as just so good. So I am very excited for the sequel, which hasn't been officially announced, but uh, Dan has said publicly that, you know, that and the um, Bequin... Uh, prior sequel are sort of on the horizon along with more Gaunt's Ghosts. So, yes, awesome. fingers crossed. Awesome. I, I was going to ask you what, what you thought the most underappreciated novel was, but you'd probably get to <laughs> that one as well. Uh, I mean, I guess, I guess, yeah, I guess Double Eagle is a little bit underappreciated. I mean, I still, there are lots of fans that love it. Um, I often also cite Warriors of Ultramar, Ray McNeil. Oh, yeah. Which was the first Black Lider novel I ever read when I was 11, I think, or 12. And that also was just amazing because it's a tour de force in terms of how to write a good old fashioned straight up. This is a classic war between Ultramarines and Tyranids, but in at no point whatsoever does it feel sort of too action oriented. It doesn't drag or anything like that. It's still got very strong characters and it's just a great romp if you want to see a classic sort of how to do a 40k slugfest. Yeah. Um, it's definitely stood the test of time as well. So I'd say that's actually probably my favourite McNeil novel. Yeah, Graham's actually very good at getting that nice balance between you know the 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 um the action and the character. Yeah, definitely, absolutely. Um, which is one thing I like about him. So, um, okay, so at the moment the, the Black Library submissions window is open, and it's will be open when this episode goes out at the end of March, just. Um, and you actually came. I believe, anyway, you came through the last batch during the Death Watch submissions window um, a while back. Is that done? yes? Yes, good. Um, well, sort of. <laughs> sort of. Ah, it's an, it's an interesting one. I can expand on that. Um, yeah. So uh, the last official window was the Death Watch, which I did submit to, and I don't think anyone heard anything back about that beyond yeah. I don't, I don't think there was any sort of. Uh, anything was made of it however what happened oh it's nearly three years ago to the day um yeah three years ago on the games workshop website not the black library one they put up an advertisement for recruitment that they were hiring uh black library authors which is a strange way of doing it they'd never done oh, that yeah, before i remember that one yeah um which i also applied to and uh the all you had to do was send in sort of a cover letter saying why you wanted the job 
and they then responded if they liked it and said do uh, these two tests for us. So they gave you two tests uh, to write about. The first was you had to write about a space marine fighting an orc in 250 words, and then the second one was you have to write about a scout sergeant briefing his scout squad just before a mission in 250 words. Mm-hmm. So uh, I got the nod to do the tests, as I know a bunch of other people did. Um, so I wrote that up. I did uh, Imperial Fist Fighting an Orc in a Breach and an Ultramarine scout leader you know, giving his, his briefing. And I sent those in, and then the next thing I knew, they said, yeah, welcome to the team, which was not what I was expecting. I was sitting on the train coming back from Glasgow University at the time and read the email and just kind of stared at it for half an hour. Um, And then at the time, there was all sorts of uncertainty because, like I said, it wasn't really a traditional Black Library uh, submissions period window, anything like that. Mm -hmm. So I wasn't really sure if... I was writing for Black Library, if I was writing for the studio, if I was going to be doing, you know, like little bits of color text. Um, I embarrassingly did ask whether I was going to be getting paid for it at any point, which they said, yes, it's the actual job. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I, I went in through the um, that sort of application process. Now, interestingly, the first story I was given was the Death Watch short story, Red Blade, as you said. Mm-hmm. Um, and I still don't know to this day whether there's a connection between... Uh, whether they asked for the Death Watch stories, sort of looking to segue people into writing those if they were hired um, or not. I think, coincidentally, I did actually write about Space Wolf in that Death Watch submission window. All right. But, uh, I, did, I did ask sort of off the cuff and was told that it was simply based on the fact that I'd sort of given a good cover letter CV thing and then did fine in the test. So apparently it's as easy as that. Um, and yeah, I don't really know more about the process beyond that, but yeah, that's how I ended up doing it. And yeah, here I am. Yeah. Cause I was going to ask, is that, is Red Blade the story that you pitched? But obviously, uh, no, um, no, no that's, that's, you, that's cool. No, you actually, it uh, reminds me, I feel like I should go and try and dig up that story and see what it was like. All I remember is there was a space wolf and someone else at Death Watch in a forest fighting Space Marines, it was something pretty basic. Um, and like I said, I don't really know what became of that window because it, I don't think anyone really discussed it much. And the next thing you knew, it was only about three months later we had this um, just a call for, you know, employment basically. Because it's just, it was listed alongside all the, you know, we need a, a new manager at Games Workshop, whatever, Plymouth, stuff like that. You know, it's just the normal list of uh, places that you could, uh, that were hiring in games workshop so it was just there under you know black library author so mm. yeah okay that's actually really fascinating so awesome um yeah so uh all right so um so you wrote about so obviously you had put your pitches forward um and never heard back from but we got the job another way uh yeah i i'd actually been pitching um like i said since i was 13 so uh I think the first story was The Cold Hand of Betrayal, which was a Warhammer anthology way back in like 2006 or something like that. And mm-hmm. uh, be- because the windows are open roughly once a year, I think I've entered about 10, or at least I've been trying for about a decade uh, before I got that sort of that final break there. Um, so, yeah, I suppose the moral of that story is just keep going because. Uh, I think once before, when I was about 15, they said that one of the stories I'd pitched had been, to quote, not too shabby, which was encouraging. Um, yeah. 
But besides that, yeah, it was just a case of, you know, you don't really have anything to lose. You just, it doesn't take a great deal of work to knock up a, a pitch. You know, it's a month or two of thinking about it and writing it. Um, and like everyone, I think I overthought it a lot. Everyone seems to, you know, try and strive to make every single sentence absolutely perfect. Whereas, you know, you should do that. But at the same time, there's only so much you can do in terms of perfection. It's just about letting go at some point. So, yeah, the the entry itself isn't particularly strenuous in terms of workload. So, you know, I was just doing that every year, not really thinking about it, genuinely not thinking towards the end that I was ever going to get in because it would just become a bit of a tradition, really, submitting mm. just about every um, But, yeah, then it, it worked unexpectedly. So there we go. Awesome. So, so you'd advise any budding authors to pop their submissions in? Oh, absolutely. It's, you know, if you don't know, sorry, if you don't try, you won't know. Um, it's it's literally a case of just keeping at it and it will genuinely probably take years before you get noticed. I mean, uh, like I said, the first one that I submitted to when I was 13, um, I'm pretty sure I submitted a Warhammer 40,000 story for what was specifically a Warhammer fantasy submission. <laughs> Although, well, I seem to remember reading later on that actually a lot of people have done that and the, the guidelines weren't clear. So I'm going to say that it's not my fault. But yeah, you make mistakes and... Um, you know, it, it won't go your way nine times out of ten, but you genuinely just have to keep up with it. And the only thing that's stopping you over time, if you keep going, is your own ability to sustain um, the passion and the desire to get where you want to be. Mm. So awesome advice, really. So um, when you, you actually write a, a novel or story for Black Library, um, what do you go to them with an idea or do they come to you with what they want written or is it... Something in between. I mean, you already alluded to, you know, you you got a brief with Curse of Fenris and uh, not Curse of Fenris. Yeah, Curse Nearly. of Fenris. Curse of the Curse yeah, of the Wolf. No, 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 Curse no, of the Curse Wolf, of the Wolf. <laughs> was David Annadale's one. Yes, and Legacy of Russ is my one. And then just to make it even more confusing, they've combined them into an anthology called Legacy of the Wolf. <laughs> yes, that's 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 right. <laughs> um awesome so 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 you've already sort of alluded that you've got a, a very much guideline with that and Dawn of War. So what is it for the rest of your books? Do you, are you more free or do you go to them with ideas or do they? Um, it's a mixture, but genuinely or generally these days, it's more you approach them with an idea. Now, uh, I think other authors have talked previously that the studio for a while was more focused on asking us to write stuff to tie in with releases. So yeah. um, wasn't Fenris is the perfect example of that. They wanted the fiction to back up the sort of the modeling and the gaming, which they were expanding upon. Um, but I think not long after that, the, there was a bit of a sea change and it went back to um, Black Library saying to authors, what would you like to write for us? Go for it if they think it's good enough, uh, which I think supposedly they realized that Gaunt's Ghosts might never have been written if they'd adopted this policy of only writing very specific tie-in for releases. So I think that opened a few eyes. And uh, yeah, the, the policy is more or less we submit uh, genuinely anything that we think is cool. And then sometimes we get told no and sometimes yes. Uh, and they do also have um, the reverse instances, like I said, uh, Dawn of War 3, where, you know, they come to you with a story. It's the same in a slightly less rigid framework, because obviously Dawn of War 3 was very specific. We need this for the game. But um, my next novel after the next Karkaradon one, uh, Blood of Ajax, which is about uh, Ultramarine's Primaris, was suggested to me. It was a case of 
we think this would be pretty cool to have. It's not absolutely necessary, but we're probably going to look for a writer to write about, you know, a, a Primaris centric story or series of stories. So if you want to do that, and if you've got ideas for that, then pitch it to us and we'll see where it goes. And, you know, I thought that sounded cool. So I was like, yeah, I'll do them. So that's where that one's come from. It's a bit of both, I guess. Uh, initially their idea, but me running with stuff after that. Yeah. Is that so, the one they put, is that the, the prequel to that? Is that the one they put on the chat book? Exactly, yes. Yes, I haven't read yeah. it yet, but... Yeah, it's the one about um, a Primaris apothecary and chaplain who are also blood brothers. They So they were actually brothers before they were recruited into the Ultramarines. So yeah. hopefully that's a lot of fun because it obviously is offering a lot of interesting... Um, well, something a bit different for the norm because we've not really seen too many stories specifically from either chaplain or an apothecary's point of view. So I'll be sort of focusing on their adventures in the book, which uh, I'm currently just editing. So that's the current project. Awesome, awesome. So um, obviously, then you've just done uh, you've done a couple of audio dramas now. You did uh, uh, the one with uh, was it Vox? No. That's not the yes. Term. Yes. Yeah. No, yeah. Sorry. Um, yep. you'll, you'll have to forgive me. I, I, I had a, I had a car accident a few years ago, and I've got a little bit of brain damage, so my uh, memory is absolutely atrocious. No, you managed to remember it more or less exactly. It's um, not even in English; it's in Latin. So yeah. And, and, then, and then you did, um, and then you did the uh, the Perturabo one, which is the one we yes. love. Um, uh, on and um, obviously that's how how different is it writing an audio drama compared to writing. Uh, you know the equivalent um, story. It is. Prose. It is quite. Yeah, it's quite a difference. Um, it's it's a bit of a sea change initially because you have to learn to let the audio, as in the the characters' dialogue, do the heavy lifting for you. Um, and it's also interesting because it's changed over times within the studio itself. So when I did Fox Tenebris, um, it was sort of. Uh, the characters obviously were designed to be doing most of the talking, but there's still quite a lot of the narrator just doing what you have in all stories, really, mm -hmm. uh, describing the surroundings and the fighting, all that sort of stuff. Whereas nowadays, the shift that Black Library has undertaken is that they're specifically trying to do radio play style audio dramas, which means no narrator. It's literally all just um, spoken, which... I have yet to do, and it sounds incredibly intimidating. But uh, yeah, that's that's the style they've gone for. I think uh, Titans Bane, which is uh, Chris Dow's next audio drama about a tank crew of a shadow sword. I think that is going to be one of the first all the way through just audio. Uh, sorry, just sort of spoken character speaking, as opposed to a narrator adding bits of color text, which is very interesting. Yeah, um, sail at the. Um... At the New Year's Open Day, was it, or was it the Warhammer 40k? It's been on sale at one of the open days. Yes. Um, but I haven't yeah. picked it up yet. Yeah. Um, I have yet to listen to it, but apparently it's amazing and I can't wait. Um, so, yeah, it's it's very different because you focus, you learn to focus on the, the character's dialogue and you try and cut back on the narration. And then you also have things like you have to bear in mind the sound effects, obviously. So you add in, in the script itself, you put in, you know, orcs roaring or boltifier or whatever and you want to try and get that atmosphere right it also helps to do stuff like just read it out loud to yourself which is weird and sounds strange especially to the people that live next door to you but um <laughs> I yeah, it, it, yeah a bit. but uh it it makes sense when you think about it because you know this is you have to divest yourself of the idea that in any way what you're writing is going to be on the page it's all audio and therefore how you actually write things 
doesn't matter because it's how they deliver it is is the key to it right okay um awesome um so when you write an audio drama do you get an idea of of who might be voicing the characters uh, at all um i i think the more experienced audio drama writers do i just have done it so infrequently that i didn't realize i could probably just ask who they're gonna think to cast um i know some of the authors um supply sort of directives with the draft so they say uh in my mind this character is like this and you know they often even give uh say a famous actor or someone that they think they're kind of sort of based oh, off a bit right. um to sort of help with the casting and stuff like that i i've never the two that i've done i've not had any sort of interaction with the actual audio studio um or the cast or anything i just let them handle it because i thought that was just you know what they did and didn't really think about the fact that as the author i can probably interact a bit more and give some more directives yeah uh, so maybe I'll, I'll think about that more next time if yeah because yeah, because I was going to ask, do you provide guidance about the character, how the character talks and their motivations and characteristics to help the voice actor? Yes. Uh, well, yes, other ones do, and I should do. I just didn't sort of think about that initially. Um, but yeah, the uh, I think it's fairly standard practice for the, the author to add a little bit, sort of page or two, just sort of how they see the character, how they see them speaking and talking and uh, just general directions like that, because that will definitely helps the the cast when it comes to the recording, I think. So um, yeah, in the future, I shall try and do that. <laughs> yeah, I was actually listening to um, the Perturabo uh, one in the car. and My Nana was with me. We were taking out, I can't remember where. Yep. And she just said, isn't that what's his name off the archers? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It is. Um, yeah, I, I had no idea until uh, I was told later on that, uh, I've shamefully now forgotten his name as well, but he plays oh, Adam. I have. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, which I think is pretty cool because, you know, the Archers is massive. Yeah. Uh, it's been running for decades. So um, I was pretty excited when I found that out. But uh, yeah, I had no idea initially. Uh, again, I think if I'd actually asked, then they probably would have told me. But uh, being a naive young audio drama writer who's only done two before, I just kind of let them do their thing and hope for the best. And thankfully, I think I got the best. So yeah. So you've got a you've got um, have you got any more audio dramas coming up, or is it? Uh... Um, I have not got any officially at the moment. I have spoken for a while about doing um, an audio drama that uh, the idea is that it would be an Imperial Navy Void Fighter Squadron. So um, we've seen the Imperial Navy's atmospheric aircraft like mm -hmm. Thunderbolts and lightning, and, you know, Double Eagle, that sort of stuff. But I don't think we've ever had a story that talks about, uh, I think, Fury interceptors and stuff that's, uh, you know, they fight in space. They come out of the capital ships and they engage enemy fighters and they bomb enemy capital ships and do all that sort of stuff in, in the void warfare. So I've been thinking for a while about trying to do sort of a pilot or a crew of one of these fighters um, which I think would work well for audio because, you know, you'd get the engines and the laser beams and it would be all sort of Star Wars-y TIE fight type stuff. Yeah, despite, yeah. The fact, despite the fact you can't hear anything in space, but yeah. we'll just, you know, that doesn't matter. I think uh, so I'd, I'd like to do that, but that's one of those projects that I keep talking about and getting pushed back by sort of the more immediate stuff. So at some point I'd like to, but we'll see. Yeah, I can think of only one time that they really actually covered that and that was only to support a space marine. Who right, jumped on the back of one and it flew him over to the enemy ship so he could ah, board it. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, I think that would have potential, but we shall see. Yeah, that sounds good. Um, so, um, a lot of people do find you know 40k books to be a 
bit tad predictable, and some actually refer to them as bolter porn. Mm-hmm. Um, when you write, do you try to deliver something more original, or do you try and do something that keeps the regular readers, you know, what they what they expect in the terms of the just actiony stuff? Although I've read um, your stuff, so I know, I know, I know the. I, I think I know the answer. <laughs> I think the sort of the reader base is so large for Black Library. There's so many people that read the books. I think it's very difficult to pin down when, you know, something is too much of this or that. I think every author just wants to tell the best sort of story that they can tell. Uh, I know that personally I feel, I mean, I've never been told, A, include more action, or B, cut back on the action, really, not in terms of a broad plot sense. Um, I think everyone is in for a balance in terms of it as a 40k story unless it's something specific like say you know the eisenhorn trilogy where it's very much cloak and dagger they tend to be 90 percent you know they're based around some sort of combat scene or action or military engagement um which you know i love writing so i love putting that in i think i was quite conscious of it with red tithe because it was the first one that i wrote you know it was my own plot and i came up with it myself yeah, uh, I wanted to strike the balance. So I think there's deliberately no Space Marine versus Chaos Space Marine until about the halfway point. So I can say, ah, look at all this build up. But um, <clears> yeah, I, I, I don't that. think, yeah, I don't think that it's something that writers go into consciously. I don't think they say, oh, I need to do more action or less action here. I think they just want to tell the story they want to tell. And some people might think that wherever that particular story is, too much of one or too much of the other but that's all down to personal interpretation so it's not something that you know people should really not something that other authors i think should worry too much about um as long as they're producing something that they're happy with then go for it awesome now obviously you've written a lot of 40k and age of sigma um mm-hmm. so uh and you just done your first heresy story which is the yep. first audio drama and um was that a different mindset to get into or was it something you could uh, approach differently um it was fairly easy to get into because um you know i have read the heresy and sadly i've not read all of it i'm not as up to scratch as a lot of people are but i yeah i do have that basis and also just because of the background you know i i knew the heresy law having grown up with it i used to love the um index astartes white dwarf articles which mm-hmm. uh you know they chronicled each space marine chapter in their history and i used to love reading about ones like the iron warriors and stuff things like the iron cage uh campaign you know i read about that when i was like 10 or something so i had that basis of the legions pre-existing before the chapters in the war bands that broke off them post-heresy and in that sense, no, I don't. I don't think it was that difficult because we already have such a rich foundation because of all the other heresy books. We can see the legions in action pre-heresy and how you know how they existed prior to the schism, which either tainted them or set them against each other. So uh, I think it was just a case of tapping into all that previous work, which laid their groundwork, the basis for you know how they interacted with each other. Um, and then I guess the 41st millennium version is sort of just an afterthought, really, if you're focusing on that. Mm. Okay. Um, so moving on to concentrate on the Iron Warriors a little bit, because that's what the focus of the main, uh, the main focus of this episode is all about. And yep. what the things we brought you on for. So your third story that I think was published was um, an Iron Warrior story in 40K. It was indeed. Yes. Yes. Um, so that was quite a good one. I remember from the, uh, I, I meant to reread it this weekend to, ready for this, but I haven't had a chance. 
that's okay. Um, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I asked specifically to write about it. The the brief was just chaos space between short stories. So I, I actually did two for the advent a couple of years ago. Yeah, yeah. One was a um, Angels of Ecstasy, I think it was. So uh, Sanoshi, Renegade Space Marines. And then the other one was the Iron Warriors because they are alongside the Night Lords, my favorite uh, traitor legion. Um, yeah, so I asked to write that specifically. I realized that there'd never really been a story about uh, a warpsmith who, uh, as a character, it's a relatively new sort of archetype. Um, the idea of these sort of corrupt tech marines, which mm -hmm. I thought just would fit perfectly with the Iron Warriors. So um, I just took it from there, really. And yeah. So, I mean, what was the approach to, you know, was it different approaching the Legion from the other side of the heresy uh, and writing about them uh, before they fell to chaos compared to. Yes. Done. Yes, definitely. Because you don't, I think the, the thing which I realized most clearly on when I started writing the audio drama was that I didn't want to fall into the trap of thinking, oh, we all know what happens to these guys. They turn traitor and, you know, turn on their brothers and become the bad guys. That's wouldn't be the best way to approach the story. I don't think you have to try and take it from a standpoint of you don't know what's coming and these guys are who they are. You don't overemphasize um, certain traits which become clearer and clearer as the setting progresses. So stuff like the bitterness, which is always talked about relating to the Iron Warriors and um, how unhappy they are with their treatment during the Great Crusade. Mm -hmm. That, when I wrote the audio drama, that idea is still developing. So although it's well established in the 41st millennium and its nucleus is there in the Great Crusade, it's not something that I wanted to lean too massively on, which is why, to give some spoilers, I guess, um, Percy Rabo himself is um, chastising his warriors when they are openly inciting the Imperial Fists. Because everyone knows, oh, the Iron Warriors and Imperial Fists, they hate each other. They do, but at this stage, they don't hate each other half as much as they would in the future, if mm. you get me. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it would be a bit silly and gimmicky to have them at each other's throats. And it's nice to remind people that actually there was a time when, you know, they used to more or less get on and then that deteriorated over time. Hmm. So, I mean, the Primarchs themselves are considered sort of demigods. So um, did this pose a challenge when writing Stone and Iron? It was quite intimidating because they are such, well, they are the biggest characters in the setting alongside the Emperor. You know, they're, they're huge uh, in every sense of the word. But... Uh, I guess I was sort of eased in the, the shallow end in a sense because I wasn't writing about Perturaba really from his point of view at all. It was um, all the Iron Warrior scenes are from uh, Ferrix, who uh, is actually the character from uh, Blood and Iron, the 41st Millennium short story, who I then cheekily retrograded. Oh, yeah, yeah there's, there's a little link there. He is He's the tech marine um, in the audio drama who then becomes the Wolfsmith by um the short story in my mind i'd love to you know do one or two ferric short stories every advent calendar and then in about three or four years have a you know like an omnibus of ferric's adventures <laughs> but uh that's another one of those songs i might just never get around to but uh the the audio drama is more or less locked to his point of view and it's how he views perturabo which is a lot easier than writing about how perturabo views everyone else because i can 
vaguely get myself into the mindset of how I would react if there was a demigod leading me into battle, whereas it's a lot of, uh, or it's a far greater struggle to get into the mindset of the demigod who's doing the one leading into battle, if it makes sense. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, having that distance from it helped me to write the story in a sense, because, um, yeah, it's how I would react to Perserabo, as opposed to how... Um, what his inner thoughts and feelings are, which we don't really discuss. We discuss it via his dialogue, but we don't know what he's actually thinking specifically. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, um, this was sort of like, um, in a way, quite unusual having the, the Iron Warrior, well, not unusual having the Iron Warriors and the, and the Imperial Fist together, but having them get on. Well, not get on, but... <laughs> not kill each other. Not kill each other. <laughs> there will be some respect. Little bit. Um, but considering that the, the two legions are, are actually considered, you know, two sides of the same coin by a lot of people, what was the appeal about writing about them together? Um, I think that was a little bit sort of instinctive on my part in the same way that I chose the Night Lord to be the uh, antagonists in Red Tithe for the Karkaradans. I guess, you know, it's just rule of cool initially because you say, wow, these guys are kind of like, what's going to happen when they face each other off? Um I guess when it's uh, more established and rivalry, the way you have it with the Iron Warriors and the Imperial Fists, there's a danger that, you know, it's a bit cliche gimmicky because other people have done it. But at the same time, I sort of wanted to take the opportunity to have a go myself at looking at these two um, opposed and similar legions because, you know, they are a fascinating dynamic between the two of them. Um, and yeah, I just want the opportunity to explore that in a Great Crusade setting, which really isn't something like you know is going to come along every day, in terms of uh, when people ask me to write things at, at Black Library. So I wanted to tell uh, as much of a classic Iron Warrior story as I could, and I needed the Imperial Fists to help me do that. Awesome, and it, it is a different take on them, to be honest. Together, yeah, yeah, I suppose so. <laughs> it's, it's, it's it's different enough that it's. Yeah, I like that. You know, as opposed to, oh, it's the, it's the Iron Warriors versus the Imperial Fists again. Yeah, yeah. I mean, going into it, if I if I took the plunge and said, I want to write Imperial Fists and Iron Warriors, that in itself, you know, could be seen as a little bit of a cliche, but I didn't then want to um, over-egg that by then having them just, you know, ending up fighting each other or something like that. It was the realisation that I could use this as an opportunity to say, oh, actually let's explore the mindset they had for one another when things have turned pretty sour, but they are still a fair bit distanced from outright conflict. Mm. Um, so yeah, hopefully that is the interesting angle on the story itself, which makes it worthwhile. Yeah, definitely. I, I do think it's a worthwhile story. So <laughs> thank you. Um, <laughs> good so what kind of background reading did you do for the, for the audio drama um, to try and get into the mind of the iron warriors? Um, did, you, um, did you speak to Graham McNeil and Guy Haley for their viewpoints at all? Or? I did not speak to them, uh, partly because I'm probably still a bit too scared to directly approach such <laughs> such August authors. But uh, no, I did read um, Hammerhead Olympia and uh, reread Storm of Iron, which you know is seminal in terms of well, it's just a great 40k novel, let alone the Iron Warriors. Yeah. Um, so between the two of them you are know, pretty pretty well prepared um, i felt and then i'd also gone back over the reading of sort of the old the old background stuff so things like the, the index of studies which i first read when i was a kid about the iron warriors and i love the fact that um the battle of the iron cage is described in the index of studies articles for both the iron warriors and the imperial fists and the 
description and even the outcome is totally different in both because it's obviously using the unreliable narrator and it's how they view it. So in the Iron Warriors account of the Iron Cage, they trick Dawn and decimate his legion and more or less get revenge for the Imperial Palace. Whereas in the Imperial Fists version, they Dawn nobly sacrifices a large part of his legion in order to accept the new changes brought on by Gilliman uh, with the new sort of the codex style of chapters. And they give the Iron Warriors a bloody nose and all that sort of stuff. So... Yeah, they're, they're, going, that, they're going in as a, a as a legion and coming out as a chapter. Exactly. So that in itself is an excellent example of how 40k relies sometimes on this this unreliable narrator, um, and how you can you can play that sort of stuff up when when you write your own things, because uh, who knows what the truth is really. But yeah, that sort of thing was what I read back in order to prep myself more or less. Awesome. Um, so. And, and speaking about Graham McNeil, a lot of people see the Iron Warriors as his legion, um, as he's probably done the most to define them. Yep. Um, did you ever feel at all like you were, his shadow was looming over you, or did you just sort of get on with the job? And um, A little bit. Um, it, was, it was mostly a case of get on with the job. Um, it had been so long since I'd read Storm of Iron before I reread it that I felt as though there was a bit of, a bit of distance there. Um, and I think it's it's fairly well known now that black library authors aren't you know covetous as to who they write about. They're actually often quite happy to have other people writing about the things which they write about, because at the end of the day, it's all Games Workshop. And am I right in saying that um, I've forgotten which way it went? But uh, Dan Abnett wrote um, is it Prospero Burns with the Space Wolves? Yes. Um, in a deliberate attempt to, and he swapped that with another novel, who another, which was being done by another author, because people thought that they were going to be doing those opposite novels, but actually they decided to switch things up a bit. Um, sorry, that's, that's not very clear because I can't remember the other author, but uh, it was a deliberate attempt to get rid of the idea that, oh, this author writes about these guys. So again, not having Graham write all of the Ultramarines, Horace Heresy stuff, for example, um, because you know, it's, I guess it's interesting having other people having a crack at it. Um, so yeah, there was a bit, there was a bit of, uh, I definitely wanted to make sure that I stuck with the groundwork he'd laid um, mm. and how they sort of develop into the 41st millennium. Yeah. But at the same time, I don't think that any Black Library author is, would feel too beholden to previous work. Yeah. Awesome. Um, so, in Graham's Magnus book, which he wrote, we have Pert Rabo in there as well. Um, and he's sort of more optimistic and positive. Mm -hmm. um, but in yours, he's started to become cynical and jaded uh, as he is at the end. Um, so, I mean, what kind of stuff do you think he sort of has been through to kind of destroy that optimism? Because your story is set only a short period of time after Graham's. Mm -hmm. um, I think... Perhaps one of the interesting things about the Iron Warriors is that the destruction of their good character traits, if you will, was brought on through the slow grind of incessant warfare and loss rather than a single, you know, like Magnus uh, revelation moment where he sort of realizes something or does something that triggers vast amounts of change. Um, I think that aside from Dawn being the one to get to design the Imperial Palace's defences over Perturaba, there's not, you know, as many singular moments that you can deliberately point to with the Iron Warriors that causes their 
turn to heresy. But I think that's their strength because in reality, normally when someone ends up doing something wrong, it's a lot of small steps that have taken them there as opposed to, you know, a single grand revelation or misstep that has caused um, difficulties they find themselves in. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I don't I don't think that I could I could point out a single thing between the two novels that I can say, ah, this is what made Perdurabo into a bad guy. It was stuff which you see in the audio drama, the rivalry with the fists being put into conflicts that are inglorious and simply result in, you know, the clinical expenditure of many material against enemies that no one else really cares about is is really I'd say the what leads Perserada down his, his darker path. Okay, awesome. So when you actually got to listen to the audio drama, was it what you envisioned it to be? Yes, um, more or less. The I wasn't, because I didn't know the casting beforehand, I didn't know what to expect in terms of you know the actual the voices, but I think by the end of it, I was fully invested with um, Perserada's character. I think he delivers the ending brilliantly. Uh, it's, you know, it's sort of a case of did I write that because yeah, it came out so well and it's it's a bit removed from the script to the actual um, you know hearing it delivered orally so that in itself is is exciting and yeah I can't really imagine how it could be improved upon they certainly the studio nailed that one I think uh, and it's always fun having that as the finished product because uh, writing is generally very solitary. It's you and your editor at best normally. So knowing there's a team behind it is, is quite exciting. Awesome. So um, so when it comes down to it, who do you think will <laughs> win in the straight-up fight between the Iron uh, and the Imperial Fists? Oh, no. Um, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make, make the claim and I'm going to stick by it for the rest of my life. I, at heart, am a loyalist. So I prefer the Imperial Fists, but... In a battle, I'm going to give it to the Iron Warriors. Fair enough. Um, <laughs> I think I might side with you on that one as well. Yeah, <laughs> I think they're just willing to take more attrition. Exactly, and it's the experience. You know, they've got most of them at this stage in the 41st Millennium aren't, um, you know, the veterans of the Long War, but they've still got those in there. So if it was a modern day fight, I'd give it to the Iron Warriors. If it was the Heresy era, then probably still give it to the Iron Warriors because, like you said, the the amount of resources they're willing to throw in. Um, is is exceptional, but yeah, but don't tell the Inquisition I said that. No problem. <laughs> so, um, all right. Now I know it's not heresy, but I love the Charles Chatteron's book. You've books you've written so far, the shorts and the uh, Red Tithe. Um, Thank you. And this show actually goes out a few days prior to the release of Outer Dark. Hooray! Um, and I guess personally, I'd like to ask you if this book will address the stuff that's sort of gone on in the wider forty k universe since the first book came out. So. How will the chapter react to the splitting of the galaxy asunder by the um the big warp storm, the Citrix? Uh, I can't remember the name. <laughs> the last Me neither, don't worry. <laughs> and will they be getting Primaris Brothers? Um, well, I can categorically say that this novel will not be dealing with that because it's set a hundred years before the Gathering Storm. Still, <laughs> ah. um, so yeah, the first one, Red Tithe, is set in oh, uh, eight hundred and seventy-five, I think, uh, Millennium Forty-One. So, if the Gathering Storm is nine 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 Millennium Forty-One, then it's about 125 years before the Gathering Storm events. Ah. And then the sequel, so Outer Dark, is set 10 years on from Red Tithe, but, you know, that's still 110, 15 years 
prior to the Big Bang, if you will, uh, and interestingly, still 15 years from the Bad of War. So that might be something to note. Ooh. But uh, yeah, in, in my mind, if this continues to be successful, then really long-term future, I would like to you know go into... Uh, the Gathering Storm, and then right up to date with uh, Indomitus. So, you know, sort of 100 years after the Gathering Storm. But that would be very much, you know, a long-term plan and dependent on how things go, just writing generally. Um, if I did a third one, then that would probably, again, be set maybe a decade after Outer Dark. So still 100 years prior to the cool stuff that happens later on. Um, as for how they'd react That's to deba- all that, that I... debatable depending on your point of view for some people. Well, yeah, okay. <laughs> well, I like it. I like it, but... I do too. There's a lot of cool stories just waiting to be written about that stuff, so um, it... watch that space, definitely. Yeah, people complaining, you don't move on the story, and then when they do... Oh, well... I know, I know. I was, uh, to be honest, I was a firm don't move on the story guy, because um, I took the view that uh, i think aaron espoused it best that it's 40k as a setting not a story so you put stories into that test setting but the setting itself doesn't really change but clearly yeah clearly the the weight of uh, the fans desire was behind moving it forward and you know i'm happy that they did because actually so much is now you know, there for the taking in terms of interesting things to write about. I mean, obviously, I'm biased because I'm getting to write a Primaris story, which I'm enjoying immensely. But um, yeah, as for the Karkaradans, how they respond to all that remains to be seen. I've not really thought about it too much, and it's not been discussed uh, background-wise. So if I do cover that, which, you know, I'd like to at some point, but it won't be for a little while yet. Okay, and uh, I think um, Red Tide got quite good reviews, Um there were some bad ones as well. And, and how do you deal with those, both, both the good and the bad? Um, I think, you know, sometimes the bad galvanizes you. Uh, and and certainly there's, absolutely there's room for, quotation marks, bad reviews that are uh, constructive, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've Especially for me, you know, I've not been doing this very long. I am still a new writer, absolutely. I have a lot still to learn. I'm, you know, eager to take things on board. And I think I am learning with every single thing I write. Uh, how to do things better so uh, constructive criticism is um not only good it's essential i'd say so that is good uh non-constructive to be honest i don't think i've received too much um of that it doesn't really bother me particularly uh although i do see all these comments about jet bikes but i I, i've (laughs) not yet read anything in you what you've written about jet bikes literally never written about jet bikes in my life i once i once made a throwaway comment online that i thought it would be cool if the carcaradans had a jet bike squad because and i have defended this in the background because they scavenge stuff because they are of the heresy era um you know spoiler alert i don't think that's that's not unknown at that period uh, should clarify they didn't exist during the heresy in their current form but they have stuff from the heresy hence the armor you know they have lots of heresy era armor um so in my mind, I think it'd be really rule of cool if there were, you know, just five of them with jet bikes and there'd be a squad of them and they would just kill stuff and that would be amazing. However, apart from suggesting that tentatively, I've never actually written about it and there's no guarantee I ever will. So it's it's topical at the moment because the custodians now have jet bikes. So 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 yeah. so the, the so the nickname that some people give you, Jet Bike Jesus, is not. <laughs> I I think that was like that happened over a period of a week and. <laughs> I think most people now no longer realize where it came from because it, it was pretty random. I think the shark guy epitaph is, is more common now. So, and not that I'm against jet bikes, I think they're awesome. And I'll, 
probably maybe now just includes jet bikes because I can. We'll see. <laughs> you should. Thank you. I shall uh, take this as official permission. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, um, I think that's about an hour we've been talking, so I should probably wrap yeah. it up there. So let, yeah, you, sure let you get your tea. Yeah, that's that's time, isn't it? Yeah, should should probably focus on eating as opposed to just writing more, which is probably a good idea. <laughs> could, yes, it is. It is. I was at um, Octocon last year. Uh, right. Dan Abnett was the uh, guest of honor, and um, oh. so was um, Nick, his uh, wife, and and uh, one of the panels. Someone was saying, "Do you, do you ever forget to eat?" Because <laughs> you know he's well known for writing so much, and uh, <laughs> and uh, his wife just short chipped in, and she was like, "Yes, quite <laughs> often." Oh no. <laughs> Yeah, that's uh, it's how we maintain the sort of starving artist's appearance. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Okay, yeah. well, it was fantastic to talk to you, Robbie. Yeah, thank you. It's been a lot of fun. Um, yeah, it's been great. Flew to I. Okay, so we're going to take a quick read. Uh, well, uh, Chris is going to read something about the fluff of the Iron Warriors. So um, I will let him and go. Some, every word. Yeah, some every word, word is going to have it tastes like ash in my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to make that. When we do the, uh, the uh, um, Imperial Fist episode, I'll, give it, I'll do the same for you, okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever. <laughs> so the Iron Warriors... They are the fourth legion of the legion those Astartes, uh, found in the closing stages of the Unification Wars. The earliest recruits were drawn from the Gun Tribes, Blood Greaves, and the Tech Enclaves of the Aru Plateau, Plateau of Sek Amrak. Their gene seed showed an above-average rate of adaptability, and implant rejection was very low, which meant the legion was built up quite rapidly. The fourth legion fought with honour in the opening stage of the Great Crusade. As one of the most numerous of the legions in the opening years, they were split into several expeditionary fleets. Their military formations, methods and techniques remain strictly in adherence with those laid down for the legionaries Astartes at their formation, which gave the fourth a reputation of being unimaginative and mechanistic. The fourth were considered more reliable in deployment than other legions, ready to take commands from the imperial hierarchy without complaint, and as such they are often tasked to fight which, whilst fighters of the Crusade, were lacking glory and ones of drawn-out bloodshed. They were seen as a workhorse legion who could be relied upon, and unlike the Iron Hands, Lunar Wolves and Space Wolves, willing to split their forces and obey human theatre commanders. Early on, they became known for bringing maximum force to bear on their enemies, with focused bombardments, high-intensity shelling and calculated fields of fire, with the deployment of heavy armour and mechanised forces. It was noted that once battle commenced, they would not relate, relent in their attack unless commanded to by the highest authority, regardless of any turn in fortune or high casualties. This stubbornness led to a near annihilation of the Iron Warriors of the 8th Expeditionary Fleet with the loss of 29,000 Marines. Their Primarch, Perturabo, had been scattered to the planet Olympia and was adopted by the tyrant of Locos, Damon. Demekos, who took time and trouble to win his affections. But Perturabo was cold and melancholy and never returned his adopted father's love. He never trusted the Olympians, but did learn from them the art of siegecraft during the, during the city-state's various wars. Eventually, he conquered Olympia for his adopted father and gained the names the Hammer of Olympia and the Lord of Iron. 
when the Emperor's fleet appeared in orbit of Olympia, Demacus willingly joined the Imperium and released Pearl Harbor into the Emperor's service, at which point he travelled to Terra to learn of his destiny and meet some of his brother Primarchs, becoming particularly close to Magnus due to their mutual love of history. During this time, Pertorabe studied his legion and found them wanting. He found not that they had failed in the Great Crusade, but they had not reached their full potential, and thus he punished them with decimation, and one in ten of his warriors, chosen by lottery, was put to death by the remainder with their bare hands. Many in the Imperial Court protested. Loudest of all were those from Robert, Robert Gilman, which caused a rift between them. Pertorabe taught his warriors that failure under him would be paid for with death. After forging an alliance with the Mechanicum, Pertorabo returned to Olympia with his legion and built shipyards and foundries to support his legions, and taking a flesh tithe from the people to reinforce the legion. The legion returned to the front lines where under the Primarch they gained a reputation as brutal efficiency, mastery of armed warfare, and artillerists without peer. It was said of the Iron Warriors that there was no fortress they could not smash down. The Iron Warriors were thrown deadly foe after deadly foe, never asking for or being sent reinforcements that they themselves did not generate or require. This caused a bitterness to develop in the Legion and amplified discord and resent- resentment with the rest of the Imperium. As the Crusade moved on, the Iron Warriors were made to establish citadels of, li- of liberated worlds to create safe lines of communication and imperial occupational force. But the garrisons of the Iron Warriors were often ridiculously small, one example was a single squad of 10 tactical marines to garrison a world with a disgruntled population of 130 million people. And the Iron Warriors' indisputable success at siege warfare saw, they type, saw them typecast so that they became the only choice for any siege of garrison mission, which ignored the basic needs of the Legion to rest and reorganise, which only further furthered resentment towards the wider Imperium. Towards the end of the Crusade, Demacus died and Olympia fell into rebellion forcing Pertorabo and the Legion to abandon the campaign against the Harad, and they brutally purged Olympia city by city. At the end of the cleansing, five million Olympians were dead, and the rest put into slavery. And in this moment, as the pyres of the homeworld burned around them, the Iron Warriors knew that the Emperor would never forgive them, and it was at this moment that news of the outbreak of the heresy reached them. They were ordered to join the six other legions in an attack on Istvan V where the traitor legions had based themselves. During the battle, the Iron Warriors, alongside the World Bearers, Night Lords and the Alpha Legion, revealed that they too had turned against the Emperor and joined a massacre of the Raven Guard Salamanders and the Iron Hands. To celebrate Pertorabo's joining of the traitor legions, he was presented with a Thunderhammer Forgebreaker, which had belonged to Ferris Manus, but upon his beheading was taken from his corpse, the granting of which this gift symbolised the loyalty of Pertorabo to Horus. Very dramatic. Well done. Very Real dramatic. round of applause. Well Little round of applause for Chris reading yeah. that. That was excellent. Okay. So, as you can see, we've been harshly treated, Iron Warriors. I think, you know, don't, you know, don't blame us. You, you deserved it. Now, I must admit, the decimation of the Legion was, even I was a little I think bit, self-inflicted wound. Do you? I think that we just got basically all the stuff that nobody else wanted to do. See, we're good at that kind of thing. Yeah. Well, you know. I don't know. I suppose I'm trying to think. Is it was it was it enough? Was what? that was that enough? Do you think? Okay, here's a here's a question for the pair of you. Regardless of where the the story went and the narrative went, 
do you do you feel that there was enough of a justification for the trait for the legion to turn traitor? Yes, I know they massacred the people on Olympus. Sorry, on Olympia, but before then, do you think that that, that was a, a result of their sort of bitter discontent, i.e., they completely ignored the rules of the Imperium and killed everybody, or do you think that they were would have always gone down this route? Regardless? I think it was a grim acceptance that you were never going to be as good as Imperial Fists, and you just thought, you know what? You guys should be... listen to um, Malkador, First Lord of the Imperium, a little short story that Laurie Goulding publishes part of the Advent Calendar um, at Christmas. And that okay. offers a potential explanation for, in fact, why all of the traitor legions turned. Um, whether it is actually the, the case yes. or not, because as with all things with, especially the Lori Goulding, not everything is necessary as it seems, but there is the, you know, there is an exp- a potential explanation offered in that story. Uh, it's not been out that long, so I'm not going to spoil it. I mean, did the Iron Warriors suffer more? than the other legions that didn't turn traitor, I suppose is the question. Or was was Perturabo's disposition always meant that he was allowed to do this? I mean that you know, I mean, decimation of his unit of his of his um warriors, for example, for it wasn't if they'd failed badly, they hadn't done as much as he wanted them to do. You know, that would be a, that would be a bit of a red flag to me. But we seen what happened to the, the, the world eaters. Yes. And I mean, they the, were crazy they weren't they? They, 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 they? they became crazy. They when they were the um, the warhounds they were you know they didn't have the butcher's nails and things like that i mean they had yeah they, they, mutilated you know, they were themselves. they were yeah, yeah and they were thrown into all sorts of horrible nasty things as well so i yeah, don't think, so I'm just trying to think uh, if, there's a, if there's a clear justification for for the iron warriors to have turned against the emperor no do you think <laughs> no? um no i uh, but then again the emperor is a bit of a knob well, yeah, the guys. They, are... they, do, they don't have the excuse of having an outside influence, like like the word bearers do, and yeah. and um, the emperor's children. You know, they've yeah, uh, they don't have that Even outside. Uh, uh, it's yeah. just general emperor being a knob. I mean, he could have yeah, he could have um, general he could have uh, saved Angron's um, family um, from you know his the, the, his fellow slaves, his fellow rebels, and he didn't. He just transported Angron up and let them be slaughtered. And then mm-hmm. took the planet anyway. Um, but the Emperor ne- was never good to Angron anyway, was he? Because he, yeah, you know, yeah, but he, he, he could have. Um, I mean, he could have transported down with his custodians. Oh I mean, the custodians would have made mincemeat of a of a primitive yeah. militia. I yeah. suppose the question is, if you imagine the Imperial Fists, or maybe the White Scars, or one of these other kind of legions, if they were trekked in the same way as the Iron Warriors, do you think they would have turned traitor as well? Not necessarily. No. No. And I must admit, as an Iron Warriors player, I don't think they would either. So I, I, I'm trying to think of whether, just to sort of justify that, you know, going against your oath, and joining with, you know, the powers of chaos, which was only sort of fledgling at this I mean, point. Is it enough? Space Wolves would be a good example of a loyalist mm. legion that, not don't necessarily get all the good gigs. No, I mean they had to. Well, from what we know, they had to destroy two other legions, didn't they? Yeah, and they get unleashed on a thousand suns, and they could have at that point, <clears throat> you know, if Russ wasn't Russ, they could have gone. Do you know, what, actually, you're ordering us to 
you're ordering me to kill my brother mm. and you're ordering my legion to kill another legion um, possibly for the not the first time yeah but they didn't that no and i know horace horace tries to get russ on board i think if i remember correctly but you know they would be a a good example of a legion that perhaps doesn't get the best run of things but chose to remain loyal i think Mm. with the iron wars it just comes it it does comes down to the, the the person at the head of the Exactly. I think you're right. The head. I think it's it feels his, petulant, doesn't it? It's like you know, yeah. I've been snubbed. And I suppose the, uh, the sort of interesting thing about Pertrov as a character is that on the outside, of course, there's this you know grim, driven you know person who looks at looks at war as a collection of numbers. Um, and then on the inside, when you you know all the things they do, where they sort of talk about is in a sort of sanctum where there's all the things he's designed and made and constructed. You know, the artisan aspect of him which is very different. So it's not a out and out straightforward, you know, crazy. There's some, there's some endearing features to the, to, yeah. To yeah. The character. He, he's, he's not soulless. He's not, you know, he isn't, mm. he, you know, he, they get described as, you know, bat war accountants, you know, they do battle by numbers, yeah, that's right, yeah. but he, outside not, of that environment, yeah. he's a very emotive, you know, he, he is ruled by his emotions True. Uh, I just don't necessarily think he's aware of it. You know, the character is aware of it. I think you're right. I think there's a, there's a, there seems to be a bit of petulance with Perturabo, which is interesting. But, you know, like if, if he feels snubbed or slighted in some way, that, that he won't forget that. You know, yeah. He'll take that forever. You know, you will never get back in his good graces. So, he, obviously, I mean, I he is very much the mirror of Dawn. Dawn is a um, you know, an honourable character. I mean, that uh, honour and loyalty are his, watch, are his things. Hmm. Whereas Pertorabo has has that, but he he yeah, takes it the the other way. His is, you, you know, I'm you besmirch my honour, sort of thing. That's it. You're dead to me. So I think with Dawn, honour and loyalty is to is to a bigger cause. Yeah, if you see what I mean. So you know, in the same way that I really like um, Robert Gilliman, you know. Although he is, you know, the Ultramarines, and we've talked about the Ultramarines before, but I like the fact that he he has that. Um, he's a guy that you think, actually, if I was a space marine, I would want to follow Robert Gilliman. I wouldn't want to follow Perturabo because I think honour and loyalty for him is something that people show him. Yeah. Whereas I think with the the sort of big uh, the big hitters in the in the loyalist world, they're they're behind a cause. You know, it's not about them; it's about the cause. It's about that, you know, the Imperium of Man and stuff like that, which is which is very interesting. So, I think it's a it's a good point. But you always feel that underneath it all, with Pertorabo, he was always in it for himself. Mm. And why why he did what he did was it? I think it was the power, the promise of power. You know, that he'd seen some stuff, particularly with Fulgrim, um, that that opened his eyes a bit, which is why they went to Talon in the first place to sort of segue back into that. So I think that that's, you know, it was always about the power with him, I think, ultimately. Yeah. Now, whether that's where his upbringing, and obviously the planets that the Primarchs were kind of brought up on had a huge impact on um, their bearing later on in life, which I guess was part of the plan from whatever, you know, mystical force spread them across the universe. So, yeah, I don't think that there is a, uh, in given the the level of conflicts that there were at the time, that the Iron Warriors 
Home of Justified. Oh, this is going to be... I'm going to be drummed out of the Iron Warriors fan club here. Uh, (laughs) I'm not sure there's a big enough justification for them turning traitor. What about you two guys? Yes or no? Uh, No. I I get why they turned traitor. You know, they Mm. were split up. They were were treated as the workhorse. Um, Yeah, they they were... um, don't get me wrong. I, I, I get that you know they don't get an easy time of it. They get kind of yeah. I think we know the why, but what we're trying, what I'm always struggle with is is that enough? Would that be enough for me to turn traitor, for example, if I was a you know space marine in the Iron Warriors? Would that be enough for me to go? Do you know what? I'm done with this Imperium. It's nothing but you know bleed me dry. Well, even this. even space marines need rest and recuperation. They do, but I think Chris's point still valid, which is about you know. If anybody was going to turn, then if and you know there must have been something in the space walls. And I hate to admit this, um, that made them immune to that. That the, the emperor could rely on them to go and destroy his their own brothers. He could rely on them to send their um, what's the name of those terminators that were sort of bodyguarding the primarchs? Oh, oh no, it was it was just little squads, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah watch squads. Yeah. Well, the watchers. Yeah, yeah. The, the five men's yeah. guys, isn't that? Yeah, so obviously there was nothing that you 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 know as far as Russ was concerned. It was, you know, the Emperor and then Russ. You know, there wasn't anything in between. It wasn't as if Russ ever had any ambition to be anything other than the servant of the Emperor, I guess. But it's an interesting one, actually. It's an interesting point. You know, did they all feel like this? Were were any other loyalists close to, um, apart from Dark Angels? I think that close to, close to, you know, kind of saying, actually, you know, we, 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 we're done. I think the White Scars might be. Yeah. Them, uh, well, yeah, part part of them did turn traitor. Did, yeah. yeah, yeah. So I think the white scars are, are there. I mean, again, they get a kind of a, a bum deal. Yeah, but a lot of that is their own doing. They rushed ahead yeah, of yeah. the crusade. You know, they 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 were right at the forefront. You know, getting yeah. you know being real. You know, supplied poorly because because they were they were so concerned about getting who they were. You know, ahead. Yeah. They didn't think about the logistics in the situation. So, yeah, yeah, the the Imperial Army had to send someone to sort out their logistics. Got you. Um, And she's fairly... So, yeah, I think other than that, I mean, Dark Angels are, I think, probably a separate topic for another time because they're also quite intriguing to me, you know, their motivations and stuff. So um, They they have an outside influence, that's the thing. Yes, you're right. But I think we'll leave Dark Angels until Angelus because we don't know all their fluff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's true. I mean, I suppose world bearers, I mean... Eidolon, is it Eidolon? The, the most hated man in heresy. Erebus. Erebus. Oh. Eidolon's a emperor's children. That's right. He's also annoying. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Erebus. He's the one who really started it all, isn't he, as far as I can tell. Him and, the, him and Corferon, yeah. yeah. The first Chaos Space Marines. Mm. So yeah, so I think that they've got obviously a lot to up. But I wonder whether the world bearers would have... Because they also they got that bum deal, didn't they? They wanted to worship the emperor. They had a, a need in their psyche to to worship something, and then when they started to worship the emperor, he you know he threatened them with, I'm assuming, Russ. No, he unleashed the um, ultramarines. Get unleashed yeah. on them. ultramarines. That's right. Yes, of course. Yeah, they go and they go and destroy monarchy, don't they? Yeah, they which is you know never a good move. Really, you've got to say, um, you know, people could you can see why. But, and you sort of then I suppose it's back to that Malkador sort of theory. But the reason the Emperor does that is because he knows the Chaos Gods are out there. Mm. And he's trying to s- stop humans from having the 
a belief system that fuels the the demons. I get that. And, I do. And, uh, so I think that's why he. I mean, that's I think that's why he does what he does to the. Mm, uh, I mean, it was quite clear. Was, this isn't going to happen. Anything to do with like organized religion or that kind of yeah. thing, super worshiping of idols and superstition and stuff, we will absolutely cramp down because that opens a pathway. That belief opens a pathway to mm. the chaos gods. My question, I suppose, and this is the million dollar question: is you would have thought we just got all those primates together in a room and said, "Look, guys, there's something I'm going to tell you. You've got to keep it on the down low." But <laughs> there's these things called chaos demons, and I'm trying to work a way around them. Just to let you know. Well, they, they, they some of the primarchs did know about them. They did, didn't they? I mean, I know Horus. You know, when in uh, the uh, what's the first book? Horus Rising. Horus Rising. Horse, Horse Rising. Yeah, and they and they first come across a demon, Logan, and uh, you know, there's that weird demon in Samus. I think it's his name, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, Samus. And it's like a earth-shattering moment when they, the, the guys that have been brought up on that imperial truth, which is very much there is no, there is nothing other than the sort of cold reason and logic uh, in the universe, suddenly are confronted with a something that completely destroys that that kind of whole world view. And I think if anything's taught us is that when people are confronted, even you know immortal people like space beings are confronted with something that fundamentally alters your worldview the consequences are generally pretty poor mm. in fact it's something we explore in the narrative of would, uh, company and legends you would, the custodes must have known yeah, they must have done mustn't they because they must have been well they were they, they, they were heads. fighting them. They, they, well yeah. they were but you think they don't well the war in the web doesn't start until after magnus anyway yeah because <laughs> he cracks it open for the demons to get in Sure. But they they must have been because the emperor. Of, oh, which book is it? Vengeful spirit. When Horus goes and gets chaos godded. Oh it's, yeah, yeah. And they say that the emperor went there, and that's where he got the powers, and he made the deal where the Primarchs all gets. Mm-hmm. So you'd think the Custodes would have gone with him. Mm-hmm. So they must have known. I, 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 I get it. Impl- I got the implication that the, he, he went before he was the emperor before he created the custodes oh okay uh, right, that, that's yeah. the impression I'm, I'm, I took no no that, that rings a very vague but I so that's a, a book I've read once I think and yeah. also I think you would have thought that the custodes with their exalted position that you know basically defending terror that they would have been told about things like demons and the like about the chaos gods I think but, I think because anyone who's going to be told, they would probably get a hand of it. I mean, they must have, because they didn't, you know, when confronted with demons for the first time, assuming that the first time they saw demons was when Magnus knacked up the webway. Yeah, there wasn't a like mass panic of custodies, was there? No, but custodies are built differently. But yeah, there's, there's sort of like that, um, sort of like the implication that uh, I think I've seen it implied that that during the um, during the unification wars, some of the some of the uh, warlords on Earth were chaos worshippers themselves. Right. That should yeah, make that sense. sense. That would make sense, yeah. But I suppose, you know, when you're talking about atrocities, I mean, like the Thunder Warriors, for example, they got a rum, rum deal, didn't they? And they were yeah. a useful tool, and then they were just discarded. So the Emperor did have a track record of this kind of thing. So oh, yes. You can, yeah. you can sort of see why, you know, if that was known, if that history was known by the Primarch, and they, and they started to think we're getting to end this crusade, now our, is it going to be our time? You know, are we done? Are we the next tool to be discarded by the emperor? Well, bear in mind that two le- two legions have gone by that point. Mm, mm. True enough. Yeah. 
Okay, so should we move on to the actual rules yes. for the Iron Warriors? So, okay. Very okay. interesting yeah. discussion, gentlemen. So, yeah, so what we're doing now is we're going to run through the the, the uh, sort of special rules and rights and all the rest of it of what makes an Iron Warriors army in the, in the rules in the Heresy. So they've got a couple of special rules. Uh, the first one is the bitter end. And this is obviously um, a bit of uh, narrative fluff around the fact that they're always, you know, there right at the end of everything. They grind these results out. So I, I always forget this one. Iron Warrior I players rarely mention it. I do mention it all of the time. You do, actually, and I've yeah. Lost, I've, lost, I've lost many a game from it, actually, truth be told. So with the bitter end, your opponent, so if you're an Iron Warriors player, your opponent may force a full six-term game rather than rolling for a random game length. So if you have a game that's got random game length, it, it will always be six turns. There's no roll-off for a sixth turn. There's always a sixth turn. Okay? Um, the other rule they have is Rack and Ruin. So... Iron Warrior, which is a really good rule, actually. So Iron Warriors don't suffer morale tests from shooting attacks, and they re-roll failed pinning tests. Mm-hmm. Uh, and all their grenade and melter bombs gain the Wrecker special rule. So a Wrecker special rule is, I think, plus one to armor penetration against uh, buildings. Um, in an environment without... So basically, this is you know, why that rule is so good. Basically means that you have to... If you're not going to close combat Iron Warriors, you have to shoot all of them. And this has been a big difference because basically you can end up uh, getting an objective by having one Iron Warrior tactical uh, Marine on an objective because they're not going to go anywhere. They just won't flee. So that's a really good thing in in a game where there's very few fearless things. uh, Having your entire army effectively fearless until it's close combated is a really useful thing, particularly for things like um, quad launchers, and for uh, heavy support squads, because there's nothing more depressing than you lose three guys in a round of heavy support, you know, your heavy support squad that's cost a couple of hundred points, three guys don't go, you roll double six, they're on their toes. They're usually at the back of the board anyway, and they're done. And you just, you know, 400 points down the train. doesn't happen if you're an Iron Warrior. So a really good and useful uh, sort of bonus rule for them. Dirty. Yes, some would say <laughs> I would say it's perfectly within their fluff and narrative. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so th- there's two specific Iron Warriors rights of war. So the first one is um, the one that pretty much every Iron Warrior will ev- ever will use because it's such a good one. So this is the um, Hammer of Olympia. So what you get with that is you get the Hail of Fire special rule, which is uh, when you fire rapid fire weapons. Um, any unit of uh, legions of Astartes, Iron Warriors, can declare an assault as long as they haven't used few of the legion. So that basically means you can um, fire your guns on full uh, full auto and still charge. Uh, obviously, normally you can't charge after firing rapid fire weapons. So a really useful thing. The, the only thing is that that does count as a disorganized charge. So that means you don't get the plus one attack. Um, and also any special abilities that you know, I don't think anything gets furious charge, but you, you might have a something that gives them furious charge that wouldn't count either. So, not you know, there is a downside to it, but generally speaking, when I do it, I tend to try and work out the odds of this. So, if I've got a ten-man tactical squad, for example, and I'm within twelve inches of another tactical squad, do I fire you know twenty shots into them, 
or do I fire um, pistols at them if I've got six inch, you know, within 12 inches, and then try to close combat them to get the extra attack? So it's a bit horses for courses e. So it's really useful, I suppose, um, if you had something like a, a single model, I suppose, where you could just try and literally blow them away, uh, but still have the option of finishing off in close combat if you needed to. Yeah. So it's uh, you know it's not a bad in that regard. So it does give you some options, but usually what happens is the squad that you want to die takes no wounds at all, and the squad that you don't want to die dies. Well, you've you used this to great effect to knack up my Galvor back, because they um, obviously they, they have uh, rage... And, yeah. uh, and stuff and obviously charging gets an extra attack and mm. you've charged them with it instead of you know you've shot them up which you know will will hurt them um mm-hmm. and then you've gone uh and then you've 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 done your charge which means yeah. that i'm if i don't wipe you out i'm stuck in combat for you with, with your turn i lose my extra attacks and it's a really know. good point yeah uh, you're right that that, a... that's how that's how you used it against me if I did, it was actually a bit of tactical nous that I just might have done subconsciously because you're absolutely right. And I probably did at the time thinking about it go, you know, there's always this debate that you have. It's like, do I charge them to stop their bonuses from charging affecting me? Well, I, Even I, though I'm, I, 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 may, I was close know, like, enough that I would have, I would have ripped your squad apart yeah. in yeah. the next turn with those extra attacks. Yeah. Yeah. And I didn't kill one guy. So I was stuck in combat with them until my turn, which yeah. meant, you know, they were done. Um, and then when your turn came back around, boom, they were fresh and open for shooting. Yeah. So it's, it is, you're right. I mean, it's always that decision you have to make is do I shoot them or charge them? But if I charge them, I want to charge them. So I'm basically tying them up and kind of tar pit them for a round three. Yeah. That's that. Stop the really powerful unit from getting out. So yeah. And like you say, uh, as well, if you have Patarabo in the, in the army, the whole army gets stubborn. Oh God, yeah, they did. Yeah, so that also means that even if you do lose those um, wounds in close combat, they're not going. You know, they're going to still have to roll quite high to fail them. So, pretty good. So the other, uh, a, a good, you know, a good bonus. The other thing that they get for this um, right of war is that all of the tanks and walkers get extra armor. Um, so that means you can't stun the vehicles effectively um, because the stun result. With extra armor, just goes to shaken. Mm-hmm. So obviously, you can mobilise them and stuff like that. But so that is quite good. I mean, that's ten points a model actually. So if you've got a lot of tanks or a lot of transports, for example, um, that's a really good thing to have. Uh, siege engineers, so they can take an additional heavy support choice. So that's generally why I tend to use it because that means I can have four lots of heavy support choices because there's a lot of good heavy support choices. Um, the warsmith or a siege breaker must be compulsory HQ. Uh, most of the special characters have warsmith anyway. Um, and, or you can take a siege breaker, which you would probably want to do because um, you're going to want to take something with tank hunter, which I'll come on to later. Yeah. Um, you've got to take more heavy support units and fast attack. Well, as we know from the section we did last week, which was very well received by people, by the way, um, I don't have any fast <coughs> attack to speak of other than a lightning attack fighter, so that's never a problem. Um, but you, the only downside, if it can be called that, is you have to take an additional compulsory troop choice. So that means you have to basically take three um, tactical squads or any of those compulsory troops, which you can't take two tactical squads and a, a support squad because support squad isn't, ta- isn't compulsory. So you know that is that is can be a bit you know expensive, but generally speaking, I think the minimum you need for a game of heresy is three um, scoring units anyway. So mm-hmm. all good. 
and you, but can't, you can't play. Yeah. Sorry. I was going to say you can't take allies as well, can you? Well, I, Space Marine I, allies. Yeah. Yeah, I must admit, I didn't. I looked at this and I wasn't sure. Now I, I thought you couldn't take any allies, but you're right. You can because I used to think I could take this with Solar Auxiliary, so you can have a Solar Auxiliary um, uh, ally with you if you want to be really awful and take six Medusas, for example, because you could then take a you know HQ one troop choice and three Medusas as your single heavy support choice. Mm. Don't do it. It's just not worth it. But anyway, or, or do uh, a reductor. Aura reductor, yeah. Because yeah. yeah. they, yeah. they can take producers. I avoid anything with Mechanicum in, so I, I just refuse to acknowledge their existence. So, <laughs> so, yeah, so that does, you know, you can't take an Allied Space Marine unit, but to be honest with you, Iron Warriors, there's only one, I think, Mechanicum and World Eaters are the only uh, things on the Allied chart where they're kind of battle brothers. I think everything else they generally don't like. So it would also fit with the... Um, the fluff of the um, Iron Warriors that they don't have allied space marines because one of their big complaints, as you, we talked about, was that they never got any backup. So that I used a lot. I've used this, uh, in fact, I probably use this as a default now um, for my armies, uh, particularly in about the 2,500, 3,000 point range. It will be Hammer of Olympia pretty much every time. So the other one that's that, that was brought in fairly recently is uh, Iron Fire. We talked about that earlier as well. So this is uh, an interesting one. So this uh, rolling bombardment is the rule. So if you fire barrage weapons within 12 inches of your units, um, it allows them to only scatter 1d6 rather than a normal 2d6. So if you think about it, if you've got line of sight, you've got Nuncio Voxes in, that means that in reality, the maximum distance you're going to scatter is 2 inches um, because you're going to take off 4 for ballistic skill. So mm-hmm. You know, it's a, it's a good, useful thing. Uh, you leave the iron fire counter underneath the blast, and from that point on, further barrages don't scatter at all. Yeah, so, so if they're within so many inches of... Um, yes. 18 in, in, is it 18, 18 inches? inches. Yeah. yeah, and six of your own units. So it does take a little bit of manoeuvring, but really this would be if you were going to come run up to a unit and smash it, and then rain down um, barrage weapons on them. The only thing is, it's a difficult thing to pull off. I don't think I've seen it done too many times. Um, but yeah, certainly I've, if, I've you a lot of, no. if you have a lot of um, barrage weapons, this is be, this would be the one for you. Um, I'm not. I like I say, I've never used it, but then you know, other other people may may have. I mean, if you're using, I suppose the thing is, if you're using phosphix, for example, you know, you can reposition that two inches anyway. You know, would you want to have that accuracy? I'm not sure. But anyway, if getting your um, barrage markers on target and not scattering is your thing, and trust me, with my dice, I've sometimes felt that that is a massive <laughs> thing because you know you can guarantee that one time you need a side hit on a you know on a Spartan or something, and it's going to scatter 12 inches off and touch nothing. Right. Um, so basically, the other good advantage of that is that the uh, if they are the Iron Warriors are within six inches of an Iron iron marker they become fearless so that means you hack you could tar pit things up with um you know tactical squads because they're not going anywhere even if they have horrendous losses so 20 man squad for example fearless 20 man squad you'd be like mechanical that's a that's a world of it is but it is it does take some maneuvering to get an iron six inches away isn't far you know, it does take some manoeuvring to do that. You'd really be talking about smashing up against a line um, to, to sort of pull this trick off. So I'm not sure that you could do it all of the time. 
Um, you must always be an attacker, though. So if there's an attacker defender option, you're always the attacker and you'll never be ambushed, which is interesting. Um, but you again, you can't take allied space marines, but again, on a reductor artillery, you could totally do that um, and then use that because they're sworn brothers. They get in, increased act- accuracy. So it all basically passes down. So basically you could get some serious artillery on the go, but you can't take fortifications. And this is a weird one. This I thought that, you know, you would have thought you'd be dig- digging in with this particular, yeah. uh, but I suppose it's half and half. It's like, it's like an, an assault plus covering like creeping bombardment stuff, you know? So basically they bombard the bejesus out of the position and then the other guys come in behind and, and are assaulting. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's those. So two, I mean, they're both useful. I mean, some of the rights of war can be a bit hit and missy. I think, if I'm honest with you, the Hammer of Olympia is one of the strongest um, rights of war in the game, I think. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Uh, um, definitely. That extra heavy support slot is phenomenally useful. Except it's only... Um, oh, what's the force org that gives you that? It's the one... Just the normal... Crusade Force Orc. You can't use it with the any others because the, the only ones that give you access to the war are just a normal Army of Darkness one. Yeah, yeah. Army of Darkness, Age of Darkness one. Age well, I, think Darkness, they, yeah. I think they changed the name of it in the new rulebook. Yeah, I can't remember. It's called Crusade or something, isn't it? Something but yeah, like basically the normal one. I one one HQ two troops. I'll look it up while Chris is while while you're talking. Is the only way that you can take a right of war, and a lot of people forget that. So you couldn't, for example, take this with the I forget what the right of war is, where you can take two heavies, uh, two super heavies. Yeah, I'm trying, I was trying to think, um, and you get four. You couldn't get five heavies. Yeah, super, no. Heavy support choices, for example. I forget what the one is called. Michael's going to get It's the one where you go. You go second, isn't it? It's the onslaught. Onslaught. So onslaught, you can take. I think there's four. I think it's already a. Yeah, yeah, you get you get an extra elite and an extra heavy support. I think it is. And That's right. And you, but you get you lose another. But you um, go second, and you, yeah, yeah. yeah it's now yeah, called the crusade, the crusade Force organization chart. Yeah, it was Age of Darkness, but now it's Crusade Force organization chart. Yeah. And you can take rights of war with the Crusade, so all good. So yeah, but yeah, can't take fortification. So, but like I said, I do think there's a even the second one. It's not bad, but compared to some of the other legions, rights of war, it's a it's a winner. It, I mean, there's it, good rights of war, oh, but just generic. But I think that's one of the better bespoke rights of war. It locks your army into going a certain way. It does. I mean, it absolutely. You know, that isn't that right of war is the certainly hammer of Olympia is all about shooting. Yeah. Whereas where I think iron fire it, is bring the bring the art bring the artillery and assault because you need to you know otherwise it's you need it's a kind of, you need a mixture of I think you need a mixture of fast moving units mm. and and heavy artillery. So it's kind of a difficult. It's it's one that you've got to uh, to try and balance. Quite absolutely. I mean, this is something you want to be doing with terminators, for example. Yeah, no, I would say it would be you know terminators in Spartans driving forward under the cover of a, a barrage, or you know something along those lines. Maybe your assault squads you know, deep striking in that kind of thing. Yeah. Okay. okay, so in terms of unique wargrave, this is another actually really useful thing. So all the heavy bolters in the army get pinning, but their AP is moved from four to five. So you think, ah, you know, AP five, AP four makes no odds. Most things in um, armor three, but we actually there's a fair few things these days that are armor four. Um, some of the solar auxiliary, for example, some of the mechanicum. Mm-hmm. So it's a bit of a 
um, a compromise, but actually being able to pin stuff, you know, take one wound from with a heavy bolt on a five-man Terminator squad, and they get pinned. You know, it's it's great, and you know, there's a lot of heavy bolters out there, so it's a it's a useful thing to have. Um, well, you take it on everything, and it's it's hurt me. Yes, I have managed to like say there's always that chance that somebody's going to roll a, more than a ten on two dice and get pinned. Uh, if I think if you can force a pinning test or a fear test or anything like that, it's it's a it's it's useful because there yeah, is a chance it? you can you can fail it. Yeah, that's true. I, I any any time you can limit what someone else can do with anything is always a. You're right. The I mean, it doesn't happen that often, and the chances of it happening are fairly on the high side, but it's it's always a chance. The more and dice, the more dice you can ro- force someone to roll, the better the chances are it mm, fails. I agree. And bear in mind with pinning tests, it's every every attack. So rather than like a morale test, which is at the end of the phase, pinning tests happen multiple times during a turn. I think. I think have you done this with the quad heavy bolters? <coughs> yep. Yes, you have. Mm-hmm. Yes, because yeah, that hurt. Yeah, quad heavy bolters are great. Quad heavy bolters with shrapnel bolts are fantastic because you've got eighteen shots. You're probably going to do a wound even on a five man turn eight squad. Somebody's going to roll a one with that volume of fire twin linked. You're wounding on threes. They just need to roll one one and you pin them. So yeah, very good. And also, it's a good thing to have with Sakarans because the Sakaran tank has a built in heavy bolter. Yes. And um, so it's also another little thing to to remember. So the other thing is the Cortex controller. So this is taken by Warsmiths, Forge Lords, which is a uh, sort of particular, um, the Centurion type. The Warsmith is an upgrade to a Praetor type. Uh, and Tech Marines, they can bring uh, Phalax, which are little jetpack infantry, which are great. We know all about them. Um, Jin Sight, the Toughness 5 with three wounds. Very shooty. They've got some awesome special weapons. Castellax is the other battle automata you can take. Um, and they're one of the best monstrous creatures in the game. AP3 weapon that pins, which is the bolter thing, isn't it? The um, Mauler yeah. bolt cannon. Yeah. That's taken me to bits before now. So if I could bear to lower myself <laughs> to take mechanical units, which I can't, this I would probably have some of these in there, you know, have the Cortex controller going in. And then I've seen a lot of people take it very successful. So, yeah. But but the thing about this is you can take it on a on a tech marine because you can take it normally on a forge lord yeah. um, um, or, or a purveyant, but you can mm. take it on a tech marine or your um, warsmith, your praetor, um, which frees up a HQ slot because now suddenly you don't have to take a forge lord to get a cortex <coughs> controller. Excuse me. No, yeah, that's very true. Mm, I didn't know that. I must admit, I've never because obviously I'll just skip over the bit that has this in, just because I want it removed from my sight. Um, I've never looked into this, so well, yeah. I didn't so, know that. That cool. also, yeah, I must admit, I, I always thought you're going to take the castax. I've never seen anybody take the jetpack infantry, but don't they have to be? The problem you're going to have with jetpack infantry is that are the jetpacks not jump packs, aren't they? I was just yeah. thinking they're going to stream off ahead of you, and you're going to be out of cortex control range then. Give them, yeah, a, give them a ju- jump pack. You could do exactly that. Can you give a jump pack? Jump packs are funny with warpsmiths. Yeah, I don't think it actually. Give a jump pack to somebody with a warpsmith or something like that, or a tech marine. So, yeah, certainly not possibly not. Possibly yeah. not. 
so the other the other thing, um, so unique units that the armorers have, and again, there aren't too many bad ones in here, and some legions have got aren't so blessed, I don't think. So armorers have got a lot going for them. <coughs> so you've got um, you can change a praetor to a warsmith, okay, and that means he must be the warlord unless perturbados on the table, um, uh, and they basically get stubborn. So they get stubborn and they get a warlord trait, which they have to, which is, you know, don't roll for, which means they can reduce the cover save of a piece of terrain by minus one mm-hmm. and can be upgraded to a battlesmith for an extra 35 points, which gives him a servo arm, which means he can then fix vehicles as well. Yeah. So it's a pretty good thing. Like, so reducing the cover save to, to by one is good against Alpha Legion or Raven Guard or something along those lines. So there's always been the interesting debate about this, though, is whether um, Keir Vallon, who is a warsmith, can do this. He actually can't because he's already got his own um, uh, warlord trait. But Keir Vallon comes with a servo arm, but it's whether he actually also comes with the battlesmith rule. Doesn't say it. People use him to repair vehicles, should they? Never really got a definitive answer on that one. So, uh, unique unit. So, we come on to Keir Valor. I know you've done some stuff on Keir Valor. Mm-hmm. So unique units. So one of the units that I take in my infantry-based armies is the Tyrant Siege Terminators. So these are cataphracti clad, all got cyclone missile launchers. So, yeah, this is an interesting one. I'm not sure about this next bit, okay? So I this came up on the 30K um, Iron Warriors channel the other day, which was cyclone missile launchers used to, and I use the words used to, give you the option to fire your combi bolter and the cyclone missile launcher at the same time. And that was because they put an FAQ out because the cyclone missile launcher had was originally, I think in the sixth edition book. Yeah. And then when it went to the seventh edition, they didn't have an, they didn't have a uh, entry for it in the seventh edition book. Okay. So, the, so then Forge World said, Oh yeah, there isn't an entry for a cyclone missile launcher. So what was, so was put it in the FAQ before we redo the red books, the big red book now, um, and what we say is you can fire the combi bolter and the cyclone missile launcher at the same time. Okay. Oh, but then, you could. no, I never do because what it says now says is actually the rules for the combi bolter, sorry, for the cyclone missile launcher are in the new rule book. Right. And that doesn't say that you can fire your combi bolter along with the cyclone missile launcher. Is that the book that just came out? Yeah, but because they're terminators, does that make a difference? Is that no, because it's relentless? Doesn't give you the ability to fire more than one weapon. Yeah, true. So this did come up actually fairly recently, and it was like a big people were like, no, no, it's nonsense. You absolutely the FAQ, blah blah blah. And you're right; it's one of those ones that only Forge World themselves can answer. Um, generally, in my experience, if this if I was the tournament organizer of something, I would say you can't do this personally because it's not clear and i will always err on the side of um i'd rather be you know penalize myself than than do something that i shouldn't be doing in a game yeah Yeah, so it's it's a gray area this one it's an interesting one and i'm sure there's going to be iron warriors people writing in to complain uh, po box (laughs) 142 edge of empire limited um to say you know actually you're talking nonsense my man 
But I did look into this and I couldn't find any clear, clear guidance as no. to whether this was the case. So I think this is one of these overhangs from 6th, 7th, 8th, if you want, and and now the new rule book itself. Mm. Now, interestingly enough, you know your um, Terminator guys, Michael, that can do the same sort of trick? Yeah, yeah, the, um, the well, what you call mm. them again. Yeah, I know who you mean. Yeah, I just can't remember mm. the name of them. Fulmentaris. That's right. If you yeah. look in that, in their entry, it specifically says they can. Okay. Well, so the Fulmentaris are far better. Obviously, <laughs> clearly, well, they're not iron warriors. So yeah, exactly. So, but the, but the so so it's clear in their rules that they can do it. It's not. It, there doesn't have the same that the tyrant seems to it doesn't have the same entry. So interesting. Anyway, that's right. They get Wrecker as a special rule for ranged attacks, and the siege master is like the sergeant has an omniscope which gives him and only him split fire and night vision. Okay, mm. um. And you can also take a combi weapon, and they can swap their power fists with chain fists, which I tend to do, um, at least a few of them with chain fists, just in case they get close combated. And, uh, yeah, they can basically, a full squad of 10 of these, which is an expensive, mind, um, it's going to put 20 strength 8 AP3 missiles at 48-inch range. Yeah. And they've got a 2 plus 4 plus, and one of those guys can shoot a, a, another target. So they're, they're no slouches, and I use them in squads of between five and seven uh, in my armies because they're really good. Um, the weird thing is, though, I've often wondered, you know, what's the... Because they're quite good at, as, as a sort of backline defence as well, particularly with chain fists. So where you do get Leviathan Dreadnoughts coming in um, and, you know, trying to ruin your day by attacking your gun line, these guys could, can take them out, particularly if you've got chain fists, because, you know, they're going to chain fist the, the bejesus out of a, a Leviathan. So they give you some really strong um, backline defence unit because they don't want to move them. I mean, you could use them in assault. I've seen people use them in assault. I tend to stick them at the back and shoot people with them, use the range to its advantage. And if they need to deal with things that come close enough, then close combat. Yeah, I can't imagine any sense. any reason why you would want to assault them. I think, the yeah, I mean, I suppose if, if you... Bear in mind that they're all going to have chain fists or power fists. So if you've got, if you had like, for example, those ultramarine guys with the axes that are AP2 and at normal initiative, they would probably do them quite easily. But that's a pretty unique unit that you'd need to do to take them out. So yeah, they're also good for holding these up because of the two plus four plus. Um, and they do a job for you. I've never been disappointed with them. They're a very good way to protect characters as well. Um, putting a character in there is a good thing. So combining them, which we talked about the other day, with the Derrideo, with the automatic pal vase, or whatever, however you pronounce it. Automantic pavase. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Automantic pavase. That gives you a rather eye-watering 2 plus, 3 plus for a squad with 20 strength 8 AP3, 48-inch range missiles. And you could That's... also get Skyfire Interceptor, obviously, with the automatic police what i would do or tend to do is to make sure i've got a character there with a augury scanner um just for added anything wants to deep strike they're going to take that missile apothecary just to really ruin someone's yeah apothecary three and you're into into territory that's almost death starry and so i would avoid it i mean yeah if you want to be a complete or a tech marine to repair the uh can the tech marine can they take an augury scanner 
I have the Tet Marines can take. I have the Tet Marine page opened up because I, I found out that Tet Marines can't take a jump pack, so they can't yeah. keep up with the things. But uh, yeah, they can take an auger scanner for five points. Yeah, Tet Marines to repair the um, to repair the dreadnought. There you go. So basically, Michael's uh, two minutes in has already made the worst, most <laughs> that you could ever wish for in the, in the Iron Warriors, and he accuses me, incidentally, of being slightly powerful when it comes. This, this is so like a an blood angel list all over it's, again. It is. It's like on the outside, you may have the voice of an angel, but that angel yeah. is a the warm and cuddly appearance <laughs> of a man that you'd want to hug for days upon end. Yeah, but, but to, in order to use these things, I would need to. I would need to be able to play. Pr- uh, well, or and roll dice well, and you know I can't. If you've got that unit, you don't need to worry about what dice you're rolling. No, so just put them next to an ammo dump, and you're never going to miss. Well, exactly. That's exactly what I would do. So what? Yeah, I there you go. I, I disagree with that. I have tried. I once tried a horrible list because I was trying to say, "Look, I'm going to take the worst list possible to this event, and we'll and I'll show you." And it was like, "Yeah, it might have been the worst list possible that I could think of." It was an Elder Wraith Star. Yes, I remember it. And it was, I ended up last. You did. I did, I did. Um, oh, what was his name again? Do you know the guy with the glasses comes up from Newcastle? Does he work for the council? Went to Warhammer. Oh, comes with his son, played yeah. demons. Oh, yes. Yes, I do. Oh, I can't Maybe. remember his name. Yeah. Anyway. I'm terrible. Chap. Brain damage. Yes. He, he was like, yeah, that's the worst possible list in the world. And he was like, how did you lose with it? Yes. So, I play so what we're talking about here, and I don't just a word of caution to everybody listening at home, do not do this. Okay, I'm warning you now, don't I don't want to see this anywhere. It's uh, a friendship killer, isn't it? Let's be honest. It's basically it's a friend shredder, this one. So They're all assuming of course you can protect them from being close combatants, right? So what we're talking about here is ten oh my god, I can't believe I'm gonna talk about this. Ten siege terminators with a uh you'd need a centurion with the upgrade for the apocryphy whatever they're called primus medicaid um, primus medicaid because they they've got terminator and they can join terminate squad yes um with a uh automatic pervase whatever it's called automantic automantic Atomantic. Atomantic. Do you want me to cost this up for you while you... While yeah, you... go on then. Atomantic. I'll probably get on Okay. Behind a... Um, behind a defence line, or better still in a bunker. So let's go with the bunker rule. Oh, let's, let's not push it no, too not, far. No, not, not a bunker. Let's, uh, yeah. let's stick with the defence line. Good lord, man. Defence line with a ammo dump. Okay, and a siege breaker in there as well. So what for you the do, HQ choice? Okay, so what you do is the, use the siege breaker to give the squad a plus one to its ballistic skill. Take. So, so you're having two, plus... two HQs with it. Sorry, you're having two HQs with this list. With this, yeah, unit. for this unit. Oh, yeah. nasty. Yeah, yeah, it's a huge point sink, but hey, it would be horrific. So basically, actually, it would be okay unless you come up against terminators. Um, so you'd be on two plus three plus. You'd be hitting on twos because of the. Um, you'd use the siege breaker to boost the ballistic skill by plus one, and you'd be. Can we siege breaker do ones. that? I thought that was the master of signal that could only do that. No, no, no! It's the siege breaker. He's got the. Um, cor- oh, I forget what the thing is called now. It's the siege breaker oh, that gives you the, the, the master signal. Doesn't it? Does not do that. So... Yeah, it does. No, he doesn't. Or is it, no, it's the master signal. You're right. The siege breaker gives him tank hunter. Yes, my bad, Michael. You're absolutely right. 
points to Michael. So only because I use it. Otherwise, you know, I can't remember yeah. this stuff. No, no, you're right. So basically, okay, you have a. Are we, just very quickly? Are we taking an omniscope, whatever an omniscope is? Yes, because that does give them the advice to just to shoot and gives them uh, night vision. Okay. So we would need three HQ. All of your HQs would have to be in this. <laughs> So you'd need a, a siege breaker to get them tank hunter, yeah. You'd need the yeah. marshal signals to boost their ballistic skill by plus one, and you would need the um, what's his name, the primus medicate to give them uh, feeling a pain. Yeah? Um, all in terminator armor. All in terminator armor. Can the marshal signal take terminator armor? Actually, it doesn't matter. He doesn't need to take terminator armor. Yeah. So he can't take terminator armor. No. Seems they great. could take Artificer armor, though. Yeah, it's fine. I mean, it's, that's awesome. I, I don't... Actually, you know what? I never... I very rarely give my martial signals anything. He's there for that one long-shot um, barrage and also to boost people's ballistic skill. With me, he's often okay. there because I, from I, I require to take him. I am. Yes. So from the top, ten-man, okay, with the Omniscope, with a Derrideo, yeah. with the Automantic Palace... Uh, with a age of defense line with a ammo dump and okay. siege breaker promise medicaid master signals I and the pr- primaris medicaid and terminator armor contempt of dreadnought no derrideo derrideo sorry do apologize yeah he's in the heavy Derrideau support slot support yeah. choice yeah there he is derrideo, i think that's about 270 that points for the derrideo I'm just doing it as the base yeah, without cool. all the fancy colour blue. Let's have a look. That? I reckon that's about a 600 point squad. Would you ever want that though? That's I mean, it would be nearly crazy. unkillable, but seriously, it's an awful lot of points. And um, also, so, what? Hang on, run it all past me again. So, Master of Signal. Yes. Primaris Medicaid. Yes. Siege, Siege Breaker. Breaker. Yes. 10 Tyrant Siege Terminators. Let's go for 10. Yep, and a Dreadnought, yes. anything else? The Automate yeah, I've, I've included that. That's it. So, at the very basic, with the mm. Primaris in Terminator armor and the Siege Breaker in Terminator armor. Yes, yes, yes. And no upgrades to the Tyrant Siege Terminators. Mm-hmm. That works out at 1,145 <laughs> points. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I suppose it does. I mean. And that's before you get into any sort of. You know, that upgrading the Primaris, giving him fancy weapons, and the same with the Siege Breaker. <laughs> and also just the basic weapons on the Derrida. Doesn't include the defence line, does it? Oh, yeah, and the defence line. I do apologise. So I forgot about the defence line, which is 50 points, isn't it? And plus, the ammo dump. Plus the ammo dump's another 20, 20 odd points, isn't it? Yeah. So that's 70. So that, that will be a death So one, 1, 2, 1, 5 base. Okay. Don't do this, kids. It's not worth it. But all you need is two H- two troop choices, and you can do it. Yeah, but why would you want to do this? There's so many things. <laughs> and also, to be honest, but no is, model count. I suppose all you need is about three squads of Terminators, or with two plus armor, and you're you're knacked. Well, you can't because, take a you can't take a right, so yeah, because you use all your HQ slots. Uh, you're right, and basically, yeah, you, you you can use that would work because you can use the Siege Breaker as compulsory HQ, can't you? Mm-hmm. But the others aren't compulsory HQs. So, yeah, Ooh, that's going to hurt. But anyway, an interesting exercise in, in what not to do. So I blame Michael Freeman introducing the 2 plus 3 plus into the equation. 
Although I think it was me that might have mentioned it the week before, so it's my own stupid fault. Um, no, I think it's a, I think it's a great combo. Um, the automatic pavace and terminator of any kind um, are gonna. Uh, I think when you get that automatic pavace, I mean, I know people have made their own, but when that's released, it's going to be great comboed up with terminators. Any terminators, if you've got to walk them up the board, they get that yeah. two plus three plus. Yeah. Um, sure I mean, put it with the plasma on that um, on the on the Derrideo. Oh, yeah, That's what I would do. I give it. I give it the plasma. The only downside is that you're a monster. You're you are a monster. <laughs> He's not right. Is he? He's not right. Um, the the only problem is that you could you could shoot the Derrideo because the Derrideo would be on a four plus in one. Yeah. Yeah. So it would be slightly vulnerable, which would you know if you blow that up, which is exactly what I would do. Not worry about the Terminators. Just take out the. Um, the Derrideo first, because otherwise you are going to end up with a 2 plus 3 plus squad. But, you know, I've got a Derrideo. Currently, the Derrideo has the missile launcher rather than the Palace. But, you know, could I combine the two? Would I? No. I would have told myself I wouldn't do it. I'm not going to do it. Plus, that means Wait. getting another... Oh. Yeah, Come September. <laughs> <laughs> Come May when we're in Come London. Come May when we're at London, yeah. So the next squad... Um, well, if you, if you want a Derrideo... Don't tempt me, Frodo. I do have two sitting on my desk, which are actually spaced black and oh, are covered in about four inches of dust. I like a Derrideo, Michael. Well, I, I love the Derrideo. I've got, I've got four of them. Well, I, I, well, I, I bought three of them, but one of them has been built from miscast parts. Nice. Well, I'll um, give you the one with the back to front knees. <laughs> yeah, that's always, a, that's always a not, that's always a risk, isn't it, with these? Yeah, the looks- instructions for them are terrible. The, the yeah. new models aren't so bad, but no, yeah. no, I had, um, I had, I bought three Derrideos and I've had so many miscast parts that have had to be replaced and, and, and dodgy bits that, uh, that I've actually been able to build an entire right. Derrideo, um, for free. I haven't okay. painted him yet because, oh, impressive. because the way, um, that they molded one of the, pla- the plasma guns on this one, um, the, the, um, I don't know why they have the mold line there, but I, I got, actually got this one secondhand. Um, these plasma guns, I thought they were recast. I really did think they were recast. Um, but the guy sent me his receipt. So I was mm-hmm. able to get the plasma guns replaced, but the seam goes all the way down the middle of the plasma coils. Right. Okay. And the mold yes. has slipped really badly. Mm. So it oh, looks, dear. it looks terrible. Um, I built it anyway because I had all the parts. Yeah. So, yeah. right. So the anyway, other move it default, off tangent. Yeah, the other default unit. Actually, I'm thinking about the time. The other default unit is Iron Havocs. So always, you know, if you're playing a infantry heavy uh, Iron Warriors army, there will be Iron Havocs involved because they are so good. So these are basically uh, heavy support squads. They can take <clears throat> a variety of different um, heavy support weapons, uh, las cannons. Um, Heavy bolters, auto cannons, missile launchers. I don't think they can take the Volkites, but no, um, no, it's just the missile yeah, launchers. These these guys are great because unlike the normal heavy support squad, they can mix guns in that unit. So you can take two with missile weapons, missile launchers rather, and, and you know six or seven with las cannons. Um, they've got a rule like they come a standard with pistol <coughs> fives, they're hitting on twos, and tank hunters. Great. Uh, they've got deadly aim, which lowers the target's 
cover save by one. Um, and basically, this they also get card and armor, which I always forget about, but it's actually really good because it means they can uh, re-roll uh, armor saves that come from blast weapons. Um, again, these guys are effectively fearless if you're not close combating them. You can the, the missiles missile launchers come with uh, free flak missiles, so you can use them for anti-aircraft. Um, last cannons with tank hunter are a great combo, particularly against super heavies, uh, knights and the like. Um, you know, they if you have a ten-man squad of last cannons and they're expensive again, you know, hitting on twos um, with tank hunter, they're going to wreck somebody's day. Even to you know, you can even just about, I think, on paper anyway. Uh, blast your way through a flare-shielded Spartan uh, with the, these guys. So a really, really useful unit. I give mine LAS cannons and missiles. So I, I think I've got five or six with LAS cannons and then two or three with missiles, um, just to give me some sort of mix-and-match potential. Again, the actual the sergeant on them can take a uh, augury scanner. So again, anything that deep strikes, you can shoot if you want yep. within 18 inches. So really, really good for that as well. And what you do is you put them behind a defence line or you put them in a bunker. Um, and that they're particularly good with Kiev Allen, which we'll come on to later. Which, which is what you do. Which is exactly what I do, if I'm honest with you, and, and everybody hates me for it. But anyway, I only have one squad of them. You can take three or four if you take the right. Um, I've seen people take 10 LAS cannons and 10 auto cannons, or 10 LAS cannons, 10 missile launchers. Spamming them, again, I would also urge caution that they are very powerful. I so coming at it from cause Imperial Fist have got a similar thing, mm-hmm. and I must admit, I do ten last cannons. Yeah, because there are there are hard nuts that need to be cracked sometimes. There are particularly you know you need something to stop a Spartan in this game. I think you need yeah. one unit that's going to stop that Spartan before it gets to you. This is the unit to do it. Yeah. Plus, you know things like knights go down really easily to them. Super heavies as well, because they just will him fire them out. So, yeah. So I've seen people use three of these in a in one army, which is a, excessive, I think. But, again, they are vulnerable to close combat attacks, so you have to protect them. Uh, the other f- unit that we have, which is a really cool-looking unit, is the Iron Circle Domitar Ferrum Class Battle Automator Manipul, which is a bit of a mouthful. You, you say it's cool, but you wouldn't touch them, would you? I wouldn't touch them. Why wouldn't I touch them? because they're a bit too mechanical for my like. Um, <laughs> even though Mutarabo himself crafted them as a, as a bodyguard for himself, um, I still wouldn't get anywhere near them, because they just look a bit too mechanical to me. They're robots, for goodness sake. I don't trust them, I tell you. <laughs> so they're toughness seven, four wounds, but they are pricey. 205 points of throw, and you can take up to six of these bad boys. What you can't do, unfortunately, which is annoying, is you can't chuck them into the back of the Tormentor, which we'll come on to later, which is um, Perturaba's personal uh, Falcon, Falcon Cannon Thunbus. So they've got uh, Olympia Pattern Bolt Cannons, which is a five-shot pinning heavy bolter, Graviton Mauls, which are strength 10, AP10, AP10, AP1 concussive wrecker hammer with crushing blow, and it's not unwieldy, so they're hitting you at normal initiative. They've got these battle shields that give them D3 hammer of and a five-plus uh, invon save when not in combat. And charges against them are always considered to be disorganised. Uh, they re-roll failed armor saves against blast and template weapons. And if two of them are in base-to-base contact, they're invulnerable save at least to four plus. 
an iron warrior independent characters can join them despite of them being monstrous creatures which they are so they're really hard to kill but boy they're expensive 205 points a go you know if you have four of them that's 800 points before you've even left the house that's a lot of points for a single squad you can't deep strike them you can't put them in a transport you can't get them across the board particularly quickly so yeah that is the problem with them if you got them with the big boy with Perturabo, I mean that's a hell of that's a utterly terrifying unit. It is, but again, the problem is you can't get them you can't to get them, them yeah. quickly enough for them to be really effective. You know, this is a squad that you want to kind of deep strike in, you know, get the shields up, survive around, and then unleash hell. The reality is that you're going to be chasing units around the board because nobody's going to want to engage them in close combat. They're just going to walk away from them. So, you know. They look cool as anything. I wouldn't use them unless it's for a, you know, a really fluffy game with Perturamo. Yeah. Um, the other, uh, so in, in terms of, sort of special characters, then you've got um, Erasmus Golg. Uh, he was a leader of the 11th Grand Company, part of the Trident until the Battle of Far when Perturamo got slightly upset with him. Um, if he has the fear special rule if he's the warlord, then, and that makes you take Terminator squads or can you can then take Terminator squads as troops. And if attached to a Terminator squad, they get Hammer of Wrath. And he's got Nuncio Vox and all Iron Warriors leadership, which is nine. Um, all but Lecoult, Deep Striking Terminator Army, you know, he's the, he's the guy for you. I don't use him personally because he's quite a lot of points and I don't think that his um, benefits outweigh those points. Uh, yeah, no, he's, not, he's not as good as um, who you were about to mention. So mm. Keir Valon is by far and away the standout um, Iron Warriors uh, character. And you, you will see him everywhere. I use him exclusively. I mean, he is basically, when I use my um, Iron Warriors, I use Keir Valon. But I, Keir Valon is a loyalist Iron Warrior. So that basically turns your Iron Warriors into servants of the Emperor. But boy, has he got some special rules that are just amazing. So he's a warsmith. He's got a servo arm, iron halo, Volkite charger, melter bombs, paragon blade, cortex controller, and a six plus villain pain. So that's just him. He's um, got a relic blade. He hasn't got a paragon blade. Oh, no, a paragon pain. blade. It's the same thing. They got rid of it. There's a FAQ. So oh, basically, yeah. the relic blade was a mistyping from the. They took the wrong weapon from the Space Marine Codex, I think, the old Space Marine Codex. There is no relic blade oh, okay. in. Uh, and I think they've renamed it in, to Paragon Blade yeah. in, the, in the later. That part. would make sense. Yes. Oh, so I was just looking at his profile in the book. That was all right. Just... Yeah, I think, I think in the later Red Book, they've changed that to Paragon Blade. But uh, I could be wrong. Unless they've redone this. They may have done. Yes. Uh, anyway, they, did the re- no they did redo the book. Yeah. Um, so he's what he's got is he's, he's got these really cool special rules. So one of them is he allows you to... Pick one unit, and that unit for the entirety of the game, if it's in your deployment zone, re-rolls ones to hit. So, generally speaking, you give this rule to your um, Iron Havocs. So they're on two plus twos to hit, re-rolling ones. Okay? Uh, he also can has got a, a right of war where... Sorry, a right of war, a warlord trait, where he can do two things with a fortification. He can either, if it's a bunker-type fortification or has an armor value... Boost that armor value by one. So you can end up with a armor 15 bunker. And then, you know, if you think about the number of things that can get through armor 15, not that many. Yeah. Um, 
or you can get any unit behind a defense line can re-roll cover saves of one. So basically, if you're behind the defense line, you roll your cover save and you roll a one, you can re-roll it to see if you save it. So basically, you're saving on four pluses, you can re-roll the one. So those are two really, really powerful things. The third one that he's got is uh, he can once per game, you can force a unit to do it that's charging to do a disorganized charge if they're charging him. So again, you can sort of blunt somebody's charge attack by making them do a disorganized charge. He, I think he rocks in about 195 points off the top of my head. Uh, yeah, 195. Um, I've just got his page yeah. open here. And also, yeah, in, the new, yeah. in the new book, he does have a Paragon Blade. Okay. Also, the, um, yeah, the charging doesn't get the Hammer of Wrath attacks, does it? So that's yeah. against that's some right. big things. That's going to really... Leviathan Dreadnoughts, for example. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, don't get Furious Charge, don't get, you know, all that stuff. So he is a super powerful guy uh, in a very small package. He's got a 2 plus, 4 plus because of the Iron Halo. Um, he's really, he's no slouch in close combat. Either. He's got a fair few chunk of attacks. The server one gives him an extra one attack at the end, strength 8, AP1. Um, he is one of the best characters out there. The, like I say, the slight wrinkle in that is that he's a loyalist. But, you know, he's the reason why to. you have loyalist Iron Warriors. Without saying that, oh, you know, all Iron Warrior players are like me and, you know, kind of look at the percentages. Yes, that's exactly why we have him, because he's so good. I don't know of too many other special characters that that do so many things. Um, the other one is is the special character uh, Narek Drager, so Grey Walker. He was an event only model pack up. I've been trying to get hold of him for a bit just for sort of completion. Uh, he's quite cool, um, but he does have the rules from Book Six. He's an Iron Warrior's Previn, so he can bring Catalax or Vorax, and that gives them preferred enemy, which is actually you know uh, a um, Castalax with preferred enemies, pretty cool. Um, if you've got a Salamander's Loyalist army, so this is the problem, is that you can do this thing where you can tweet, because he's also Loyalist, so if you're Salamander's with either Cassius, Cassian, Dracos, or Zaphius, Jur, as a warrior, you can take him and some Iron Warrior veterans that don't use a Force Org chart. They're treated as desperate allies. So that's he's, the sort he's of not just a Loyalist, he, he's also a, he's a, he's a, he's a traitor as well. He just, he can be a Loyalist. Uh, Got you. So, yeah, way too confusing. That involves multiple factions and it's just too yeah. much of the poor brain. So the big daddy of it all is Perturabo. And as uh, your um, Primarchs go, he's a pretty good. Uh, I think he's a close to 500 points if you upgrade his weapon. Um, but he's got some really cool special rules. Really, really useful. So um, it gives the entirety of the army stubborn. Um, and the other really good rule that he's got is that you can reserve, you can roll for reserves from turn one onwards rather than turn two. So that's great. Uh, all models in his army get furious charge through the enemy deployment zone, including any allies. And um, not so great with uh, Hammer Olympia because, you know, but brilliant with Iron Fire. So a good combination. Uh, you can bring down an orbital bombardment, precision bombardment, which is strength line AP2 ordnance D3 barrage, twin linked, and he gets tank hunter and wrecker. But also the firing of that barrage does not count as a shooting attack, which is really good. So that means you can fire your barrage, shoot your um, wrist cannon, and also charge in the same turn. Yeah. Um, the Logos, which is this thing, this gives him a 2 plus 3 plus. So he's one of the uh, few, uh, well, not so many few now, but he's got 3 plus in one save. 
Uh, he's immune to concussive and blind. His close combat attacks are strength 7 AP2. And there's always been a bit of a debate about this. I'll come on to it in a second. Uh, him and all his Terminators can deep strike, so that you could deep strike um, your Tyrant Siege Terminators if you're feeling brave. Um, he's got the Wrist Cannon, which is strength 6 AP3, Assault 3, Twin Linked and Rending, which obviously with strength 6 you could technically glance at Armor 14. Um, he's got a built-in Subcognus Signum, which is that thing that gives you um, the plus ability one to... to Plus one to somebody yeah, to shooting. Uh, he's got night vision, and I think he's got all, yeah, and it's basically got an built-in augury scanner. So infiltration gives him intercept on eighteen, and yeah, cortex control offers some battle automata if you so wish. I.e., his his special uh, band of merry pseudo mechanic uh, with the what are they called the manor. So you can. Give him Forge Breaker, which is uh, Ferris's Manus's old sword. I don't know. Sorry, old hammer. Hammer. That he mm-hmm. happened to have. He must have lost in some accident somehow. Very careless. You know, some people, you know, if their head wasn't narrowed on, they'd lose that, wouldn't they? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, obviously, you know, Perturabo saw it lying around and thought, well, I'd best not waste this. Um, it does give you 35 extra points, but it does just 35, but it gives you a strength 10 AP1 with concussive, strike down and blind, but unlike it when it, when it was in Ferris's Magnus's paws, it's unwieldy, which can be problematic. Um, so that unwieldy is usually is undoing, if I'm honest with you, because a lot of uh, you know the Primarchs nowadays are, are hitting at initiative with, with higher strength things. Now, you could not, you couldn't, you could decide not to give him the forge breaker, which basically means he's kind of hitting people, but he's still hitting them at strength seven AP two, which is great. Um, but it's not quite the same as a big hammer. So I'm going to get you. I'm going to get you through that Spartan, is it? The... Exactly. You know, he need, or the or a knight or something like that. You yeah. Know, yeah. Do it. So, but what you can't do is choose. You know, you can't say actually this round I'm attacking with forge breaker. Next round I'm going to attack with the slap attack. And you know, and basically use that at my normal initiative, which would be great. So you you do run the risk of being, you know, AP two close combat with people that normally <coughs> out of the game. Um, the other issue that Michael's pointing out is only got four attacks. So you know, if you've got a, a fair sized squad, you're going to swamp him. So he needs a bodyguard, and then it gets expensive. He's not really a close combaty guy, and that fits with a fluff. Yeah, no, I mean he's got. I think he's. He's a good choice to have if you've got him in a squad of Terminators or something, or even with a tactical squad, actually, against a big monster or a single foe. But I think if you start to go take him against stuff like, um, you know, with five or six models in, he'd struggle. I mean, he's I, not a bad all-rounder, though, when you think about it. No, he's not. I mean, he did struggle against uh, Scoria, but then yeah, who doesn't? To be fair, Angron strolls against Scoria. Yeah, true enough. So, yeah. Four attacks, though, does make him slightly slow. The two plus three plus is really useful. Um, so that does give him some good survivability. The orbital bombardment's a cool thing. Um, you know, he is a, an all-rounder for sure. Um, but, and he can be good against these bigger monsters and stuff. But, yeah, you wouldn't want to throw him against a tactical squad. It would take all day to get through him. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The other thing that he can do is when you've got a game of 3,000 points or more, is he can also take his, his transport his own personalised transport, which is additional 500 points. And this is a shadow sword tank, 
which has got a void shield, a single void shield, command tank upgrade, and the ability to transport 15 models. And it doesn't take up a Lord of War slot. So basically, Perturabo can take it. It's dedicated transport. Yeah. So it's expensive. You do get a Shadow Sword. It does have a void shield. um, And you can transport people in it. But, you know, it's it's still a lot of points for a one-shot B weapon, to be honest with you. It looks cool. I've got one. uh, It looks great. And it is nothing cooler than getting a squad to jump out the back of it. There's some great conversions where I've seen some beautiful things done where people have made the, the, the back of it bigger so it looks like it can contain 15 people and that kind of thing. The problem is uh, finding the profile for this is a nightmare. Yeah. Because the Shadow Sword isn't in any of the red books. Right. So you have to use the Warhammer 40k 7th edition Apocalypse rules, and that's no longer in print. So you have to kind of kind of track this thing down. I use Battlescribe, which has got the the things on there so there's been some debate about this as to whether it can take side sponsors for example because all the super heavies in the heresy you can only take the command tank upgrade i think is and a, and a space marine crew those are the only allowable upgrades whereas the side sponsors are another upgrade that you could take with the tank in seventh edition 40k but there's nothing that says you can in um, I think most people have come down on the side of you can take them, um, yes. but it needs, it's probably because most people put them on them and then didn't want to take them off again. It needs an FAQ, and it re- and they really need um, rules for these in thingy because at the minute, I mean, the last time I know someone who asked, they were told, "Oh, use escalation," um, but you know, okay. escalation is out of print. Yeah, yes. that's a. So is yeah, so is I think, I think yeah. we thought we thought that they're going to have the rules and the well, rule book at one point. I exactly thought that's what we're going to do. They're going to get all of this stuff. Some of the generic ones and just shove them in there. there. Yeah, yeah I thought they would be in there, but they're not. I imagine that. I don't know when. Well, I, I think there was a. Someone said at the uh, that the plan at the open at the, the weekend. Uh, apparently, the plan is um, to get to get um, malevolence and Angelus done. And then there'll be new red books for the legions, but mm-hmm. is the are these going to be in the legion books? Because they're not really, you know. Well, yeah. Associated with the legions, them. would they not make more sense if they were in the say uh, militia book? I guess it depends if they realise that if they do reprint this stuff. I mean, let's assume because I've often wondered about this whether you know what they were saying. You mentioned the other week was that the the reason why the wolves or the thousand sons are so powerful is because it's before, you know, the burning of Prospero and that they may then reduce their power later on, which means it's going to be a book or which is going to give you a different um, unit cost value or abilities and stuff, which means they are going to have to redo the red books at some point again, I guess. And if that's the case, would they then, for the Legion of Astartes, would they then basically put the... Um, the stats for the for the tormentor and what well, you think with that's going to be a Angelus and book. malevolence you're going to have new rules for blood angels dark angels white scars night lords mm-hmm. plus the ones that you had in book six yes so they've got to put that you know that there's going to be a point where they're going to have to put those in a new red book, red book anyway yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. So that, that's what so, they said so 20 like a, second, yeah, so like a second red book basically 2020 you know, yeah or just an upgraded an updated version well it'll be it'll be the third yeah, that's true. Yeah. 
So do you think they would keep? Do you think they would combine all of them into one big red book, where they would keep the existing red book and put like I know, wonder if they would. I wonder if they'd split them at that point. Yeah, I think they probably would. And go traitor book, lawyer's oh, book. Yeah, yeah. That makes sense. And then you could just make an addendum to in each one saying you can use these legions as loyalists or traitors if you want, but yeah. for the ease of this, we've decided to split them as you know down the the lines of which they are most commonly associated. I've used, I mean, I think you're right. I think we just need a bit of clarification. There's a couple of these grey areas, but I have used the, the the Tormentor. I used it at last year's Company of Legends. It was a lot of fun. Um, and it's, you know, there is something cool about driving around as a transport, a super heavy. <laughs> a super heavy tank as a transport is as cool as it gets. Apart well, from, I will say, the Mastodon. Yeah, but it's not, it's not a, you, you yeah. can't just have it as a dedicated transport. I mean, your is it your guy can take a storm eagle, not storm. I'm going to get thunderhawk. Exactly. You know how cool is that as a dedicated transport? As a, yeah, that's yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a lot of money to spend on a, a <laughs> yes. 500 whatever sort of crazy point cost plane. Yeah. Okay, so that that in a in a nutshell is my very quick guide to Iron Warriors. Uh, if you're interested in Iron Warriors, there's a good uh, Facebook page, 30k Iron Warriors, it's called. I'll put um, it in the show notes. Yeah, and that, there's always some, and that's a, that's a good community there, and it's you, people are usually very helpful. Um, as a rule, if you want to play Iron Warriors, it, it does tend to lend itself towards um, shooting armies, because that's what they were kind of renowned for, mechanic, uh, mechanized armies like tanks and stuff, because it looks cool, you've got the Talon as a kind of uh, narrative base for that. However, that's what I think. Let us now move on to the high point of the evening, the list challenge. How have these two lads done when they've tried to get into the mind of the Fourth Legion? So here we are, the, the big... The big showdown. So, me as an Iron Warriors player, uh, I expect these two gentlemen to furnish me with uh, uh, lists that are both interesting, slightly different if possible, but with a good justification for the narrative and tactics used. So, what we're looking for here is something that fits but with the Iron Warriors way, but also something that's probably reasonably effective. So, let's start with Michael. What have you got for me today, Mike? Okay, well, I've taken... We've done 2,500 points. Is that what you've done, Chris? Yeah, that's what I've yep. done for. Because oh, that's what I did. I don't think we discussed it. I just did it. <laughs> you did, yes. Um, so if I forced it into a thing, I, I can't remember. I think we did say 2,500. Anyway, never mind. Okay, so I started with a HQ uh, of a Praetor, uh, and I've given him Artificer Armor. I put him... Oh, that's what I did. I put him on a bike with a uh, twin-linked bolter. Um... He's got digital lasers, an iron halo, mastercrafted paragon blade, melter bombs, a bulkite charger, and he's a warsmith. Wait a minute. Sorry, I was having an apple, and I'm, I had to spit it out. Did you say bike? Yes, I put him on a bike. I thought you said bike. There's a reason for it. There's a reason for okay. it. Okay. Okay. So my second HQ is a Prevayan. So that's the that's the and he's got um, just normal power armor, and I've given him two Castalexes um, with enhanced targeting arrays 
and uh, they've got um, dark fire cannons and stock chargers. So two of them with dark fire cannons. Yeah, but you, you're on dodgy ground here, mate. You do know that, don't you? <laughs> I mean, the old bike trick out. Now you're you're conversing with the enemy by bringing along robots. And then we've got the and then we've got the uh, the bit that, the bit that's very gamey the bit that's very gamey two lots of quad launcher support batteries with phosphex nope no phosphex because there's no siege breaker three rapiers in each with shatter shells good shout and then we've got um, two tactical squads both the same uh, in rhinos uh, nine men in each giving them the additional combat weapon because I always take it. Yes, very sensible. Nuncio Vox and a Vexelia. Yep. Artificer oh, Armour. Vexelia. Yes. These guys no are going to be these guys are going to be moving up fast. Okay. Fair uh, enough. I'm taking. I, I, I'll explain. Um, yeah. And they've got uh, the sergeants have got me- Artificer Armour, Melter Bombs, and Power Fist. So that's two squads identical. Then I've got uh, an attack bike squadron with two attack bikes on, multi-melters, and melter bombs. Uh, Then two identical outrider squads, so three outriders, with the sergeant upgrade, um, and they've got melter bombs on both squads. Then heavy support, we've got an artillery tank squadron with three medusas in it. Then a derradeo with the missile launcher. And nice. the auto cannons, and I put shrapnel bolts on that. Mm-hmm. And then I'm taking as my right of war iron fire. Ah, now it makes sense. So, so but, without any interruptions, because I unfortunately could not help myself, just run through the just the. So you've got a praetor, praetor on a bike, stuff. praetor on a bike with uh, tools up. Your know, paragon blade, volcat yeah. charger, yeah. Prevayan with the uh, and the uh, with the um, two cast lights. And the idea is they stay back. They're firing anti tank stuff because those yes. dark fire cannons are pretty great. Secure. They're uh, great. Two lots of so six quad launcher rapiers um, dropping shatter shells and, um, and and templates on people for the iron fire. Um, yes. Two tactical squads in rhinos moving up the board um, to get places for those uh, um, iron fire markers to go. Uh, yep. Attack bikes for a bit of anti-tank with the melter bombs and the multi-melter. Mm-hmm. Um, and yep. again, fast moving, getting up the board. Same with the Outrider Squadron, so they can get up the board so, these, so, so the artillery can drop. Nice. And then the artillery, the, the Medusas. Now, I wasn't sure about the Medusas or oh, what's the other one again? The um, Basilisk. Basilisk. I wasn't sure whether a Medusa or Basilisk would be best. I mm. ended up going with the Medusas, um, but the Basilisk might be better. Um, and then a Derridale, which is going to hang back with the artillery um, to protect them. Very good. And and the idea is it's fast. It's it's get get into the the enemy deployment zone. Get up front. Get up close. Get those um, bombardments down. Right. And sort of dominate the centre field. Which I'm with you. It sounds so so basically you're using the iron fire. Uh, you're getting your units up front to take advantage of the iron fire. Um. But basically, what you're talking about here is a softening up with uh, barrage, followed by a punch in the face from the bikes as they come marauding behind. That that would be the plan. Um, I because I thought, you know what, Chris will probably go for the Hammer of Olympia because it is it's such an easy, simpler one. I thought, <laughs> I, I, oh, you've not done that, have you? <laughs> 
<laughs> and I know, and I know, Graham always goes for Hammer of Olympia, so I thought I'd do yeah. something different. No, do you know what? That is very different, and I like your style. Um, it's it's very very different. I will give, I'm trying to. You know, I've never seen anybody use bikes in Iron Warrior's army, so makes sense. I mean, they would use all, all methods at their disposal, and I like the idea of the fact that you're you know utilizing the Iron Fire. So, Chris, what have you got for me? Right. So, I'm not playing your game. I've got <laughs> my HQ for my, my two and a half thousand point list is. Ah, uh, see now, do I? Uh, so I thought you know we'll just do something that I think we'll go for go for the sort of Talan kind yeah. of Ooh, look. Yeah. So I've taken all the phosphex I can. Right. Because nice. Why not? And I'm Because I'm, yeah, and that, that hurts on so many, so many levels. Okay. Um, just bear with me one second because my thing has just stopped working. Uh, I've got, oh, no, it's just going to bear with me, ladies and gentlemen. I do apologize. It's a technical issue, given the fact that. So, Michael Bikes, hang on. While we get this uh, technical issue resolved. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There we go. They, they, I, I just think, as I said, they're a quick unit and they would work really well with the Iron Fire. And you're going to put your Praetor with the bikes so that he can, can join the assault? Yes, exactly, because he's tooled up for killing. Yeah. Right. Okay. I am there. Cool. Awesome. My HQ choices. I've gone for a Siege Breaker in Artificer Armor, Melted Bombs, Phosphex Bombs, Ooh. a Volkite Serpenta, and a power axe. Mm-hmm. Ooh, nice. A Moritat with uh, artificer armor, jump pack, melt bombs, two plasma pistols. Nice. And a Damocles Command Rhino. Oh, hello. My elite choices, or choice rather, is a 10 man destroyer squad. Very good. So put the, with put the, the rad missiles. Nice. So two guys with the rad missiles. Yeah. And the rest of the unit with the um, bolt pistols. And the just to, being able to join the destroyer squad. Exactly. Just the more attack, the, the destroyers, they've got jump packs, yeah? They, yeah, they've all got jump packs. Um, I've gone for three squads of breaches. Oh. Okay. Uh, really. Not a lot of points, but the sergeants got power fists. The yep. squads have all got Nuncio boxes. Yep. My heavy support choice is three Medusas. Right. Two with Phosphex shells. Oh, just two. Mm-hmm. And my last two heavy support choices are two five-man Nascan heavy support squads. Not Bit too not Iron Havocs because I was trying to the two and a half thousand points. Yeah, okay. That um, I couldn't work it in. And then I've taken an Aegis defense line with an ammo dump. Oh, you know your way to a man's heart. I thought I'd play to the crowd. My yeah. only question about the list would be why only two Medusas with a Phosphex? Because I want something that's going to punch through small armor, fairly light armor. Because you've got to fire them all together, haven't you, as one squad? Yeah, but I'm, if I can get that scatter going, I think it, my, I, I guess that's the thing. I wouldn't. I'm not a big fan of 
phosphates on reducers. And here's my reasoning. It has got some advantages because you get the reduced scatter, okay? Because yeah. you can reposition it two inches. Yeah. It's, I think it's poison two plus. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's AP2. But a normal reducer is strength 10. So anything up to toughness eight, you're always wounding on twos anyway. So, but also if you've got the reducer, normal shells, you can then take on tanks as well. Whereas obviously with the, yeah. you don't get the option to choose. I think if you're on, if you've got phosphate shells, that's you all. That's all you've got. Phosphate shells. Yeah, that's that's yeah. the one thing I really dislike about that 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 particular piece of equipment. I think the um, militia ones have got the ability to swap the shells during yeah, the game. They can, they can take uh, breaches. Is it breacher shells? Breacher shells, yeah. yeah. So why breaches? And how are you going to get them up the board? Is that a slog up well, the board? They're just going to have to walk. Style. They're just going to iron warrior it, cool. walking up that board. Nice. I mean, thematically, it would look great. Yeah. And, and they're there also just to aid with the um, the artillery, with the nuncio boxes as well. Okay, awesome. So, uh, well, that so, was, yeah. So, what do you think, Graham? Who, who's got the better, the better list there? VMAX well, it's wise. interesting. There's some, some interesting things in terms of what would I think look more iron warrior-y aesthetically. I think Chris's would Absolutely. because I think yeah. that the breaches walking up the thing, getting torn to shreds, which will inevitably happen, um, is very much what happens to iron warriors when they walk anywhere. Mm-hmm. But the um, just another reason I chose the breaches was because I've got all the uh, reducers and they're all template weapons. Yes. If on that horrible occasion that I scatter onto myself, yes, I've got a chance of yeah, I've got a better chance of surviving it because they're in um they have the hardened armor, don't they? So they are. They do, the only problem is that it only counts for your armor save. Mm-hmm. So if you're so if it's AP two, it's going to ignore. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Armor anyway, so you can't get a reroll for your invuln saves. Um, I yeah, phosphex all over the place. I like the uh, siege break with the phosphex bombs because I think that's actually a pretty cool little thing and a good good little trick to have. I always forget that I give them to him though. That's anything. Um, so that's quite cool. But I guess in terms of a plan to unseat the enemy, Michael's would probably work. Thank you. But yeah. should we put this up to a public vote? I can't really. I'm trying to think. Because the problem is, Michael, you've gone so far off piste, you're not even on the same mountain by using bikes. And, <laughs> and Mechanicum. <laughs> and Mechanicum to add further, you know, insult to considerable injury. You have played to the strengths, though, which is using the iron, iron fire. So I think you've got a more Iron warriors are thought out list, if I'm completely truthful. So I'm afraid, Chris, your inner Imperial Fist has shone through. Oh, thank God. And in this instance, although I will probably be drummed out of the Iron Warriors special club, it's going to go to Michael. Oh, yay. So, shall we put it up to a public <laughs> vote and see what they think? Of course. Of course. We okay. Uh, and we'll announce the results of this one, which the last one, which was our Ultramarines. Yeah, 3,000 yeah, point ultramarines. Which Graham won. Yes. I think Forever. it was 60-40. Wow, convincing. Convincing. So uh, See, Research helps. That's what I'm saying. So I actually won one. Yeah, you're actually, yeah you've, you've won one. Okay. Brilliant. Yeah, well you, done, won one, you won one from the public as well. I know. That means that all of that, the fact that I'm not, honestly, I'm not... 
putting I'm not links to the 30k channel sorry, to um, Iron Warriors 30k uh, group is not true. I'm not getting them all to vote for me. I am not talking to the rest of our family for a while because clearly <laughs> I know which way that's going. Yeah, so that, that's so. That's so I think in, in thing that it's an interesting thing that you've gone. Both of you have done very different things. I mean, you know, like I said, Chris has got the heavy support squads, uh, which is very arm warriors with the defence line, which is very arm warriors, and the breaches definitely all kind of ties in. Um, I just think that if I balanced it on effectiveness as well as arm warriorness, yeah. I think Michael. Yeah, I think Michael does that. He does what it's. Yeah, it feels for, like a for, bit more white scars are, to be fair. But I think because of the iron, he's got one, the, one guy with a bike and it's a white scarf army. <laughs> because he's used the iron fire and he's tied the iron the the army into the right of war. That's a that's a winner. Yeah, yeah. It was sixty forty no, to Graham. Enough. It was sixty forty to Graham. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I'm okay. surprised we got three three votes. Okay, so yeah, well done, lads. Thanks very much. What we don't normally talk about is how we paint, and uh, I thought this was probably a good a good time as any to regale you with my fantastic paint scheme for Iron Warriors, which is very very simple and. Uh, just to sort of give you an idea that you can get paint skin together, it doesn't have to be super, super complicated. So what I do for my Iron Warriors is the following. So I undercoat them in black, and that's usually just pound shop black that you get from pound shops. Is that, that the Auto uh, Express? Is it called yeah. Auto Express? Yeah, yeah. it's not like that, isn't it? It's like that sort of knockoff, but it's fine for this. You know, I don't need anything special. No, I, just, I, 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 I've used the same. I just, just don't, don't get too close to it because it's a bit thicker than the citadel sprays mm-hmm. um i then usually dry brush it with a 20 so with a with a um 90 10 split of uh thrash metal which is a scale color um thrash metal which is a really good silver i think and it goes on very well um and usually uh with a little dash of uh valero valero is it valero model color black which i really like because it's a really good black and then so that's basically just dry brush the whole model in that. This is if you're painting a figure, or actually works with tanks as well. Um, and then usually it would then just be a bit more dry brushing, just but this time just with straight scale colour thrash metal. And then after that, a bit of a dry brush with something like Runefang steel, or you could use Necron compound, but a lighter silver basically. So that's how I do the sort of the armour or the um, sort of tank armour or whatever. Um, to do the sort of black shoulder pads or black areas on the models, I just use a thin down that thin down uh, Valero model color black. It's got a really nice matte finish, which I like. It doesn't. It's not a shiny black. I don't want shiny black on my models. I want a black matte finish, and it really does hit the mark with that one. Um, then for the gold on the edging on the on the armor or uh, sort of detail work, I, I use the uh, Valero game color tinny tin on the edges i'll basically paint that on thin that down paint that all round and then paint on top of that uh, retributor armor gold um i think that's a great color actually that retributor it's one of the, my favorite golds now i used to have a much more complicated gold scheme but actually i get the same effect just by doing tinny tin on the undercoat so that you've got a dark uh, metallic undercoat to paint your um gold on top of and then lighten it with that yeah yeah um then once you've done that it's basically cover the whole model in null oil generally 
thin it down. Don't put it straight on. Definitely thin it down. And thin it down with water, not necessarily with um, the medium thing, because the medium doesn't actually thin it down. It makes it quite oily and goes in places, which is quite good. But I generally want a lighter wash than a you know the same level of wash, just thinned, if you see what I mean. Makes any sense. Not an oil wash. Um, and I then generally put Agrax Earthshade uh, around on the gold bits, avoid the black bits because it makes the black go a bit funny. Um, but you can put the Agrax Earthshade thin down on the silver too for a slightly different effect. I've done that quite a lot. And then Agrax Earthshade uh, directly onto the gold, or you can use the Sifi, uh, Sap, what was it called? Sikorex Bronze? Seraphim. Seraphim Sepia. Yeah. Gives you a slightly different gold. Yeah, yeah, it it um, yeah, it, it dulls it slightly. That's the good thing. Yeah. It, it takes that real shininess off, yeah. but gives you more sort of more coppery yeah. kind of. Yeah, it's like a more sort of chestnuty gold. Yeah, um, I haven't used the people say that the flesh. What is it called? Reichstag flesh. Reichland uh, flesh shade. Yeah, there you go. That's, that's what I use on my custodes. Right, I haven't tried that yet. But anyway, that's basically what I do. Um, pretty pretty simple uh, for. Um, hazard stripes because you're going to paint hazard stripes on um, Iron Warriors. Now, as a rule, I don't paint hazard stripes on on uh, non-vehicle models because it's just too much like hard work. Frankly, people do it looks great. I don't. I just, no. So, if I'm painting hazard stripes on tanks and rhinos or flyers, what I do is I use um, Valero Beastly Brown first. So usually it's painting from black and then paint the brown on top of the black. And that's because if you try and paint the yellow directly onto the black, it's a right chew on because it's really hard because it's the black is just keeps coming shining through. Whereas I find using a brown first is a thick enough color to hide the black and then you can paint the yellow on quite nicely. Um, and that gives you a kind of dark undercoat for the for the yellow anyway, which is good. Obviously, use um, very thin masking tape unless you're really good at freehand, which I'm not. And then finally, what I do with all my hazard stripes is I use a, a light dusting of the Forge World dark mud weathering powder, and I put that on with a makeup brush, like a dry brush makeup brush, okay. uh, which which is quite good. So you sort of start at the bottom. Usually, if the hazard stripes are sort of at the bottom of the model, it, 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 you sort of start at the bottom and just gently slightly thicker at the bottom and less at the top. But it takes the yellow shine away, um, and it still looks realistic enough. So if you look okay. at my models. They will have this weathering effect on the stripes. Uh, I've seen people do a lot with stripes, but they always come a bit too bright for me. Whereas just dulling it down with this weathering powder uh, works really well. So that's it. It's as simple as that, really. It's a very simple paint scheme. It's a lot of dry brushing. It's a lot of uh, um, washes, um, and away you go, really. Cool. So there you go. Nice. Okay, nice. Shall I give the Games Workshop guide that they put in the Burning of Prospero? Yeah, yeah, it's an excellent book. It's a lot simpler than your scheme, but I think your scheme looks really good. So, um, yeah, I, I, I'd say go with Graham's scheme personally. Um, Actually, just be, I know you're going to say about this. Uh, so they recommend you undercoat with lead belcher spray. Mm-hmm. Now, I've done this, but I found I need to use a ton of um, oil washes. It's, it's really bright, them. isn't it? Yeah. So yeah. that's why I don't do that personally. But go on, carry on. Sorry, so they, Michael. They say undercoat with a lead belcher spray. Then mm-hmm. base coat your shoulder, shoulder pad, base coat your, yeah, shoulder pads, gun casing, and left knee with Abaddon Black. I don't know why the left knee. Um, shade the armor with Agrax Earthshade, and metal details on the gun with Null Oil. Uh-huh. 
Then dry brush all the metal areas with Necron compound. Yep. Then base coat the lenses with ceramite white. Uh, highlight the black of Eschen Grey and paint in the hazard stripes of Avalon Sunset. So they, they're suggesting you okay. paint Avalon Sunset directly on the black. Mm. You and then add scratches all over the model with rune fang steel. Finish air, black areas with fine lines of admin, admin, administratium grey, and then glaze the lenses with blood letter. Okay, um, that is, that's a different that's guide. That's a lot of there's a lot of fiddly bits in there. Yeah, a lot of fiddly. Especially bits. Getting, especially with the glaze on the eyes and. Well, that's the way I, I mean, do my eyes for everything. Uh, so white what, and then a glaze. Do you know what I do for mine? What? You love this. I use a really, really light, and then I use a metallic pen. Yeah, sharpies are. The, a lot of people have sort of suggested sharpies are the. Yeah. The future. I, I use a, a metallic uh, blue yeah. or red pen and, and basically colour it in because it seems to work. So there you go. Um, we've gone into painting territory, which is a whole new world for us, yeah. which is quite interesting. Uh, you can blame the Imperial Truth for this because I actually listened to Neil's talking. Neil from the Imperial Truth in his podcast with Greg talking about painting, and it was actually more interesting than I thought. So did you listen to another podcast? Yay! I did. Yay! I know. You tried something new. Yay! I know. Bucket list. And it was very good. So that's why I thought, hey, maybe we should just, you know, give you a very, you know, we paint our models. This well, is how we do. You, you put, get, we'll get a picture of one of your um, Iron, Iron Warriors. We'll put it in the show notes. No pressure. So if you can send that to me. And um, there's also a Warhammer TV guide to painting hazard stripes on Iron Warrior. So I'll put that a link to that in the show notes. Cool. That's on YouTube. Do um, also didn't uh, Forgerod do a painting guide way back when they did? I think it's the first or second book. Oh yeah, I think they I did. think it's available for download on their website. I think they did. I'll, I'll, think I'll, I'll link. I'll link to that in the thing. But yes, I think you're right. I think they did. I um, don't know if it covers all the what legions it covers, but I, you know what? Yeah. I, I think it actually just covers the um, Isvan oh, Free Legions. Oh yes, yeah, so Emperor's Children, Death Guard, and World Eaters. World Eaters, yeah. Yeah, I've just found it here. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. just just a just a, okay. So, um, should we go and have a look and see what events are coming up? Yeah. Yes, let's do it. Okay, so let's give a shout out to the events that we've been asked to go through. Um, so um, we've got to have a special mention for Ian Parker. Um, yeah, yeah, talk yeah, about he, special he, characters at events. Um, I believe that he spoke to you about this, didn't he, Graham? Yeah, yeah he, so he dropped us a, a message on Facebook just saying about, you know, he'd been to an event where they hadn't put so many special characters in or there were some restrictions on special characters. And the way he described it sounded quite interesting. So just to sort of say thank you for that, Ian. And um, which is definitely something we might look at uh, when we run events in the future once we get past Company of Legends season. Because um, it, it sounded quite cool. What they're saying is that basically you had like, you only have to take one Vulcan, for example. And if you had multiple legions, of the multiple people playing the same legion, um, the first game they were all fighting on the tables next to each other. Oh, so it was yeah, like a full on, yeah. like Salamander's Assault, you know. So that does sound really cool. Um, so it was just like more of, you know, the sort of stuff we were doing with the Centurion lists. It yeah. was quite interesting because they weren't, you know, you wouldn't have these special characters and stuff. Maybe something we think about, we want to run a, a one-dayer sort of event with um, with that sort of more small-scale stuff. Yeah. So, yeah. So thank you for that, Ian. Appreciate it, mate. 
Yeah. Um, okay, so I've got a little story about how Ian ended up getting in contact with us, which I will tell you um, after uh, in the Company of Legends update anyway. Um, okay. But right now, I'll go through the gaming list and the um, other list. If we haven't mentioned an event, it's because either all the tickets are sold out or they aren't on sale yet. As always, we keep a list of events on our website, so you can always keep an eye on that. And there's also the Horus Heresy UK events page and the Worldwide events page. Um, okay, and if you want us to shout out event, an event, please drop us a message on Facebook or email therush at edgeofempire.co.uk. Um, okay, so gaming events. So the next one is Company of Legends on the 23rd, so next week. Ooh, I'm, yes. I'm bricking it. It's going to be great. I'm bricking it. I'm bricking it. You guys have... I just always am. I always am at this point. I'm always like, what's going to go wrong? Nothing. Okay. Then we've got 21st of April, so a month later, Damnation of Antioch, which is the Hull's Angels first weekend tournament. They can only have 16 players for that one, though. Okay. I think we've mentioned this to Adam, but he can't make it. Okay. Uh, then 5th of May, we've got uh, Greetings from the Warp are running Ghoul Stars Aggression, Northamptonshire. Now, that's a huge event. They've currently got 66, 66 players. 66 players? 66 players the last time I checked. That's mental. Go them. Um, then 12th of May, King Fluff is running Fratricide at Taras. Um, so was that Ghoul Stars one that sold out in like two minutes? No, no, no. That was... Um, um, that was Gino 52 wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it broke the website, didn't it? That one? Yeah, it broke the yeah. website. Our, our one can't break. I don't know why, but uh, apparently it will only... I, I don't know. I don't think the the demand has been that much that it's it's, yeah. it's done that. But apparently I'm assured by um, WooCommerce that it can't break. Okay. Anyway, so 12th of May, King Fluff, Fratricide at Taras, which is in Staffordshire. The tickets for that actually stopped being sold on the 15th of April. So if you want a ticket for that, get it sooner rather than later. Um, then 13th cool. of May, uh, Tabletop Banter are running the Battle for Redeem Alpha um, in Cardiff. Oh, right. That'll be at um, where it was. Eleven Games, wasn't it? Element, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, no, the place. Firestorm Games. Firestorm Games, yeah. Then 19th of May, there's the London Heresy at the London GT, where all of us will be. Also, yes. don't, also uh, we're all wedding an FA Cup final. Nice. Um, most More tickets have been added if you missed out the first time round, so... Yeah, cool. We get some free big. swag as well, I think, with this one. Um, they have like a special because we order the event tickets as well as the um, thingy tickets. I think we're going to get some. So you you couldn't there. not, could you? No, I, well, I don't think you couldn't. Apparently, but, you could have done, but we we no. ordered them anyway, so we got. Well, I thought, yeah, because I remember we booked it. I thought the website. I, said I thought you had else. to get the tickets. I think you do yeah. have to get a convention pass as well. Okay. I think yeah. it's like one of these fancy American ones where you've got to buy the pass and then the event tickets. Uh, okay. Yeah, but I think it, was, yeah, it might be the first 500 people or something, so we may be in there. Yeah, I must try and... Um... We may have been in the first five. I think we were. Yeah. So anyway, that, I'm looking forward to that a lot. Um, yeah, I think it's going to... I think it's, I, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it because, um, yeah, it's going to be great. Just going to try and get some more models ready for that at some point. Yes, yeah. you will. Uh, uh, lists to arrange. Yeah, I think it's going to be absolutely fantastic because, uh, well, they they always do a good job. They, they yeah, always definitely. do a good job. Yeah, Greg um, does. Well, Greg, I say they. Greg <laughs> does a fantastic yeah. job. That's, yeah. Um, so we, we can't really complain about about what he's going to be doing. Um, okay, so then um, we've got the next week. I put it down in the show notes as 19, but it's actually moved to the 26th of May. Um, it's the Desecration of Bethesafaf. Desecration yep. of Bethasaf 
Yes, that's a... That's in Sterling. That is the first um, ever Heresy Scots event. I think they're launching a website oh, soon. I'd hate to hear that sentence said in a Scottish accent. I'm no, not even going to attempt it. I'm yeah, not no, no, even just, going just, to attempt gonna... it. Not after last time we had to go to the Welsh or it was. Uh, yeah, we... we, we drag me into that. We're, we're, we're getting <laughs> a bit horrible. of a reputation as, as attacking... <laughs> Um, yes, people, you uh, know, based on their um, geographic. We love, we love everybody. Yes. Okay. The desecration of Bath. Yeah, it's actually harder to say than you think, isn't it? Yeah. The desecration of Bethasa. Bethasa. Sterling. I can't remember where Sterling is. Is it? It's, it's Mid- middle of Scotland. Middle of Scotland. It would be actually quite handy. We established us, we established this last time. It would did, be, but London Heresy the week before. Um, exactly. Yeah, the guy who's running is actually coming to Company of Legends. He's playing World Eaters. Oh right. Wow. So oh, uh, cool. you know, because he he was like desperate to get a ticket. Got you. And it was like okay, uh, he he ended up getting first on the reserve list at one point. And it was like yeah, he got a ticket. And he was like seconds. He bought it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay, so then the 26th of May as well. Is it the 26th of May? Have I got that yeah. date right? I'm just going to double check because. Okay. Uh, yeah, 26th of May is Conflict Norwiches are running the Betrayal at Cyrax, um, okay. which is a, just a one day event in Norwich. Um, and that is a, I think it's a Centurion. Yeah, Centurion. Yep. Oh, Centurion. Oh, okay. Yeah, so Centurion event. Pretty yep. to see what sort of. List people do for that as a. I would do. Obviously, obviously, because we right. you know, we, we covered centurion list the other week, yeah. the other month, but we did. Yeah. Um, be intrigued to see sort of as a whole event what sort of yeah things people would put down. Then we've got the twenty. Sorry, we've done the twenty sixth of May, 9th of June, the Spartan Axe edition at the Surrey Spartans in Surrey. Obviously, um, uh, I think there are still a couple of tickets left for that. It's a weekend event. Um, excellent game event pack, as we've mentioned before. Hmm. Um, then the 10th of June is Blood and Steel, the Battle of Lernian Prime at Peterborough. So okay. Peterborough hmm. have got a reputation as being a really, really, really tough club to play at because they bring really hard lists. Okay. So right. just to warn you that, but they're, so- a, they're a good bunch of guys. They're, they're a really good bunch of guys, the Legion of Peterborough. So... Well, did they have an event recently? Yes, they did have an event recently. They did. They did. They did. But by the time it came to my attention, there were no tickets available. So I did. I've never Uh, never mentioned it on the show simply for that reason. Um, As I said, there's no point mentioning a uh, event if you can't get a ticket. We did that once, and we got a comment of, "We can't get a ticket for this. Why did you mention it?" So was, Fair enough. All right. Um, okay. Then we've got 16th of June. June is a busy month for heresy. God, isn't it? A, I think there's an event every single weekend. In fact, yes, there is an event every single weekend. Let's, let's check those lottery tickets, boys. Yes. So um, 16th of June is the Siege of Vulturus, which is a Horus Heresy narrative weekender. And that is being held in Derby. And that is um, that. That's at the new place in Derby. I can't remember the name of it. But I won't mm-hmm. figure it out. Then we've got on the 20th. Not where we went. Not where we went, no. no. Not the roundhouse. Okay. Alright. Then we've got the 24th of June, the campaign for Furos, um, which has moved from 40k gaming in Colchester. It's now moved to Hockley, uh, at the Wayland Game Centre, so they can take more people. I didn't know Wayland Games had their own game centre. Yeah, they do, they do. Um, it's got a bar. Nice. Um, I've never been, because obviously it's in Hockley and, um, 
yeah, it's a long way away. Um, and I don't drive. So when I'm down there with Lindsay, um, convincing her to say, uh, we can just drive down to Hockley, go to Whaling Games. Yeah. But to be fair, I think the only way of actually guaranteeing you're going to get something from Whaling Games would be to physically buy it in store. Oh, steady. <laughs> I think that's a, that's a I, cool place right there. To be honest, I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> yeah, instead of buying from Wayland Games, got Element Games for our website. Element Games. <laughs> yeah, which, which I did, you'll be pleased to know, the other day. Good man. That gets us some money. I don't know yes. how, long, how how much we've got to build up to get a payout, but yeah, probably yeah. pay. Uh, but it, it, all, it all got to support the show in the long run. Mm, totally. um, okay, so then we've got Path to Confrontation on the 7th of July. I think tickets are sold out, aren't they? Yeah, I think they might. Are they I sold did, out now? They, I think so. Because I saw the other day they were doing some one-day tickets like one ever Saturday uh, ticket loyal tickets Sunday ticket. loyal tickets sold out uh yeah. two traitor tickets remain yeah um, so no, that was on no the use for me March. so yeah, yeah. yeah almost because i did look at getting a ticket for the sunday right because so, that's obviously a day i'm not yeah, yeah i'm not working it's down the road so i could that, but that's yeah. almost gone so by the time i'd realized they'd completely yeah, it was it just wasn't crap at that point. So we probably won't be mentioning it in the next episode then. <laughs> then on the twenty first of July is the Betrayal at Inculabra. Again, King Fluff, and that's in Staffordshire. Then twenty cool. eighth of July is Call to Arms Two, the Nibelium Nibelium Salvation. This is interesting because that's that, I was thinking about whether we could get do that, but the same problem's gonna exist in it because you're getting time off work at weekends. There is um, that. Um but that, I imagine at Eastbourne, I mean that's Greg territory, isn't it? I'm going. I am a. I am actually away for a bit of July anyway, so. No I think I'm away at the start of it. I think, if I remember okay. correctly. Well, so. find out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, then the 18th of August is the Iceni Schism in Norwich. I like that because I like the sound of the name. Yeah, it is actually a nice, cool, cool it's a good event. I think it's a weekend Schism. event. I think it's a weekend event as well. Okay. But That's always the thing I like about these events is the names that people, people come up with. Cool company no, no, I, I can't even remember where we got it from. I think it was me and Phil were just discuss, uh, knocking back from fourth names and then Company of Legends. And then it was so good last year that we that when we were thinking about it, we, said, we really can't change the name, can we? No. no, no. no well, it needs to be Company of Legends and then something. That's, yeah, that's what we need. Yes, 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 true. And then 15th of September, it's the Horus Heresy campaign weekend at Warhammer World, the only Warhammer World Horus Heresy event this year. No tickets on sale for that yet. Mm-hmm. And then 20th of September, it's our Company of Legends. Well, we're calling it Special Ops, but it's the um, September event. Um, yes. And I've still got to sort out a couple of bits, but I'll sort out that in the update. Then, okay, other events. So we've got 12th to the 13th of May. It's Warhammer Fest, uh, UK. That's in Coventry at the Rioc Arena. Um, I've got my ticket. I'm going on Sunday. Um, I'll be meeting up with the guys from Gino 52 and I think Greg as well. Nice. Um, so I think we're going to have a, I think we're going to have a meetup and chat about stuff. Um, then 1st to the 3rd of June is the UK Games Expo in Birmingham. Now I mentioned this simply because Games Workshop are one of the primary sponsors this year. Wow. They are, and they are running events. They are running a tour, they're going to be running tournaments there. Um, I Goodness. don't know if there's going to be a heresy one. If right, there is okay. one, I probably won't be able to enter it because I think I'm running Drop Fleet Commander there. Okay, fair enough. Um, which was a total accident. Because <laughs> <laughs> no one was running one and I said, 
why don't we run one ourselves? And it was suddenly like, oh, you're running it, aren't you? Nice. Go you. Well, I like the game. I love the game. Andy yeah. Chambers wrote it. It's basically his his evolution of uh, Battlefleet Gothic. Got ya. Um, I really need to introduce you guys to that game. You do? I do. Um, yes. Then we've got Weekend. 16th of June, Black Library Live, which we mentioned before. I'm going to that. Um, then 16th of July, and we, Graham, you and I really need to sort this one out. Uh, when it tickets go on sale, we should go. Oh, Forge World yes. Open Day. It's yeah. the second big one. 16th of July. Yeah, 16th of July. Yeah. Is there an event on that day? Is there another? Is there a gaming event? No, there isn't a gaming I think, event. I don't think I've got anything in July either, so that means I should, in theory. Yeah. Well, when the tickets go on sale, I will buy. I when the tickets go on sale, I will buy two. I'll just go yes. out and buy two. If the one's for yes. you, cool. If not, one might be for Lindsay. Although she's driving me down to um, Black Library Live, so you know I might be pushing it. Mm-hmm. But I'm sure I can convince someone to come with me uh, and drive oh. me down. I'm sure we'll sort it out. Yeah, we'll sort it out. Worst case scenario, I'm going on the bus. Is it just a day? <laughs> it's just the one day, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we, yeah. we can do that. Yeah. And then we've got 18th and 19th of August is, we're not going to this one, Warhammer Fest Europe oh, in Dusseldorf. Yeah. I haven't seen that one. Yeah, but they, they make it, they, they're really good at unveiling new stuff at a lot of these events now. So, um, okay. that, you know, stuff that we know is coming is always getting talked about at the events. Like, obviously, they just had Gamma, and we spoke about that earlier. Adepticon mm-hmm. is next week, and apparently they're going to unveil something there. I imagine it's for Age of Sigmar. Well, no, I'm tangent. <laughs> uh, then 22nd of September, it's the Autumn Open Day at Warhammer World. So they seem to be having an, uh, an open day on New Year's, Autumn, and, yeah, two two, two open days. Randomly. Um, then the 24th and 25th of November, the Warhammer 40k open day, where they do sometimes show, well, they usually have shown off some Forge World stuff. Pieces of heresy. Yep. Okay. So, uh, a bit of an update for Company of Legends now. So I'll, Mm. I'll tell you the Ian Parker story now. Basically for the September event, someone by the name of Ian Parker had asked, can you put aside four tickets for us? Oh, yes. Back in September. Now I had, said, okay, I'm going to start in March coming to you guys and saying, do you want to pay for your tickets? Do you definitely want your ticket? Now, we've had a bunch of people drop out for various reasons, which is great because we've had a reserve list and we've got mm-hmm. everyone who was on our reserve list is now sorted. We've got a couple more people added to the reserve list. Um, but cool. I need to, I need to deal with, I need to deal with those because there's at least two people who, who I'm still waiting for an answer for who said we might be coming. Um, once I've got an answer from them, if the, the, the people that are on the reserve list, there's three people on the reserve list at the minute. So one might have to get disappointed, but it'll be in okay. first come, first served order. Oh, yeah. Um, okay. So, so yeah, Ian, I literally was looking for this guy and I was like, he's not on Facebook. He was linked in here. So I thought I'll search on Facebook for Ian Parker with this spelling. And I found a guy and he had a couple of Horus Heresy images on his timeline. It was a very mm-hmm. lockdown profile, but it was a, a Horus Heresy image as one of his profile pictures. So I thought, you know what? I'll send him a message. I will <laughs> see if this guy is the impact we're talking about. And, and I was like, oh, he's traveling in Australia. Maybe he's not after I sent mm-hmm. the message. And then he came back and he said, no, but I've heard of your event. I want a ticket. <laughs> and I was like, okay, well, if your four tickets are not going, if the four tickets for this Ian Parker are gone and I can't, you know, I can't search for him all. I can't go deep down searching. Um, I was like, okay, yeah, fine. He can have a ticket. Um, the four tickets were dropped. Someone else dropped. 
Uh, and then he came along and said, I've got two friends. Okay, fair enough. Come on in. And, uh, yeah, we ended up selling free tickets straight away to people who had just heard of us and are now traveling up from, I think, Southampton. Nice. So well, there you go. It happens. We cool. get a story. Place. Yeah, yeah. So, okay, so update on what is actually going on. So, Graham, the story's complete, and the mission sheets God, are almost yes. finished, aren't they? We have put some serious hours into this thing. Oh, God. So, yes. to give you some idea of the context, without spoiling it, because we'll go through the post-event stuff and about what we've done, but just to let you know that I think in terms of narrative points, there's something like, but there's 13 potential missions, each one of which has its own story, each one of which then has two other stories attached to it. I don't want to say too much without giving it away. Um, we've had to write all of that stuff up front because we wanted to make it very slick when it came to um, presentation because last, the last Company of Legends event, there was a bit of a delay, so we're trying to sort of work on that. So that is done, and you've put them into the mission sheets as well, Michael. So I have. I've got some editing to do. I, I wasn't expecting to do that, but I've got some quick editing to do as the results come in. Yes, so, I think um, we, need to, we need to do that, and also we need to yeah, basically we need to change some stuff. What I'm going to do, what I'm going to do is I'm going to start editing the next potential two sheets as soon as I get about half the results in. Yeah, so that makes sense. I should be as soon as the last result is in. We know which mission we're playing. Hit print. Yeah, so yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be a, an operation. So anyway, um, yeah. So and the mission sheets are, are, are looking cool. Um, I had to buy new le- yellow toner. Yes, I'm not surprised. <laughs> it's a printer. Uh, <laughs> and so, uh, learn the mistake of ordering the prints of the army lists before everyone has um, everyone has had a chance to go. Uh, actually, because mm, we had a few, because we had a few army <laughs> lists that were yeah, these um, a couple actually, that slipped through the net. A couple yeah. that slipped through the net because. I don't know anything, do we? And interestingly, interesting, every single one that slipped through the net that had an issue with it was not a list that was done in Battlescribe. Yes. Every single quartermaster list, sorry, ah. one quartermaster list didn't have an issue, and that was Greg Dan's. Oh, yeah. Every single oh, yeah. quartermaster list had an issue with it. There you go. Now, I'm always going to, pr- pr- you know, say pro Battlescribe, because I work with the guys that um, I, I work on the data team for Heresy. Yeah. So we're always changing stuff because it needs fixing because we're only a list of volunteers. But yeah, no, Battlescry, please use it. <laughs> I know some people just don't want to use it, but... Heathens. I mean, whatever happened... Or an Excel spreadsheet. Yeah. Uh, it was, but even with an Excel spreadsheet, you're copying things out. Nice. And it was again. It was where people had copied stuff out that issues arose. I mean, one guy was really cool. He was like, "I've never used Battlescribe before. How do you use it?" And I literally had to teach him how to use the thing. And he was like, "Yeah, this is brilliant." And he bought the pro version. Yeah, I bought the pro version because I just use it all the time, just you know, to mess around with lists. So, yeah, I've got like I've got cool. like, I've got very like a cool hundred lists in Battlescribe at the minute, and I just oh, I, I, I uh, try to delete them. Yeah, I, I really should, but I tend not to. Okay, so we've um I've just literally bought all the dry food. Well, almost all the dry food. They didn't have enough pasta. Um so I've got to go back on Saturday to get more pasta. Cool. Um all we've got left to do is buy um chopped tomatoes, tins of chopped tomatoes because I forgot how many we needed and I didn't put them on the list. Chop sure. 24 tins. Wowzers. So for two meals. Oh, tomatoes. <laughs> it's two meals. 
Um, and it's stupidly more expensive still to buy them from Costco than it is to just buy 24 small tins from, um, uh, what you call it, uh, Asda. Wow. Yeah, I'm surprised. Yeah. Um, we bought the Tuck Shop stock. Um, we did a yeah. poll for what chocolates people wanted. And we have Snickers, which is the main thing. And Twix. I yeah, was yeah. really surprised that Snickers would be that popular. I thought Mars bars would be the... Oh, Mars bars would be I love it. I love a, I love a Snickers. Yeah, it was Snickers and Twix. Um, I thought we were going to get Galaxy, and then Twix snuck in at the last minute. Um, no, I'm no fan of a Mars bar. It's too sweet. Whereas a Snickers has got everything you need, and it's got five a day in there. Yeah, you know, then, peanuts and nougat and chocolate. Yeah, and then we got some um, uh, pop. We got Pepsi Max, and I put the second one out to vote, and overwhelmingly, Iron Brew. Iron Brew, made oh. from girders. Oh, I love Iron Brew myself. It's lovely. Have you got the new recipe or the old recipe? Uh, it's diet, so it's, it's it's the same recipe it was ever been. I'm only buying diet, and the reason for that is, you know, we're all... There's people with diabetes there. Woo! I am one of them, not going to lie. I'm not going to out other people, because obviously, you know, they give us that in confidence. <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, no, there are people with diabetes there, and I figured, you know what, it's easier in the long run just to get diet instead of keeping yeah. two and then i'm not going to use the sugary stuff because i'm diabetic myself so i'm not going to use that it's going to go to waste the club is trying to move the durham raiders are trying to stop doing sugary stuff um because obviously we as we all know on april 4th i think it is um they get a little tax on them yeah the levy. Uh, which i found out that costco if i bought them from costco the tax will be included i don't have to pay it separately because my insurance yes, the sure. insurance company came back and said if you sell sugary drinks from the 4th of april and you haven't registered with a hmrc we will not cover you for such and such and i was like that seems uh, really random and it was yeah. like you've got to comply with everything with the insurance companies these days make sure everything's above board yeah absolutely you don't want to the risk for something like that and this whole, the whole event's not covered yeah and then we've um, got a projector we have so that's cool because that makes the actual showing people the missions and stuff much yeah, easier we, we've got um we've got a couple of presentations to do i'm going to do one on the friday night which is about uh, uh how it came to what we did and some feedback from last year and what we've done to address that and then uh also to basically go through the things like the strategy phase that we've put in and how the games work because it's quite, it's a bit more complicated than last year. Um, because there's things that people have to actually do in between games, um, without kind of giving the whole thing away. But we've, we've been very keen to make sure that the the driver for the story and for the uh, where people go to attack other people and other uh, resources in the planet that we're fighting on is is player driven rather than us telling. So we've put a whole raft of stuff in around to enable that to be a more immersive and interactive experience. Yeah, so, I mean, that projector is secured for future events as well. Um, Great. Because we've actually gone out and bought them. Um, Got yeah. Because Andrew has brought one previously, but he's not able to come this year. Um, yeah. I don't know if that's because he couldn't get his army painted. No, probably because he's got to work. He works in the NHS, so... Um, uh, that's... Yeah. You know, when he can't get time off work, there's usually a good reason for it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Is he a doctor? No, I don't know. <laughs> I can't imagine his bedside manner would be great. Nah, Andrew's all right. <laughs> You're very interested in conversation with yourself, Michael. <laughs> yeah, I'm having conversations with myself. That's what happens when I get tired. All right. So, is there anything else you want to add about Company of Legends? No, I think just that um, you know, it's been a massive team effort, and we're really lucky. I think that we've got a team of people to do all of this stuff. You know, so like yourself, Michael, getting everything sorted. 
and you know people like Adam giving up his time to put the narrative together and work the narrative with us. Yeah. You know Phil's going to be helping out. Uh, Chris is coming up from the south to help out. You know Lindsay yep. and, and Megan both going to be there. You know this is a, a massive effort I think for us, and we're lucky because I mean a lot of events you know it's one or two people and we've got a team of five or six, so really awesome stuff. I I'm, think. I'm really I think it's really great. I think from, you know what I've sort of being involved in seeing what's going on. I think people should be really excited for it. Yeah, I think it's just we just want to make sure that we kind of set ourselves some fairly ambitious goals, and we want this to be without sounding, you know, too full of ourselves. We really want this to be the best heresy event in the UK. Last year, we were told we were uh, last year we got a glowing review from a couple of podcasts which said we were the best heresy event in the UK. Yeah, yeah I think this that, time I think last year. Last year, but no, I think lots changed in a year. I mean, some really, really cool events. That, really, know. really cool events. I know we can't beat 30k Frontier on the audiovisual no. front. We're not going to beat Tarsus on simply the amount, the quickness of what they can sell tickets. Yeah. But you know what? I think we can. I, th- I think this is our application to recapture that title. Um, and we'll get. I, I, I hope we'll get it. If those other events, because you bunch of people can stay there, and it's a whole immersive weekend yeah. where you're there you, you know you don't people can just immerse themselves and play 24 7 if they want mm-hmm. there are no restrictions on things like that i think that's what people like about it i think yeah but we, uh, great. I can't I wait. we've got a great package there and we you know we've really made a lot of investments in in the extra stuff this year like yeah. we, like we sorted out the extra coffee i mean i've got the lattes and americanos for people um and then we've um you know we're printing out the missions on form you know, instead of relying on uh, Mr. Who Shall Not Be Named, who turned up <laughs> 45 minutes after the games were meant to start with the mission packs not printed. Was that, which, was that the first year or the second year? First year. That was, yeah. yeah, I remember, yeah. Because yeah. I, was, I was playing that person. <laughs> I was going to be playing that person in the first game. Yeah, and no one knew what was going on because we didn't have the packs and sort of like... Yes, it was, yeah. it, that, was, that was that was just a terrible whole start to the series. But we're, we're sorted. But, I mean, I think... You know, it's, it's this is what year this will be event three. Event three, yeah. So, mm. you know, it's all it's all growing, and you know, yeah, we we'll get that. Everyone's, Everyone's, this yeah, year absolutely. is a this year was a massive investment in terms of putting stuff together. I mean, we're we're doing live streaming of games this year. Yeah. Um, you yeah. know, thanks to encouragement from Warhammer community team, um, and we'll take it from there. And yeah, yeah I mean, you're right. There's a lots of different things. I mean, there's a podcasting station that you put up. Yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll have our, our podcasting station because we've got attendees from quite a few different podcasts. We've got I think the, pretty much almost all of them are coming in one form or another. Um, uh, Road to Terror is not coming. Oh, yes, that's right. And, and I don't think Sons, we've got anyone from Phosphex Party and North Sons Sons of, They're coming, well, over the, over the, yeah, they're coming in September, I think, aren't they? Yeah. Well, that's but the, we've got Adeptus Terror, we've got Adeptus, Adeptus Terror, we've got um, Imperial Truth, Legion of Lies, um, Gino? Sorry? Gino 52? Yeah, we've got Gino 52. Tom from Gino 52. Yeah, so awesome. All what right. we need to do is organise some sort of competition. That's what I think we should do as well. A, 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 podcast, a podcast tournament. Podcast off. Podcast off, yeah. Podcast off. I think that would be really cool. Yeah, but I think we should. Teams are three. Well, we could do exactly that. We could do North v South, couldn't we, or something like that, and just meet cool. up and have a world. Yeah. yeah, where do I fit in? You'd be an honorary northerner. Because you have of the to be. Location of the podcast. <laughs> I mean, we should do that. We could speak to the guys and say, look, how yeah. about it? Why don't we get all, all together, do a big battle in Warhammer World? It'd be cool. 
Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll talk anyway. about them next week. Um, but I've got it. it means I have to teach you how to use the mixer and all sorts as well. Cause you'll be, you'll, it'll be the first time that we're actually all together in the same place to record. This. Apart well, from hotel rooms. Hotel oh rooms, yeah, hotel yeah. rooms. But that doesn't count because we didn't have all the we didn't have yeah, all the fancy equipment. This is true. We were yeah, yeah, didn't have all the fancy equipment. Okay, so shall we go off to the close now? I think yeah. so. Yeah. I think Let's we... do it. It's only Let's half. Wrap it up. Okay, so that brings us to the close of this episode. Um, monster please episode. Please do monster episode. Another have... monster episode tried to keep it under four hours and failed quite spectacularly. Well, I haven't edited but, it yet. I know. But I, I could edit gonna, out uh, all those tangents we went on. No, those tangents were cool. They were cool. Yeah. Add to the, people love that oh, sort of thing. The tangent, I, I, I'm thinking this episode might be entitled The Tangent Within. Yes, I think that's yeah. a good... Tangent yeah. Within, Tangent Without. Yeah. Um, as, as we say, going off on a tangent. Yeah, we'll, um, we'll not go off a tangent now because it is, <laughs> it is like 20, 25 past midnight. And you've got work tomorrow. I've got to get up really early tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. I've got to get work super early. Um, okay, so like I say, thank, please, yeah, thanks for listening. But please do leave us some reviews on iTunes uh, or follow us on and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Uh, all the links are in the show notes, so you should be able to find us. Um, there's also uh, a Horus Heresy UK Discord server for those of you up with the latest tech. Um, which has gone down quite well. We've had a few people on it. I mean, even I've managed to write a few sentences on it. Well, when I explained to you that it was Slack for gamers. It was like Slack for gamers. For yeah. that's okay. I understood it. Basically the um, same technology. <laughs> yeah. So, um, again, that's going to be linked in the show notes. So uh, it's important to us to you give us some feedback. We've had some great comments from people uh, over the last month. So please feel free to, to keep bringing them in. We, uh, we can only make things better if we know what uh, what you like to hear and what uh, you found and, useful. And the popular the, comments are now equal half the number of death threats. That's interesting, isn't it? Once you get to that tipping point, there's no stopping you, really. Yeah, exactly. It's all uphill from here. <laughs> yeah, so, I was just trying to think of a better way to put that. But yeah, one. <laughs> so, yeah, thank you ever so much, everybody, for listening. If you do want to get in touch with us, like I say, we've got all of the multimedia, omni-channel stuff that you can uh, speak to us on. Uh, we get back to you really quickly if you send a message on Facebook. Um or you can email us directly at the, the rush at edgeofempire.co.uk. So with that, and the fact that it is now half past 12, uh, I would like to wish you a very good month. Before uh, you do, I'm going to quickly chip in and say, if you want to help out the show, we've got an affiliate link with Audible, so you can sign up to yes. get your Horus Heresy audiobooks with them, and a yes, month's yes. free trial. After that, it's $7.99 a month for an audiobook, and all of the Black Library books are on there, apart from one, which is Tales of Heresy. Okay. Um, and you can also help us out by going through the advert on our website to purchase your wargaming toys through Element Games, who are yes. doing the plastic custodies with a nice discount for you. Yep. Uh, you know, in your betrayal Last. of cows from burning across my boxes. Must resist more custodes. Yes. And uh, like I say, we, we may be able to afford a cup of tea between the three of us uh, on, a, on, a, on a train at some point on the, on the proceeds, which would be great. Can um, we get the chocolate hobnobs instead of the plain ones? No, no, no absolutely not. That. We're never no. going to get that kind of sponsorship. That's still money. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, yes, yeah, so that just that leaves me all that's left now is to say uh, good evening um, and have a great month. So, goodbye from me, Graham. 
Goodbye from me, Chris. Oh, I have to say goodbye now, yeah. Okay, goodbye. Sadly. Yeah, yeah. We know what happened as well. Yes. Okay. And we'll see again in. Well, actually, we'll probably be doing something mini in between from Company of Legends. We will. And next month, we can look forward to. uh, We've got some other stuff coming up around what uh, some unit comparison stuff, but also we're going to be doing our feedback on the first Company of Legends event, which should be great because we're going to give you all of the stuff that we've done and we can talk to you about it to our heart's content ish. Although we're not going to tell you about the story because we're rerunning that story in September. Okay. I'm not, oh, I'm not redoing the work. Sorry, I'm not involved in this work. Okay, you can go redo it if you want to do it. <laughs> no, I don't. You're right. Thank you very much, folks. Yeah, thank you. Good night. Take care.